Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory and True History Herstory of Nazara. Infinite blessings to one and all as we gather together to do our planetary work once again and be in service to all of the planet and all of humanity as we call in the highest ascension frequencies for one and all. As we begin, we go into our sacred heart center. As you enter into your heart, the portal of your heart, please join me in calling forth the full emergence and integration of your soul, your higher self, your monad, your mighty I am presence. See yourself in your mighty pillar of light. In the pillar of light is the most exquisite pink rose energy of divine love. It comes from within you and from without. It is filled as well with golden starlight, golden light, the light of peace, fills your column of light as well. And you see, sense, and feel it fully anchored directly to source and directly to the heart of Mother Earth. Please breathe it in. Allow yourself to feel it in every cell and fiber of your being as well as through all of your multidimensional self, as we call in every aspect through to our God presence, our Goddess presence. We ask to connect to the I Am presence of every man, woman, and child as we affirm, I am my I Am presence. As my I Am presence, I am one with the I Am presence of all humanity. I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. I am one with the I am presence of all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. Allow yourself to feel that connection heart to heart, high heart to high heart. Cosmic heart to cosmic heart. As we all connect to the cosmic heart of all that is. And we recommit ourselves here this afternoon to this divine service of being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age of eternal peace and infinite prosperity and being the open door that no one can shut. Take a nice deep breath. Feel this anchored through you. Feel your connection with all that is. So we invite in for one and all, all soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, 
all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul family, our soul pods. And we welcome at this time for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, and mission council. We welcome at this time the assistance of the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome at this time as well all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healing team. We welcome the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries. We welcome the entire planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light and all of their healing teams. We welcome our brothers and sisters from the Galactic Federation of Light. We welcome Lord and Lady Arcturus, the Arcturians, the Arcturian healing teams. and healing technologies. We welcome the Ashtar Command. We welcome Lord and Lady Sirius, the Syrian Archangelic League of the Light and their healing teams, including Dr. Lorfin and his healers, Lord and Lady Pleiades, the Pleiadian Emissaries of Light and their healing teams, Lord and Lady Chiron and the Chiron Healers. Lord and Lady Andromeda and the Andromedan Healers. Lord and Lady Venus and the Venusian Healing Teams. We call forth the golden beings from Venus to assist anyone who is in stress at this time. Anyone who is in chaos or confusion anyone who needs assistance at this time. We call them for, we call for the entire company of heaven. We call for the cosmic galactic universal healers. We call forth our mother, father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it 10 billion times, 10 billion fold in alignment with divine will and divine law. We call forth at this time all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws and ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, We ask that it be received individually and collectively the maximum that we can receive 
through our mighty I am presence, through every cell, chakra, meridian layer of our orc field, multidimensionally, through the conscious, subconscious, superconscious levels of the mind as well. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received and digested and assimilated easily and effortlessly to be anchored and grounded, integrated and embodied the maximum that we can receive for both personal and planetary ascension. With the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium and love and light and laughter. Take a nice deep breath. Let us envision this beautiful pink and golden light all across the planet. Mother Gaia embraced in this energy as we invite her in to receive all that we receive. Through her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field. Through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water. Through her ley lines and song lines. Through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system blazing with this pink and golden light of love and peace and harmony across the earth. And through every portal and vortex, monument and sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light, as we see and hold the vision of every city, every location on the planet becoming that city of light. That there is nothing less than love and peace and harmony and light on this planet. Just allow yourself to hold the planet within your heart center and magnify this. Magnify it through your thoughts, through your mind, through your heart, through your love through the peace that you are sending across the planet. And we ask that this expand and grow, not only throughout this day, but throughout the days and weeks ahead, that it just continually continually magnify and expand and anchor further and further into every aspect of life. All in divine order for each being. Please join me in assisting humanity in their spiritual freedom. This prayer came from Patty last Saturday, and we affirm I am my I am presence. And 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 I am one with the I am presence of every person on earth. As one collective I am presence, the sons and daughters of God on earth now merge. Our unified heart flames with the heart flames of our mother, father, God, and the legions of light throughout infinity. 
together as we breathe our newly elevated holy breath. Every person on earth is lifted into a higher frequency of unity consciousness. This monumental shift of consciousness is being accomplished by every person's I am presence in perfect alignment with his or her divine plan and the highest good for all. Beloved Mother, Father, God, we ask that you now greatly intensify your comprehensive divine love and your violet flame of cosmic forgiveness within every person's immortal victorious threefold flame. As this now occurs, we experience this sacred fire flowing through every person's fifth dimensional heart chakra until God's comprehensive divine love and cosmic forgiveness envelop the entire planet Earth. As this tremendous influx of light bathes the Earth, every facet of life is being lifted into a higher order of being. Each person's I am presence now creates a sacred space in which they are able to open their fifth dimensional crown chakra of enlightenment to full breath. This allows each person to ascend ever higher into the awakened state of unity consciousness, oneness, and reverence for all life. As this occurs, multidimensional and multifaceted fifth dimensional crystalline Solar light expands from the very heart of our Mother, Father, God into every cell of humanity's earthly bodies, truly allowing our mighty I Am Presence to take full dominion of our physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies in ways we have not previously experienced. (laughs) Now all is in readiness. Through our I Am Presence, every person is participating at both inner and outer levels in this activity of light, which is raising the consciousness of the masses of humanity and assisting every person to now tangibly experience the enlightened state of unity consciousness through his or her newly empowered creative faculties of thought and feeling. Through my I am presence, I am now reaching up into the infinity of my own unity consciousness. I clearly perceive that as I am lifted up, all of humanity is lifted up with me. In this frequency of unity consciousness, I see that humanity's free will is at long last becoming one with God's will. Instantaneously, I see the truth of every person on earth. I see all of my sisters and brothers in the family of humanity, even the most recalcitrant and the most asleep souls, as precious sons and daughters of God. No matter how far their behavior patterns or their lived experiences may be from reflecting that truth. I perceive all of the painful human miscreations associated with my sisters and brothers as innocent primordial energy entering my awareness now to be transmuted back into light and loved free. I happily greet all of these sons and daughters of God Goddess and all of their misqualified energy the same way my mother, father, God would greet them. 
I greet them with comprehensive divine love from within the embrace of eternal peace, detachment, God confidence, supreme authority, and cosmic forgiveness. I am enveloped in an invincible force field of God's infinite light. As I invite my sisters and brothers into the kingdom of heaven within my own heart flame, I hold them in the arms of light as I would an injured child. They cannot overwhelm me or control me in any way. I simply hold them and love them until they surrender to the love of God Goddess, desiring on their own to enter the kingdom of heaven within the divinity of their own heart flames. Now, rather than feeling rejected and thus perpetuating their negative behavior patterns, my sisters and brothers feel accepted and loved as the innate sons and daughters of God Goddess they are. They voluntarily release themselves into the light and they begin to know that they are one with all life and that all life is divine. (laughs) I rejoice that a person and their energies are finding their way home. And I release myself into the knowing my I am presence is handling all imperfection perfectly. Take a nice breath. As these sons and daughters of God awaken and surrender to I am presence, they truly begin to remember who they are and why Earth during this just cosmic With this knowledge, they once again find their proper place in the family of humanity. In perfect divine order, they are set free to live and co-create the patterns of love, oneness, and reverence for all life that are now being revealed through Mother Earth's new contingency plan. And so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am that I am. Take a nice deep breath. At this time, we focus on that pink and golden light. See it continuing to grow stronger. See it continuing to integrate into every cell and fiber of this planet. 
as we call forth for the highest transformation. Amazing shifts of consciousness for one and all of deeper unification and oneness with the creator and oneness with all that is. This is an invocation of peace on earth from Kajumi. And so join with me heart to heart as one voice we say, I hold the intention of uniting my energy as one consciousness with the purest and highest frequency of humanity and Mother Earth. So we may all exist in the power, love, and truth we all hold, supporting and amplifying each other's energy vibration. With the highest and purest vibration of my soul, the souls of all humanity, Mother Earth and the Creator. Let us now create a system and network of light. May our brilliant and magnificent light flow throughout our beings and our united consciousness, forming and penetrating a powerful system and network of light upon the Earth. And we affirm... I acknowledge that I am love. I am peace. And I am harmony. I acknowledge I create these harmonious vibrations constantly within my being, within my reality. And as a collective with the souls of humanity, Mother Earth and the Creator. I open myself, all souls of humanity, all earthly beings, and Mother Earth to the abundant healing, loving, blissful, and peaceful vibrations of the Creator. I ask that we are all blessed, supported, and loved eternally, and that we experience this fully now. It is my intention from my soul to create the vibrations of peace on the earth, to cascade throughout the realities of the earth, creating peace for all to experience, a peace that awakens from within and emerges into the physical level. It is my intention as a collective consciousness with the souls of all humanity, all earthly beings, and Mother Earth. To create the vibrations of peace on Earth, to cascade throughout the realities on the Earth, creating peace for all to experience. A peace that awakens from within and emerges into the physical level. As I offer my light, love, and intentions as service to the earth, humanity, and the creator, I call upon all aspects, qualities, and expressions of the creator to draw close to me, 
supporting and guiding my actions, practices, healing work, and intentions today. I first call upon the beautiful creative energy of Mother Earth to open like a flower and to cradle me and everyone in the powerful goddess energy vibrations and presence. Mother Earth, I address you with great honor, respect, and appreciation. I love you unconditionally and wish to re- to unite my energies with your being. I am here to experience your eternal love for all of humanity and every soul upon the earth. I call upon your energies to amplify and assist in this work here today. I call upon the energy of nature and all powerful vibration of creative energy to spiral around my being and around the presence of every man, woman, and child upon the earth. I ask the vibration of nature and the loving spirits of the trees, flowers, plants, and all aspects of nature to lend us their love and light to support our intentions today. I ask the energy of nature to amplify all the loving vibrations of my being and and of everyone, enabling us to hold a deeper connection with nature on the earth. Help us to cast away our veils of illusion, viewing the truth of the creator held within the vibration of nature. Please, nature, lend us your support and love in all that we do here today. I call upon the crystalline consciousness that extends from the creator and is embedded within the earth and the crystal manifestations of the earth. I ask that the crystal light and consciousness assist in cleansing my being cleansing all upon the earth and Mother Earth herself while also empowering our individual and collective light. Help me and everyone to retain and understand the wisdom of the Creator, existing as crystals ourselves on the earth so we may hold a crystal clear energy, mind, and expression today and each day and all that we do. We ask the crystal consciousness to lend us their loving energy today and in this work. I call upon the elemental beings, the souls who care for the earth and nature kingdoms. I honor all aspects of the elementals and welcome all loving elementals who wish to be of service to our sacred hearts and to the creator into our energy. I realize that for such a long time, there had been a separation between elementals and humanity. I wish to dissolve the separation as it is no longer needed. I love all elementals unconditionally. And I ask that the elementals add their blissful energies to our gathering, to this work, and to these intentions as we create manifest the highest vibration of peace on the earth. I once again call upon the 
energies in light of the angelic kingdom and the archangels to add their selfless love and to charge me and every man, woman, and child with unconditional love, compassion, and to intensify our healing abilities. I once again call upon the Ascended Masters to be of service, to add and filter your wisdom and sacred consciousness into our collective consciousness. Let us enter into our Ascended Master consciousness and divine presence. Please protect, honor, and guide us today. I call upon the goddess vibration of the creator to be present today and work with us continuously and to awaken and blossom from within me and from every man, woman, and child. Let the power of the goddess inspire us all, allowing us to celebrate our spiritual gifts and abilities. As I allow myself and every man, woman, and child allow themselves to be of service here today, let us accept and acknowledge our power and truth as a goddess being on the earth. I call upon all aspects of the creator's light and love. I call upon the vibrations, sounds, energy, light, and divine thoughts of the creator to be with us here in this work today. Beloved Creator, I ask you to surround me and every man, woman, and child and all beings upon the earth completely in the sacred Creator vibrations. Let us exist as one with all Creator aspects of our beings. With a golden circle of light woven around me and around all beings. I allow myself to be an expression of my truth in this sacred space of peace and purity we have collectively created on the earth now. I know I have the power to make a positive difference to the vibration of the earth and the peace experienced by all. Please join me in saying, I am peace. The earth is peace. I am peace. The earth is peace. I am peace. The earth is peace. May all beings upon the planet Feel their connection and unification with the Creator, bringing them to perfect peace. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. Please join me in affirming, I am the resurrection and the life of peace in the Ukraine and everywhere on earth, eternally sustained. I am the resurrection and the life of peace in the Ukraine and everywhere on earth, eternally sustained.
I am the resurrection and the life of peace in the Ukraine and everywhere on earth eternally sustained. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Beloved, mighty, I am Christ's presence within and above. Great ascended and angelic host of light. Stop all disruptions to the world's power supply, food and water supply, transportation, all communication systems, the internet, computers, all science and technology, and prevent, prevent, prevent all destructive plans by the master power flame of cosmic prevention. Prevent, prevent, prevent all destructive plans by the master power flame of cosmic prevention. Prevent, prevent, prevent all destructive plans by the master power flame of cosmic prevention. Beloved, mighty Christ, I am. And all ascended masters who govern and control the powers of nature and forces of the elements. Reveal and draw into outer manifestation through the people of Earth. New power sources that nurture, bless, and raise the planet and all life into the ascended master's octave of light with the purity, ease, grace, and harmony of the cosmic law of the great central sun's heart flame. So be it, and so it is, and we give thanks for this as we say, Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Beloved, beloved, I am Christ's presence within and above. Beloved God and Goddess of Peace, Mighty Elohim of Peace, and legions of angels of the peace-commanding flame of divine love. Descend into the atmosphere of earth. Project and magnify to the highest level we can receive your mighty gold and emerald green flames of invincible peace the peace commanding presence of all energy, substance, and vibration everywhere we abide, every moment of every day. Hold in through and around us all of our loved ones, all of those commanding peace, thy peace commanding presence of divine love that forever compels and maintains eternal peace. Then expand the cosmic feeling of invincible peace blazing through us into the mental and feeling world of all the people of Earth that are caught in war or violence of any kind. Take a nice deep breath. And we call forth to prove the power of the flame of peace and its authority to silence and remove all discord forever. 
draw forth into outer physical manifestation the perfection of the seventh golden age of peace everywhere forever. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. To all presidents, prime ministers, and leaders of every nation, all of their cabinets, congresses, parliaments, and advisors, we say, the light of the Christ and the love of the Mother's presence compels you to do the right thing for your country and the world. Just see every leader of every nation in the most magnificent, powerful, golden light, the golden light of their holy Christ self, the golden light of eternal peace, the golden light of the new golden age. As we do this again, to all presidents, prime ministers, and leaders of nations and their cabinets, congresses, parliaments, and advisors, we say, the light of the Christ and the love of the Mother's presence compels you to do the right thing for your country and for the world. And again, the light of the Christ and the love of the Mother's presence compels you to do the right thing for your country and for the world. And again, the light of the Christ and the love of the Mother's presence compels you to do the right thing for your country and for the world. Take a nice deep breath. So we call forth Archangel Michael and his cosmic blue flames. I call forward to Archangel Michael and his angels of the cosmic blue flames of immortal love, immortal power, and cosmic light substance. I welcome the descent of Archangel Michael and his angels of the cosmic blue flames descending into our midst. I call upon precious Archangel Michael and his angels to create a wall of cosmic blue flames around me around all who seek the light, face the light, around all of my loved ones, around all leaders of all nations, and everyone across the planet, and cut everyone free of any discordant lines of force. Build a permanent wall of cosmic blue flames in their cosmic light substance around me, around all of us, around every man, woman, and child, around all of humanity, which becomes a mighty pillar rising up 12 feet high, permanently sustained that we will be disconnected from the discordant energies of the world and that all are free to express the great God, God's presence within And it's great God, God's dominion over all human appearances in the outer world. We give thanks for this as we say, Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. 
Almighty Christ, I am. Mighty, I am Christ's presence within and above. I am Christ's presence of all the people of earth. Beloved Director Logos, beloved Jesus, Ananda, the Christ, beloved Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, St. Germain, and great cosmic owners of this planet release infinite oceans of miracle, cosmic miracle manifestations into the structure of the earth, the atmosphere of the earth, into the powers of nature and the forces of the elements. Release infinite oceans of cosmic miracle manifestations to enter into the minds, bodies, and feelings of all the people, all the people of this earth, and into all other kingdoms that share life on this earth, that ends people's selfish ways, that ends all hatred, all violence, that ends all war, that rolls back and silences the sinister force, and that will silence the ability of leaders to use power destructively, that brings now an end to all war, an end to all poverty, that brings an end to violence and abuse and hatred, and greed, and that delivers greater peace into the minds and hearts of all the people, and that creates a continuous cleansing and purifying activity so the building of this permanent golden age may unfold more quickly. So be it, and so it is. We give thanks for this as we say, Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Beloved mighty Christ, I am within and above. Beloved Christ, I am of all the people of earth. Beloved Mother Akasha, beloved Jesus the Christ, beloved Saint Germain, beloved Archangel Michael and all of your uncountable legions of angels of the sacred fire. Great silent watchers, I call upon the cosmic law of God's sacred fire power and all Christ authority to charge into all the decrees, will, energy, meditations, constructive intentions, and visualizations that are being given at this time and that have ever been given by the students in St. Germain's, Mother Akasha's, or the Christ Dispensations and all constructive people around the planet, purified, resurrected, and amplified 999 times by 999 billion times, by the master power heart flames of the entire angelic and ascended host to save America, to save each nation and this planet, including all kingdoms of life eternally sustained. We call forth the full anchoring of heaven on earth and the new golden age in this moment. And that all life be transformed into the sacred golden age that is meant to be here of eternal peace and infinite prosperity and every other good thing imaginable as heaven on earth. I am so grateful for your divine intervention and assistance. I send you my love, praise, and gratitude as I do you as well. And we seal this by saying, Almighty Rose Christ, I am. Almighty Rose Christ, I am. 
Almighty Rose Christ I am. Take an eye Steve Roth. Again, continue to hold this image of the gold and pink, pink rose love energies across the planet. In through and around every person, each in each and every person's heart, in each and every person, if each and every person um, serving as leaders upon the planet, each and every government leader throughout each and every nation, through every cell and molecule of life on the planet. We hold this peace. We hold this love and divine harmony for one and all with the reverence of life for one and all. Again, we give thanks for this and I give thanks for each and one of every one of you for joining me in this visualization. Please hold these images in the week ahead. I thank you for your divine service here. And as I do invite, I invite you to join us every Sunday and Monday evening for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Call. We join by teleconference at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. We begin with about 25 minutes of greetings. Tar and Rama come in about 10 minutes after. And at 9.30, we are beginning our divine service work in earnest with amazing visualizations, prayers and evocations, activations for one and all as we do our service of anchoring heaven on earth. So if you have not joined us before, please join us tomorrow and Monday and every Sunday and Monday. The telephone line, the main number is area code 425-436-6260. Again, that's area code 425-436-6260. The access code is 946-7441-POUND, 946-7441-POUND. We'd love to have you with us and be a regular part of our family of light during this divine service work. So I thank you once again for your service this afternoon. We want to thank Tarn Rama for their divine service as well. And of course, as always, I thank my sister Rainbow for her service as I pass the talking stick. And again, is blazing with the energies of divine love and divine peace. The amazing frequencies of pink, rose, and gold, and some emerald green in there too. And with all of the assistance of the entire company of heaven, all of the assistance of every elemental on the earth, I pass this talking stick to you, Rainbird. Thank you so much. Much love and peace to all. May peace prevail on earth. All yours, Rainbird.
Okay. Well, I'm going to talk to you after. May peace prevail on earth. Thank you, Cheryl, for that talking stick. And so I'm here to do the house setting. I mean, <laughs> the housekeeping, as we are listening to support radio program. It's all of that make it happen. And this week, we need $300 for the radio. Um, and then other expenses for Tara and Lama. So with, for the radio, go to your heart space, see what it is to give, and then go, BB, go to bbsradio.com and click on Radio Station 2, and you'll see the, the menu there. And our shows are on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And so at 6 o'clock hour on Thursdays, you see the icon for the program, A Night at the Roundtable with the panel. And as you click on that icon, you'll be taken directly to our account with PBS Radio. So there you can make a donation in any now. And then that's also true with a Friday program at the 6 o'clock hour all Pacific time. And uh, it's the, the hard news with Tara and Rama on Friday night. And that's the program. Click on that icon and you'll go to our account there. And then, of course, this program today at the 1.30 uh, hour is True History, History, and the Sarah, like Galactic Origins. You can click on that icon. So thank you for taking that action. You only need to click on one, and we are so grateful that you are contributing in a regular way. So, so much gratitude. And, um, yeah, so we need 300 this week, if that means they're caught up, as they know. And um, we like to stay present. That that bill is due on Monday, so we like to have that in a timely way. So thank you for taking that action. Lots of gratitude. They were also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs, and this week they really need um, spending money for toilet paper and such, the very basic. And so they need $300 to cover those, and that covers gas and litter and expenses. So that, that covers a lot. And then they also have two bills that are due, and they need $300 to cover that. So... It's a $300 day all the way around. <laughs> Here's how we make a contribution to Tara and Lama. You want to go to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, click on the menu, and you'll see a donate link at the bottom of that list. Click on that. That'll link you to Rama's PayPal account. And there you can make a donation using your bank card. In any amount. So thank you for your generosity and repetitiveness. <laughs> so lots of gratitude for your assistance. And, um, if, oh yeah, if you have your own PayPal account, you can, um, connect to the friends option by using Mama's email there instead of the Rainbow Roundtable commercial setup and so that email address for Rama is Koran K O R A N nine 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 that's four nine at hotmail dot com. And that's another way to link to that account. So either way is perfect, but grateful for your contributions and so much gratitude for your participation being with us. So we're also need to know that as we send something 
to Rama to let him know and when you sent it, how much you sent, so he can plan accordingly. And I can let you know that the uh, the, the personal donations for his li- the living expenses really needs to be immediate, as they need gas right away and and uh, you know toilet paper. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, let them know that you sent something, and then if you need it, the um, mailing address is as follows: and it's Ram D Brookowitz, R A M D Brookowitz. B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. And the zip code in Santa Cruz, New Mexico is 87567. 87567. So there you have it, all the information. And I also want to give you the um, place to go for free mark. I <clears throat> We've been working with new gen thanks to Bill inspiring us and Micah helping out to get us in the button and say, take a look at this. And I, I realize that anybody who has an account with Primark already has a, a new gen account for that cryptocurrency that is based on liquid assets. So lots of uh, reasons to enjoy that option. So here's the, the address for Primark. HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash www.shopfreemart.com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M. And that's the address you want to go to to uh, check it out, look around, and set up your own account from there. So, um, yeah, also the uh, new gen address it will be, it is as follows, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash and www.newgencoin.com so that's N-U-G-E-N and then coin C-O-I-N dot com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M and and if you look at your own account you'll find this a similar um, setup Um, as they have gone ahead and done that so check it out so there you go. That's all the news that matters from here. <laughs> Lots of gratitude for all your contributions. Thank you so much. So King, thank you. Honey in the heart. And I'm passing this talking stick. And it definitely has those divine energies of, of uh, peace and and grace and all those beautiful energies of the elementals. So Greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick, complete with all the fairies and feathers and the little people, the gnomes, men, and humans, and the little ones. Greetings. Here it comes. Greetings. Greetings. All you commanders, eagles, and angels. Thank you for being here. We are so grateful. And thank you, Cheryl, and thank you, uh, Rainbird, and thank you, BBS Radio, for all of us being here to be able to do this every week. And thank you for all the help, and we're still needing help to get basics. Well, one of the specific things is Rama needs uh, some ink, and... He only needs one. He needs the blue. 
but they don't sell it singularly. So he's got to buy all three and blue, red, and yellow in a package, and it's almost $50. So that's an outstanding bill so that we can print things. And I wanted to just make that point. And um, um, we were able to pay some of the bills, but we still have two more. And on Monday, we owe BBS Radio. Uh, and so that's where we are. <laughs> and um, there, Penny's been sending us tons of stuff. And we're going to be listening to Amanda Ellis today. She put another one out on the 1st of March. There are some things we want to say when it, we haven't heard it specifically, but we've been, uh, given some clues that there are some things that are questionable. And as we get there and we hear it, we will stop the, uh, recording and make some comments as necessary. All of this being said, I'll just, let's just say that Rama got quite a good message today. Don't you think, Ram? Don't you think you got a good message today? Yes. Do you want to share it? Um, I got to hear Ray McGovern and a group of retired employees of Los Alamos Labs and whistleblowers because they've been there for decades and as we all know Los Alamos uh, uh, I could just say read the book Buddha in Red Face is a good way to in understand and interpret what is being played out here with the story on the planet that, as I keep saying, you know, and um, as Tara said, no nukes. And these folks came together with Ray McGovern and the Veterans for Peace, and they talked about how Los Alamos was the secret city, as it was named back in the, 40s as they were developing the two bombs, Batman and Little Boy, to drop on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And these whistleblowers, uh, former employees, along with the vets, talked about how Robert J. Oppenheimer and Albert Einstein in this story also, he escaped from Nazi Germany and he knew the whole equation, yet he didn't really talk about it. And um, spooky, uh, spooky science are at a distance. They are talking about the opening of wormholes and portals. And I digress, but today these folks talked about the imminent 
threat they're playing with on the lamestream media and the other stories out there about, you know, nukes. And all these folks basically said nuclear war is inconceivable. And at the same time, the Galactics are here. I got a text message from Tom the Cat that said Astar is here. There are legions upon legions, fleets upon fleets of angels and craft in our skies, even though we may or may not see them. And uh, I got to say, like Dr. Greer has said, they're not going to allow this planet to be destroyed, but they are playing with stuff. And like Omina talked about on Thursday, what we are all going through, vicarious trauma. And the mainstream media, I uh, have to call them out and say that they are pushing the vicarious trauma across the planet. And, you know, turn it off, tune into nature, listen to Amanda Ellis that we got here, because it, it is the higher wisdom. And, um, and also you were told by, I mean, you heard a radio show. Do you want me to read this? Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, Oppenheimer knew the destruction of what nuclear bombs could do, and it kind of drove him crazy. And in the middle of this story, I don't know if this was in the 40s or the 50s, I think it was in the 50s, the Rosenbergs were tried, convicted, and executed in this country for selling nuclear secrets, quote-unquote, to the Russians, but they didn't do that. They didn't do that. No. This is the deep stake. This is how deep the story goes. 13,000 years. And Kazaria, 13,000 years ago, Babylon, you know, the Anunnaki, mother's fallen angel, wayward children, were playing with this control stuff and the false matrix grid to control us all. This is how deep the story goes. You're not going to hear that on mainstream media. You might hear it on ancient aliens, and even they twist it too. i got to say, Hollywood is Hollywood, and the CIA are in bed with Hollywood. Uh, see, at this point, this is very criminal activity because the media is not telling the truth. No. And so we got to send good vibrations to the situation because those that are reporting the media, they have overlords, and if they don't do what they're told... Goodbye. Well... We're just going to have to say that we're going to have to do something to mitigate this because it's the CEOs of all the different media corporations that are guilty. And it bring, comes back to the simple fact that we never needed to touch one drop of oil. The energy is right out of the ether, ether, as Mr. Kent. 
Tesh talks about, Nikola Tesla talked about it, and um, I'll bring it up again. He worked with Mark Twain, and Mark Twain experienced the plasma energy, and that stuff doesn't really get talked about, but it, it is about the radiant energy of who and what we are and the false ideologies about false gods, we are all one here as a reflection of the one called the sun. And I pass the talking stick. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're coming into a period of time that's very dangerous. It is. And... Um, we were told, and I'll just read this because Rama did pretty accurately. We are um, not going to have Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, even though they're playing with it. Well, you got to tell people what that is. Oh, it's a movie with Mel Gibson and Tina Turner, and it's a sci-fi dystopian uh, story about the destruction of civilization and people running around killing each other like this and nuclear, nuclear. radiation on the planet and mutated yeah. folks, enough zombie stories. Blaze of Violet Fire. Okay, so this is what Rama has given me to write, and I'll pass it on to everyone. I heard Ray McGovern, a, a group of Los Alamos whistleblower employees, and a group of veterinarians for vets. peace. Vets for peace. Veterinarians. Vet, vets. I'm sorry. Veterans for peace. Some Spe of them could have been veterinarians too. <laughs> <laughs> Speak on a radio show called New Perspectives. They all talked about Los Alamos Labs and how it was during World War II. It was called the Secret City. Because Los Alamos Labs at that time was building the two nuclear bombs, Fat Man and Little Boy, that the United States dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan, respectively. At this point, Ray and all of the others said, it is inconceivable to think about nuclear war. Uh, and then Ray at this point, Ray McGovern at this point, piped up and said on the air, our galactic friends are here. And then he went on and said, and Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton are guilty of high treason for using the Clinton Foundation monies, which were supposed to be used for charitable efforts. They used that money to support the deep state instead and funded defense contractors to build weapons of war for the agenda of the elites, meaning uh, killing people in Yemen, Syria, Syria, Libya. They used the money that people sent them for charitable purpose for war to kill people rather than by and for the will of the people. Then Tom the Ringtailed Cat sent me a text message. He said to me, Lord Rama, the captain is here 
And he has fleets upon fleets of angels in our atmosphere and on the ground. All we are saying is give peace a chance. Satnam Namaste, blaze the violet fire. So that's the word. Um, there is so much other news going on. Oh my goodness. Uh, they didn't even put the uh, Politics Nation logo up there for Al Sharpton to do a show today. They only have uh, Yasmin Vasugian and she had the, first, the two hours before him and they didn't, didn't put it up there. I'm just going to say everybody's got their brains screwed. I'm a little funny these days. Uh, <laughs> um, I will say that some Russian troops surrendering sabotaging vehicles rather than fighting. In other words, they're not, they're not willing to fight. Um, and, um, the, the, the city of Kyiv, K-Y-I-V, you pronounce it Kyiv, is 40 kilometers in diameter. And it's got three, over three million people living there in 40 kilometers. And I am a U.S. citizen, and so kilometers. Uh, I, I think that's only 20 square miles, uh, uh, sort of. A little less than that because I think there's, or a little more than that because I think there's 2.2 kilometers per mile. Isn't that right? I Caddy, Randy, all you Canucks sure. up there, Micah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that's a pretty small city, uh, even though 1. it's got some, what, Rainbird? It's 1.6, 2.2 kilometers, I mean, a kilogram. You want 1.6 kilometers per mile. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Okay, so 1.6 kilometers per mile. Okay. Um I still can't figure it out. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> uh, oh, okay. So that's less miles than I can say because 40 kilometers would be, you know, um, so it's less than 20 miles square. Let's just put it that way. A bit less, to say the least. Maybe about 16, 17 square miles. That's not very much for 3 million people, everybody. And they're using the underground tunnels they have under there for the trains and the, you know, all of that. They're using that for bomb shelters. 
And I'm just saying this is unconscionable what's going on here. And uh, there's an article that Penny sent us, and it's called Order Out of Chaos, How the Ukraine Conflict is Designed to Benefit Globalists. This is the same reason that Hillary and Bill need to be charged with high treason. Along with Mr. Trump and the rest. Yeah, that's true, but um, that's going to be handled as it's going to be handled. The vile thing about about Trump is that he violently raped and murdered a 12-year-old. And that's not okay. And it doesn't get talked about. That's the most hyenas thing I can imagine doing. Okay, within and there's footage. I'm not sure they're going to show it, but it's got to be brought out. Okay, within the next couple of months, it is likely that there will be direct United States military involvement in Ukraine. With Russia now openly supporting... Who's there? Penny, you're online too. Okay, I'm Yeah, yes, yeah yes. I'm phoning to tell you that 40 kilometers is 25 miles. Oh. Just so, you know, it's... <laughs> I can't stand it. It's 24.8548 if you really want the down to the granular nitty-gritty. Say 25 <laughs> miles. Okay, Penny, and if you want to say some more things, because you did a lot of study, and I couldn't repeat what you studied, and maybe you could comment and say something for people to learn about the hard news today. What, 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 what which part? Which part? <laughs> um, did you talk, I, I was trying to get Dawn, and I called the wrong number, so I, I, I missed a couple of three minutes there. Have you told them about the, the message from the Embassy of the Russian Federation in Canada? No, go ahead and say that. Ooh, can I read the whole thing? It's not very long. Um, sure. This is to um, the heading that this came through um, uh, Telegram um, from a site called Real Canadian News, and this is what they sent. And the, and the heading of the article was, Canada knows exactly what Russia is doing in Ukraine. And this comes from the Embassy of the Russian Federation in Canada, was sent out on March the 1st, and this is an an embassy statement. Russia continues its special military operation to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. The Russian army does not occupy Ukrainian territory and takes all measures to preserve the lives and safety of civilians. And in fact, I think you just said that, right? They were... um, the, they, what was it the, the soldiers were doing rather than fight? Oh, sabotaging vehicles rather than fighting. Uh, so anyway, the strikes are targeting military facilities only, being carried out with exclusively with high-precision weapons. And um, my resident expert says that, you know, there's, there's weapons that um, they kind of make things implode so they stuff doesn't get out. I don't know how you can do that. If you're going to have an explosion, I don't know how that works. But at any rate, there are weapons apparently that don't let things fly around in the atmosphere. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not an expert. I don't even know how to load a gun. So there we are. 
yeah, right. um, here, and they go on. We are witnessing an unprecedented wave of lies, fake news, distorted and fabricated facts aimed at discrediting our actions. Goebbels-style Western propaganda was predictable. It cannot be trusted. The public in Canada should understand that. The truth is different. Crimes against humanity and violations of international humanitarian law are committed by the armed forces of Ukraine and such neo-Nazi groups as Azov, A-Z-O-V, another group is called Right Sector, and others. The multiple evidence is available on open sources. And um, I know that I sent you and and, um, the people on my list the document about this Azov group running um, so-called summer camps in the forest for Ukrainian children and that this uh, whole operation was studied and reported on by a Ukrainian writer in the Ukrainian mainstream news in the summer or the fall of 2016. So it wasn't, it's not a recent document, it's a, it's a few years old. And uh, that's what they were doing. They were teaching the kids how to use guns and um, indoctr- basically indoctrinating them. It's, it's, it's quite a, a sickening story. Going back to what the embassy sent out, the Ukrainian side is deploying multiple launch rocket systems and artillery in the courtyards of residential buildings, hospitals, schools, and kindergartens. The armed forces of Ukraine, nationalist and neo-Nazi groups, use civilian infrastructure and population as human shields. I, I just want to go back to that sentence before because... Um, I think what they're saying is that the Ukrainian is firing their uh, uh, rocket systems from the courtyards. They're not firing it into the courtyards, but they're in the courtyards firing it outwards. In other words, if if um, uh, um, the Russian forces shot back, they'd be hitting houses, homes, hospitals, and so on. <clears throat> Anyway, next paragraph. It is essential to understand the rationale behind these actions. The Ukrainian authorities and its Western patrons are committing monstrous and inhuman provocations in order to put all the blame on Russia. In fact, the full uh, responsibility for the destruction and innocent victims lies with the regime in Kiev. The Russian army is fighting neither Ukraine nor the Ukrainians. The The tasks to clear Ukraine of Nazism and to demilitarize it will be accomplished. Those responsible for genocide, an eight-years-long war and eight-year-long war started by Kiev against its own people, silently watched and frequently encouraged by the West, will be brought to justice. Russia is not starting wars. Russia is ending them. And, of course, um, we've, since last night, I think we've learned a lot more about the, the background to all of this, too. And we, and we know, for example, that um, Mr. Cash has talked about the uh, antagonism between the Russian Orthodox Church and the Vatican, which the Vatican has just lost. So uh, we know about that. And then, of course, um, I have, I sent all that other material out um, to you um, about the person. Uh, the one article by Professor Roderick Tombley, 
the war between Russia and Ukraine has been brewing since 1991, and his headings are going, there is a clear danger of repeating the mistakes of the past in isolating countries from international life. The dangerous mentality prevailing today at the State and Defense Departments in the U.S., NATO as a substitute to the United Nations, um, and why the beleaguered Russia is in a position similar to defeated Germany in the 1930s, the growing influence of neocons or neoconservatives in the U.S. foreign policy, and the coup that overthrew the Ukrainian government in 2014, which involved the notorious Secretary of State for European Affairs, Victoria Nuland. We've been around that one before. And um, the war between Russia and Ukraine is to a large extent a response to the progressive military encirclement of NATO of Russia by NATO, uh, and those are those are the things that those are the headings that he discusses in his his paper that um, I send out at one point. So we know those things, uh, and the and the agreement. There was one of the pieces I saw off the French off of a French site, uh, and I I don't know how to get the video down, so I can't send it to you. <clears throat> it was all in French, of course, and and. Uh, the colonel who was talking, the military, the, the ex-military, French military guy, he went off script totally and said it uh, had nothing to do with Russia. You know, that the, the NATO was goading Russia by forcing, you know, by uh, encouraging, if I want to use that word, encouraging the countries around that part of Russia to join NATO. And that, that was distinctly against the, um, the agreements that had been arrived at the end of World War II that NATO would not do that sort of thing. And so NATO's, I guess, as he says, NATO's been looking for a purpose ever since uh, the end of the war, and uh, they found it now in trying to uh, destabilize Russia. So anyway, and uh, there's one, yeah, okay, that's, uh, yeah, it's called, um, I've, I may have to send this out again, the one, the, the Ukraine's neo-Nazi summer camp, military for young children. I might have to um, send that out again. And we know that the United States Embassy is, has been scrubbing the existence of U.S. bioweapon labs in the Ukraine as he orders the military to seek and destroy. Well, they've already done a lot of that. And uh, the listing of the biolabs is in this document and that um, the United States Embassy, and um, not in this article I sent, but another one, you can see pictures, of soldiers burning stuff in the backyard, so and there and and they have assumed, of course, that it mm. was um, the biolab, the biolab information that was being burnt. And there's pictures of it being done. So anyway, oh. yeah, there's all this kind of stuff. So they were and they were doing uh, biological experiments on the Ukrainian soldiers. But I think the other point is that these biolabs were very much connected to Dr. Fauci and all the rest that's going on with COVID and other um, uh, diseases and, and conditions that they wanted to spread across the world. So these are not innocent little things, and um, Ukraine is not, you know, not a victim here. Ukraine was actively involved with Hunter Biden and, yeah, Hunter Biden and his dad, um, and I just finished sending you that too. So 
yeah, so none of the, the the Ukrainians are 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 have really asked for everything that's happened to them. But that's only the now the neo Nazi Ukrainians. That may not be the ordinary people. So I don't know how much the ordinary people know. But anyway, that's if there's anything else, that's a that's a good rant for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think about the Donbach. Donbass. Mm-hmm. And I know that the Ukrainian heads of government before Zelensky, I'm not just talking about him, but since 2014 in particular, they have been killing and saying that Russia was doing it. Since back in 2014, they've been killing the Russian people in that area. The Russian Ukrainians. Yeah, the Russian Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. They've been killing the Russian Ukrainians, yes. Yes, Mm-hmm. And that's another reason why I believe that the uh, Donbass people, uh, and I mean, there's a lot more Russian speaking, you know, Russian origin people in that area right on the border with Russia. So they went, when they evacuated, they went to Russia. And they're still there. Mm-hmm. And they're not. They're not coming back because their relatives right. and whole families live there. Mm-hmm. And so- well, and I and I, I I don't know how much to make of this because uh, it, it's it's it would be a detailed discussion. But this video that you're we're going to listen to today, Amanda Ellis one, and her reference to um, this uh, to uh, Johnny Harris. Um, I don't know how much of what Johnny Harris says is is really is really true because from what we've described or discussed before, that Kazaria, uh, the area in the mountains there, was surrounded by the then Russia and other countries around Russia, and this is back in the 800s, in the middle of the 800s, because the Kazarians were raping, pillaging, stealing killing and doing all kinds of nasty stuff and so the, the smaller countries as i understand what we've been we've talked about they went to russia who was the biggest boy on, in the family and said let's stop these guys and so they did and uh, and of course the kazarians who became the ukrainians according to john uh, well he didn't even say that, that. he's saying that the um um Ukraine is a, is a, is a, is a central part of Russia. In fact, he's saying that Ukraine is the place that Russia grew from. It is, in fact, the core part of Russia. And I don't know whether that's true or not, because I don't know enough history at all to know about that. Because from the story we had before, it sounds like um, the, Khazar, the Khazarian area was... Uh, Kazaria. It wasn't Russia. Russia was outside of Kazaria because otherwise, how could you go to Russia to get help to keep the Kazarians under control? So I don't know how that exactly works out. I have to go and do some more research. Uh, uh, Penny, if I could make a comment, I remember that um, the Kazarians, uh, this is history, it's not politics. Uh, we were, we we read about this maybe ten years ago, you know. But yeah, Kaz- it's been a while. The Kazarians or origins were in the southern 
portion Caucasus Mountains. of the Southern Caucasus. Well, the Caucasus Mountains, which are located in the southern part of Russia. So that changes everything because Ukraine, this person's saying Ukraine, and Ukraine's not the Caucasus Mountains at all. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, and, and that was a historical uh, documented statement. So I'm a little confused by what Johnny Harris is saying here. Yes, yes, I am too. And, uh, and, and you can listen to what he has to say, but what's also important in this is seeing the maps that he's got. So it and, seems and to me, I just, I just had a revelation. You know, we've seen those maps of Palestine and, um, you've seen them since 1948 when Palestine, and, and you've seen them where the size of Palestine diminishes and diminishes and diminishes as the Israelis go in and go in and go in. And, yeah. and that's what I, I have, I had just had a fleeting sense of that kind of thing happening from the maps that he was using. So I, what you need to really, here's where we could use Stephen Cohen, you know, we could really use Stephen Cohen right now to help. Um, help us understand all of this because and I'm course, confused. We all know that the, and of course we all know now why the deep state murdered him. Yeah. They basically yes. murdered yes. him by giving him the a really bad case of cancer that killed him. Yeah. Yeah, well it was a preemptive strike because had he had he been here, we would know the answers to everything right now. <laughs> or we would have a damn good idea anyway. Yeah, and his wife is, I mean, she looks like she's seen a ghost because she yep. knows they killed her husband and, you know, she could be next. Yes, yes, because she knows, she knows, well, she won't know as much as him, but she'll have a darn good handle on it. Yeah. Well, see, she's been the uh, uh, chief editor of the Nation magazine for, I don't know, a long time, 25, 30 mm-hmm. years. And so, she, yep. and that's the best magazine that tells the truth out there, period. Mm-hmm. And so, she, well. she's, she's a very uh, courageous human being when she comes mm-hmm. on the air and speaks. She's been on uh, Amy Goodman lately, a couple, two, mm-hmm. three times. And I just, you know, it's, I'm just saying that it's, it's a dedication that keeps her going because she knows that the truth has got to be revealed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so anyway, so that's that's uh, that's a whole big subject, and and maybe we'll you know, and, and I don't know, maybe I don't think maybe it will uh, come out clearly in in good time. And um, Mr. Cashier said not to worry about it. You know, it'll sort itself out. And if they really do want to push the nuclear, it doesn't matter which way things go in a sense, even though this sounds a weird thing to say, we've got help upstairs. And if the minute somebody tries to pull a trigger, they're going to disappear off the face of the planet. You know, So we know we have help. And it's just how far can you push it without actually throwing people over the cliff? So, um, Yeah, I'm going to know. maybe... Maybe say it the way that we heard it from Rama's three white knights. They're not going to disappear. We're going to watch them be boarded on the starships 
of Mother Segment starships, and they are going to be taken to Dracos, and everybody's going to see the whole thing. And we're also going mm-hmm. to see the uh, trial. Well, I didn't thing. literally mean that, pushing over a cliff. I was just thinking, how far can they go without actually pulling a trigger? You know, oh, what yeah. would they have to, what would they do where the, where Ashtar would say, right, that's it, you know, come back here, Valma. Yeah, we, <laughs> you've gone far enough. Well, <laughs> how today, far would we go? Well, today in the report, Rama's, uh, friend Tom the Ringtail Cat said that Ashtar's here. In other words, they're going to make sure that no nukes happen over there. And and I want to repeat that it won't be Putin that's dropping nukes. It'll be the oligarchs that are agreeing to do it. Meaning meaning the oligarchs. Yeah. And I just, that reminds me of the other thing about the Johnny Harris piece. He doesn't know the difference between uh, Putin and the Kazarian Mafia. He doesn't understand Kazarian Mafia at all. Uh So, yeah, that's the other thing. So all I'm, and that means that Amanda, but she knows she doesn't have a complete picture. She knows it. So, Uh and uh, anyway, she gets points for, for looking and, you know, doing something. But see, there's not that many people that know what we know. That's that's, that's the other thing that's going on. That's true. And you and when you weigh when you weigh what we know as a collective, um, and what we can what help we can get through Rama, we're we're, we're sitting in the catbird seat. <laughs> it's going to take a little while before everybody. Yeah, and it can be a little bit con- disconcerting when we see so much mis misinformation on the mass western media that's really yes that's 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 the real part anyway um can can i can i have the talking stick for another minute sure go because i i wanted to bring up for everybody um because micah mentioned it i think on thursday he mentioned the pfizer the the list of um that they finally, that the Freedom of Information Act uh, on, um, I guess, in the United States, they finally got a listing of the adverse event reports relative to Pfizer. And I, and as I asked you before, I don't know whether uh, he sent you sent you the list of uh, adverse events. Yeah. And uh, I tell you what, this thing, this is enough to make your stomach turn right upside down. Uh, it's like it's just about uh, the person who put this on um, Telegram said it's just they. It seems they've covered everything apart from death, <laughs> and they wanted to keep the information hidden until 2085. And of course, once this information came out between February the 10th and March the 1st, their stock values plummeted, just plummeted. They're in the negative now. So yeah, because. <laughs> This stuff isn't going away. So that was very important information. Um, yeah, so and that uh, came Micah, up. I, I just remember Micah read something on Thursday uh, talking about 9-11 being an inside job. I don't know if that's in that same article or not. Oh, no, it's not. But um, that, that, that was about, that arose out of the comment about um Mr. Putin 
threatening to uh, let go of material on 9-11, and of course that ties into the Kazarian mafias, and that was the article that uh, Micah brought up, the the incredible evil Kazarian mafia, and that was the Veterans Today article uh, way back when, too, and I have it in the files, And, and I know that you and I talked about that once, and we put some notes to it and, and republished I think we put it on the website. I'm not yes. sure. But I know you and I worked on it and uh, you know, were correcting uh, some of the details that we knew at the time that were wrong. I remember oh, that but, very clearly. Like they're trying to talk about 6 million Jews being dead, and that was about it. And that's not the truth of 26 million people altogether. So so 19 million of those 26 million people weren't Jews. They were Romanians. They were um, gypsies. Uh, gypsies and gay people. gay people and people of color. Yes, the, all the people that somebody considered riffraff, right? Yeah. 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 We want mm-hmm. Aryanism. We only want white people. Please. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And going back to... Um, COVID and things of that kind, which is uh, the Pfizer thing led me to, is, uh, again, this uh, this came off of um, Real Canadian News, uh, but it's an article from the nationalpulse.com and was published in uh, June of last year. And it's about Hunter Biden investing in a pandemic firm that collaborating with that Peter Daszak, his his company called Ego Health. Eco Health. I said Ego Health. That too. Yeah, Eco Health um, Alliance and the Wuhan lab. So that's um, another piece of the story. So there was funding that they got from the United States in in the term of millions. So anyway, oh God. I'm going to just say that that's another thing that's really got to come forward somewhere sooner here. Joe Biden ordered 9-11, and Joe Biden and his son went to China and made that deal about that pandemic thing. And they and Joe Biden uh, helped his own son uh, to get uh, to be in uh, Ukraine. I can't remember the title that he got, but... Uh, he was uh, making $50,000 a month to do whatever that title gave him authority to do in there. Well, and here, it, the, it, this, this article, uh, it, the, here's, a head, here's just the summary. It's Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners. That's the name of the company, Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners, an investment firm led by Hunter Biden was a lead financial backer, backer of Metabiota, a pandemic tracking and response firm that has partnered with Peter Daszak, uh, Eco Health, EcoHealth Alliance, and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So um, Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners is an offshoot of Rosemont Capital, an investment fund founded by Biden and John Kerry's stepson in 2009. And that company or uh, capital fund counted Biden as a managing director. So they have all, um, among the companies listed on archived versions of the firm's portfolio is Meta Beata, 
M-E-T-A-B-I-O-T-A, a San Francisco-based company that purports to track, to detect, track, and analyze emerging infectious diseases the National Pulse can reveal. And then in the end, of course, um, this group didn't do what it was supposed to do anyway. And uh, they, they, started, they started practicing how to do it in Africa and uh, didn't help very much in Africa in the 2014 Ebola outbreak. So, yeah. So all of that, uh, everything's in... Well, uh, we know, every, we know that the, the Ebola virus was designed and McTurtle's wife, her father, had a shipping as a shipping magnet, shipped the virus over there to Africa. So they have that Mr. McTurtle and his wife are guilty of murder, genocide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, and then, Mr. and that means that the Bidens would have known exactly what was going on as well, too. So, yeah, it's all connected behind the scenes. Yeah. And I mean, um, Hunter was making $50,000 a month for a, uh, about five years. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about that's that. A nice, that's a nice living. <laughs> that's a very nice living. Yeah. But anyway, the deal over there in uh, in China that you're mentioning has something to do with the Rosemont Seneca and Technology Partners firm. And you said Hunter Biden and John Kerry's who is nephew or what? No, it was John Kerry's, uh, um, so, so the Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners are an offshoot of an investment fund called Rosemont Capital. And it's an investment fund that Biden founded along with John Kerry's stepson in 2009. So John Kerry's stepson. So that's a Biden and a Kerry. And uh, then, and and Biden himself, senior. Well, I guess it's Biden, senior, was a managing director. Yeah. So, anyway, Are you I don't sure know whether it managing. It, it might have been Hunter that was that instead of Biden, senior. Yeah, it might have. It's not clear in the way the sentence is written. So you don't want to so get the English you... teacher in me going. So, uh, Penny, what's the name of the article that you're reading from? It's called Hunter Biden Invested in a Pandemic Firm Collaborating with Desax, EcoHealth, and the Wuhan Lab. It's put out by National Pulse. And I, uh, I've sent it to you already, and I'll send oh. it out as part of my um, gifts to the list. That'll be one of my gifts to the list. Okay. Penny, thank you. I mean, uh, what we do know after you've said all that is that the Biden family are big criminals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We do know. Yes. And something's got to give about this. And the media are telling the lies that the president wants to be told, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, and there's, yeah, I've come across some other articles about, uh, we know that the, the um, or we're aware that the media is working in cahoots, but I found uh, 
I found an article just this afternoon about how that actually works, you know. And that was, oh, that was the one about him um, buying, um, paying for things. I don't know where I put that, but I've got it. So anyway, that uh, all how all the stuff gets paid for. Very interesting. I found another one which made me laugh. You know who Michael McFall is, right? He was one of uh, the United States' um, ambassadors. I think, wasn't he the ambassador in um, Libya at one point? Oh. Remember that? I think so. Anyway, um, here's uh, – I found this on – well, I didn't find it on Facebook directly. That's where it came from. Um, and so Michael McFall puts out a tweet. And it's called IR International Relationships. Okay, this is the IR 101 final exam question. And this, he put this out on the 22nd of February. If country X sends soldiers into t- and tanks into country Y without an invitation, what is that called? And so, and then there's a person called um, John Stokes who puts up the answer. Oh. That's a very easy question, depending on the country. If it is Russia, then it is definitely an invasion. Examples, Georgia, Ukraine. If it is the U.S., it is a liberation. Examples, Iraq, Syria, Libya, Panama, Cuba, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia. (laughs) It's just hilarious. (laughs) And right to the point. (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, yeah. And that was on a website that... Penny, I just looked up in my notes. Michael McFall is the former United States ambassador to Russia. Oh, that's right, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, anyway, he was was trying to get the right answer, and he didn't get it from the person who put the question in. And here's one that you mentioned before. I found this on uh, Telegram. But uh, it originally came from a Facebook, and I've seen it a couple of times now. Uh, Rush, and it's a, a picture of Mr. Putin with his, av- no, he doesn't wear aviator glasses like Mr. Biden. He wears more squarish one. And it says, uh, Putin threatens to release satellite evidence of 9-11. And then the smaller print says, Putin is going to hit once, but he's going to hit hard. Russia is preparing the release of evidence of the involvement of the U.S. government in intelligence services in the September 11th attacks. The evidence will be so convincing that it utterly debunks the official 9-11 cover story supported by the U.S. government. The list that's of evidence... In, that's what Micah was reading. That's what Micah was reading on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a small picture. Um and so, and then the, the, the list of evidence includes conclusive satellite images. And that's all there is. Um, but when I went back to the site, um, I saw some, in, I saw Trudeau and Macron hugging each other. There was a bigger picture beside this one. There was another picture. And there was Macron and, Macron and uh, Trudeau hugging each other. So I don't know what the heck was going on there, but uh, it looked funny. So anyway... Penny, you know, yeah. this is it. This is really it, you know, because I just remember way back at the time of 9-11 that I don't remember who told us this. Um, that gentleman, Rama, what's his name, that 
he was he worked for PBS all these years and he called you up and he told you he had throat cancer and he interviewed Joseph Campbell for three years. Oh, uh, that's Bill Moyer. Bill, Bill Moyer. Moyers. Yeah, and he was uh Bill Moyers was part of the uh Council on Foreign Relations the whole time. What did you say, Rama? Is he, uh, did he go over the rainbow? I don't know, cause you never heard anything after that. You just, you just heard that he had the cancer, but you never, they never yeah. said anything about announcing anything on the air or anything. He just kinda, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he went into remission, but that really, that person had a heart. Uh, and I don't know if he's alive or not. I have a feeling he might not be. I'll have but, to look it up when we're finished. I'll check. I'll check it out and see what yeah. I can find out. Yeah. Anyhow, but, uh, that's my report. <laughs> yes. And I was just going to say because those those stories that Bill Moyers was interest, interviewing Joseph Campbell about on PBS for three years, I mean, that tells so much. It tells so much. It's not Harry Ferry. It's telling the, it's the hero's journey. journey. That's right. The hero's journey. And And people tend to think of myth as, as another word for fiction and, and also assume that fiction cannot carry truth because it's fiction, quote unquote. But all of those assumptions are completely inaccurate. Completely. So. Yeah, the true, what, what, what would you say the true definition of a myth is? It's just something we're not, we weren't there for, but doesn't mean it wasn't true. It's just something that we heard through being passed on like stories, right? Well, it's, it's an attempt to explain something too. It's something that grows up in a, in a community or a society that's an attempt to explain something. And um, it's uh, and and it's it's coming not from intellectuals as a written thing. It's coming from the people as remembered. It's something that's remembered, as opposed to created deliberately. You know, to be a written record. It's it's the collective memory of of a people. And um, there's always a kernel of truth in it. I was reading. Just the other, I was going through my, the latest Freddie Silva book that I have, which is about pre-civilizations. And, um, he talks about, he gets the best answers from, um, the people just talking to the ordinary people and listening to them tell the stories of what they've learned from their ancestors, right? So, and, and I'm, and I was in the book because we had been talking about Gobekli Tepe. Um, was it last week or the week before we talked about Gobekli Go Tepe? I can't remember which week. But anyway, he 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 uses as his source. He takes as his source um, the the indigenous people or the old people in any community he goes into, as opposed to say the museum or um, the museums and the official recorders. Because, um, right, because those people were there and they remember and they just got to tell their story. 
Well, they they heard them from their ancestors, and in, in the indigenous tribes, there's always somebody who's reported to re, whose whose work it is is to remember those stories. That's their job, you know. They, right, they're, and, if and, want, and so so the older people they heard those stories from their parents and their grandparents, and the younger children don't know anything unless those grandparents and those parents and the that they pass the stories on to the kids. And uh, in the last 50 years, for sure, that stopped happening, you know? <sighs> yeah. Well, in, and in, in the tribes, it'll be the shaman, and sometimes the shaman is a man, and sometimes the shaman is a woman. That's and in right. some tribes, it will be the grandmothers that remember the stories, and whose specific, whose specific role it is is to remember so they must spend a lot of time in meditation and contemplation in order to uh, access the Akash for, for their own tribe and remember those stories and then pass them on. I mean, that's what Buddha in Red Face is about too, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, boy, it sure is. Although the... Yeah. Uh, who authored You can that? call that a myth if you want to, to get back to your original question. I know that the author literally went to China and walked a thousand miles from China to India. I know he did mm -hmm. that in the physical, and he didn't do that just to walk. He did it to talk to people along the way that yeah. knew stories. That's what he did. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was, I think he was a Pueblo Native American. Yeah. The author. Yes, he was. Yeah. So that's East meets West, too, you know, Indian teachings and uh, Kuan Yin teachings, China, and Native, American. and Native American. Wow. That's very rich material. Mm -hmm. Well, Penny, I appreciate uh, the update. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good. Okay, you're welcome. Yes, and so it's four thirty. We've we've talked a lot. My goodness. Yes, so we will get on here with our sister um, Amanda Ellis. Yes, that would be a good idea. Okay, okay. Bye yes. for now. Namaste. Bye for now. Namaste. Okay. Um, tell us the title, Rama. Uh, this is Putin Zelensky update. Bye. Violet pill, nuclear threat. We are the deterrent. Okay, that just leaves more to be desired. What do you? What? 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 Here we go. This is an hour and fifteen minutes, everybody. <laughs> Good morning everyone. How are you doing? This is Amanda. It's the 1st of March and we've got a lot to get through in this video, so we're just going to get straight into it. I will try and put a couple of timestamps to help you navigate through it as well, although I don't intend for this to be a really long one, but you never know. Um, 1st of March, brand new month, um, a Pisces new moon tomorrow on the 2nd. 
yet the world is very dominated energetically at the moment between what is going on in Ukraine and Russia. And we can't get away from that. So I am going to do a further reading on the situation, um, a look at Putin, a look at Zelensky, who is the Ukrainian leader, um, a look at the threat, the nuclear threat that's there at the moment. Um, I would also like to answer a few questions that have come in on the back of a couple of videos that I've done recently, particularly linked into uh, Putin. Um, and I've got some very interesting stuff to share as well. Those of you that have been watching the other videos that I've done linked into this whole situation, there is a real thread running through them. And this is sort of going to make more sense if you've watched the other videos. I will link them down below. Um, because in particular, there are two cards. Two. One is a, uh, they're both oracle cards, actually. And I've got more information with regards to the bear, which we um, kept getting. And I um, initially thought this was the energy of Putin, but I now realize it is the Russian people. I'll talk more on that in a moment. And I've also got something more to share on um, this card, which is about co-creation and sharing space. Um, if you follow me on Instagram and Facebook, you'll know that I've been continuing continuing to talk about this energy of um, shared um, space, co-creation. Um, this is all linked into what is going on at the moment. Um, I would also like to say at the outset that we send our prayers and our light out to our Russian brothers and sisters, our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, and to all people around the world who are feeling um, fear, anxiety, um, or who are having to deal with the actual physical um, implications and consequences of war. I will just say, in case I forget to mention it, because you're going to be probably looking at it through the video, uh, this painting behind me is from the cross-consciousness deck that will be coming out next year that I've been doing with Jane Delaford-Taylor. She's the artist. Um, and it's quite interesting because it obviously shows a lady. Um, it's, she's meant to be a refugee with her baby. And initially, it was going to be the patience card in the deck. Um, but... With everything that's going on in the world, I'm feeling as though the title's going to change and probably it was always going to, meant to be called persecution. Um, so another P, persecution, patience, and then, of course, the third P, which is peace. So I'll be weaving those different narratives in. Um, but absolutely, at the moment in our world, there are people fleeing the conflict in Ukraine. My heart goes out to you. There are also people fleeing, um, some people fleeing from Russia as well because they don't want their sons or daughters to face conscription into the armed forces. Um, there are no winners in war, okay? There are no winners in war. Um, so let's hope that we can bring this to some sort of peaceful resolution over the next few weeks. Um, but we do have this Pisces new moon tomorrow, which feels um, powerful, um, and I want to look at that. Before we go on, though, I would like to take this opportunity to say something further about the community post that I put up on YouTube a couple of days ago um, and also on my social media pages. 
um, about the sickness within our spiritual community. Um, sorry, there's so much to talk about today. I've just got something else I need to write down there. Um, some of you might not have seen it, but I would like to add to what I actually um, said in that post. I'm just going to quickly paraphrase what I wrote because I do think that there's many people that won't have read it and I really think this is important. Um, because I'm just going to read what I wrote. So I said, there is a deep, deep sickness in our spiritual community right now. Maybe we thought that Ascension's clear-out energies didn't apply to us, that we were somehow the ones everybody else was waiting for, arrogantly proclaiming ourselves awake whilst others were still asleep. But Archangel Metatron says today, it is in our spiritual communities where the clean-up is needed the most. This week, which would have been last week, has been a spectacular failure for many so-called leaders amongst us, sowing division, us and them mentality, and bringing in narcissistic traits in making the war all about themselves and how awake they are, um, paying little attention to the to healing the wounds and the darkness that we have within us, which start any war. Just throwing around goody and baddie labels, who started it, justifying it, and letting somebody else's child go off and die to clear out the darkness. Have we forgotten Gandhi's words that were, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind? I'm not sure how we pick ourselves up from this. In times of old, there was a reason why true spiritual people sat in monostatic places to get away from the madness of the outside world. This was a week, and it is now, for us to move out of our ego and into our hearts. Nothing else mattered, just the focus on peace and prayer. Um, I went on to say, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, not all of our spiritual community is tainted, there are still many good people and good teachers in it. But truly discern now who is feeding our ego and our need to be right and those who are calling for us to come together. Um, I also went on to talk about the fact that I've noticed in my own life that when the going gets tough, that expression isn't the, the tough get going, but actually when you look around at people that wouldn't class themselves necessarily as a light worker, or uh, let's just leave it at that, wouldn't class themselves as a light worker. Uh, they are actually the um, the most grounded, the most wise often around us. They don't lose their heads. They keep a cool head. Um, I would like to say a few more things from that in answer to some of the questions that I'm getting in. Firstly, the vast majority of you, I know, get it. Um, but these videos are intended for people that might be finding me for the first time that might be um, lost in other ways. There is something in our community at the moment whereby we find it very hard to find the middle ground on any subject or on any energy. But truly, we need to get to that place. 
So what tends to happen when something like war breaks out is that many people have been saying, well, you can't trust the media, so it has to be fake. It isn't actually happening. They're all crisis actors. If so, there's a hell of a big, um, there's been a big audition for that part because we're talking thousands. This is not what I believe, by the way, but I'm just answering what's out there. Don't believe anything you read in the papers. Now, I am one that is often deeply suspicious of what I read in the media with good um, reason. I think if we look at recent events in our world, we can see that the media often does manipulate. It spins it a certain way. It absolutely pits goodies against baddies. It has its own agenda. But I'm always taken back to a channeling that I did a couple of years ago where I brought through the esteemed journalist and writer, William Steed. Um, he actually died on Titanic. But one of the standout moments from that channeling was I remember him talking about the fact that we must not put everybody into the corner of the manipulator. Not all journalists are inherently bad. There are good journalists out there. Within an industry such as the media, and indeed in any industry, there is light and there is dark. Within the media at the moment, there's a lot of darkness. We know that. I suppose what I'm really trying to say is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are still good guys within the journalism industry. And they are planted, is what I'm hearing, in the right places. So it's all about discernment. We seem to flip from one extreme to the other. And the truth is that there is truth in different pots, okay, in different places, in different people. But don't just assume that everything that you are reading, everything is a lie, because there's an expression, I think it's an expression, or maybe I've tweaked it a little bit, which is along the lines of if you start to believe in nothing, you will fall for anything. And that seems to be what's happening at the moment. Um, the people that are sending my team and me endless emails about this situation between Russia and Ukraine and that we don't understand what's really going on. And haven't you watched this particular YouTube video it's all about clearing out the underground tunnels, child trafficking, all of that, bio labs. Maybe there's a degree of truth to that. I don't know. But I can tell you that in addition to that, if that were true, in addition to that, there is a much bigger um, narrative and story at play and history. And actually, when we look to history, for anything that's going on in our world, not just Ukraine, Russia, but any of the hotspots in our world. We can also look at some of that Israel, Palestine, but any of the hotspots where there have been geographical wars and problems for many, many decades. If you look to history, you'll start to understand why these things are arising again now, because they were never healed. They were never resolved. And if you never heal anything or resolve anything, it's going to keep coming up. 
And I just think there's a part of our spiritual community that wants to place everything under the microscope of certain narratives, totally and utterly disregarding the, the history of places and the reasons why things are happening there also. So this morning, by chance, Metatron led me to a video. And I want to, I'll put the link below. And I'm not saying this is the definitive video because the whole point of doing your research is you need to take your research from different pots. Okay. If you're just taking it from one pot or one newspaper or one YouTuber or one narrative, you will end up with a skewed perspective. But this particular video, it's got about 7 million views. It's also been doing the rounds for a while. By a guy called Johnny Harris. I've no, no idea who Johnny Harris is. It's called The Real Reason Putin is Invading, Invading Ukraine. And he actually looks in quite a lighthearted way, if it can be lighthearted, the, um, the historical background, the breakup of the Soviet Union, um, the mentality, and, and he looks back at some of the speeches that Vladimir Putin has given over decades to try and understand what actually is going on. Now, one of the bits of speech that um, this guy, Johnny, read out today blew my mind because it ties into this card, okay, which is to do with shared space and co-creation. Now, I actually photoshopped um, what, what he was saying because I was just so blown away by it. So here we go. Um, this is what he said. This is what Vladimir Putin said. Um I don't know in what era it was. It certainly wasn't recent. And it's to do with the fact that I'm not trying to justify any of the reasons why this war is happening. I'm just trying to help us understand it from different perspectives. And it's a hell of a lot deeper than just about about some YouTubers saying oh, it's just about them going in to clear certain things out and then they're going to be leaving. You know. Okay, so the quote from Putin is, the USA and Canada live next to each other close in ethnic composition, culture, in fact sharing one language. They remain sovereign states with their own interests, with their own foreign policy, but this does not prevent them from the closest integration or allied relations. They have very conditional, transparent borders, and when crossing them, the citizens feel at home. They create families, study, work, do business, Incidentally, so do millions of those born in Ukraine who now live in Russia. We see them as our own close people. He sees them as his own people. This is all linked into the breakdown of the uh, Soviet Republic or the USSR. Sorry, don't shout me down if I get terms wrong. This is a minefield. Um, but it just gives some understanding um, as to where he's coming from. Um, and one of you, I read your quotes, one of, one of your comments, one of you put a comment, and I thought it was so brilliant, because it's where we all should be, which is a place of humbleness in terms of what we don't know. And this is where history can teach us. History can give us a good perspective in terms of why these things are happening. Um, Somebody said something along the lines of, I, I've basically got to the place 
of having done some research. I've done enough research. What you said is I've done enough research to know that I don't know enough. Okay. That's the truth. I've done enough research to know that I do not know enough. And that takes us back down to the middle path teachings, which is there's going to be um, a story, a narrative, a reason in any war as to why these things escalate. Okay. Um, but our job as light workers is to try to diffuse it and to try to come together as a tribe and remember particularly the teachings of Christ which is linked into learning to love one another as I have loved you. Um, so anything else I wanted to say? Yeah, but please do remember William Steed's words about don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Not everything that you read in every single newspaper or every single news journal around the world is completely 100% tainted. Of course it's not. Because then you're saying that within any industry, there's not some good guys there's good guys within every single industry. They are there for a reason. Do you know, years ago, I, um, even quite recently, I, we still do teach people how to um, integrate and align to Archangel Metatron. And one of the most common questions that we used to get, still do probably, is linked into how can I best serve Metatron? But to Metatron, you could say any of the ascended masters, okay? How can I best serve spirit? Um, and there's often an implication that we have to maybe leave the place where we're working at the moment, particularly if we're working in a corporate arena, that somehow I can't serve spirit if I'm working in some big multinational. And I always used to say to people, a lot of the time it was about you don't actually need to move anywhere, you're actually where you're meant to be. You're exactly where you're meant to be. Because if all the good guys or the people that are aligned to spirit and higher truths and wisdom just abandoned all of these institutions, how do you think that would look? Okay. So the media comes into that as well. And I'll show you how there's always two sides in terms of how you can look at something. And then you just got to discern for yourself but don't jump to the just don't jump to the the narrative and the conclusion that you're holding so tight because it, your ego is invested in it. There was a, a British journalist who went out to Kiev. I've probably pronounced that wrong. Kiev doesn't matter. It's not about how I pronounce words today. Okay, he went out there. I think he's called somebody. Oh, I can't remember what he's called. Anyway, lovely looking guy. I can't remember. I'm not going to switch my camera off. Anyway, I think it was the first day that he was there and he was just on the ground. And he was reporting from, he might have been reporting from, I don't know where he was reporting from, Russia or Ukraine. Anyway, the point was that he he made his broadcast and then at the end of the broadcast, you could just see there was a tear that just started to fall down his cheek. It just, he couldn't hold it in. He didn't burst into tears, but it was like he was so emotional it was like there was this tear that just slid down his cheek and it made the news here in the UK because of his emotional reaction. Two camps, one camp would say, oh my gosh, he's crying because he's seen through the lies and the manipulation and this this is all actually a big act and it isn't actually happening and he can't live with himself, you know, and he's, the tear is because of that, you know, there's just the sense of that, okay? That is what some people think. The other people will be thinking... He's actually crying with emotion in terms of the tragedy of war and what he's witnessing. 
and he's he's overcome with that. You know, it's almost like we've got to a place of madness where we can't see the truth anymore. But the truth, my friends, always lives within your heart. And we have to learn discernment. But we also have to let go of the grip of the ego that just wants to stay with the narrative that we know on both sides of the fence. Remember that comment. I've researched enough to know that I don't actually know enough. Life is a constant journey of learning more and more, but never get too sidetracked just into one particular narrative. I'd also like to say at this point, before I do the cards, that I'm just so proud that on my pages, I've got Ukrainian followers and I've got Russian followers. And I love hearing from you. I love hearing firsthand eyewitness reports in terms of what does the energy in my country feel like? Okay, and that's where you go to those people. These are the people that can tell you the truth as well, all right? Anyway, um, anything else I wanted to say? Uh, I will just say before we do the cards, I'll just keep shuffling them, that um, I believe that anything that is negative at this time in our world, and obviously that includes war and aggression, um, but includes any form of manipulation or just negative energy, okay, um, it, it's going to start backfiring because we are in times when our planet, believe it or not, is ascending. To be perfectly honest, even though the, some of the pictures and what we're reading about is brutal and awful, and my heart goes out to people that are hurt or maimed or, you know, having to move country, etc. There is also this bitter sweetness to these times. I've never seen such an uprising of love, of love. That's the thing. If you've like turned away from the mainstream media because you think it's all a load of bullshit and lies and like, I'm never going to read any of that stuff. You're missing some amazing photographs and pictures that are coming out in the mainstream media. And yes, the mainstream media, massive photographs of massive protests against the war, people standing up for peace. There was um, there was pictures from, I think it was Berlin, thousands of people. It was just extraordinary numbers of people turning out all over the world, standing up for peace and in Moscow and in St. Petersburg. And let's be perfectly frank, you know, you protest in places such as Russia, it's a whole other level in terms of what can happen to you historically, all right? So that takes real balls and guts to do that. And they're turning out in their hundreds, in their thousands. They're defying the uh, the leader of the day, Vladimir Putin. We do not want peace. We, sorry, we do not want war. Interesting slip of the tongue. We do not want, we do not want war, okay? We want peace. Um beautiful you know absolutely extraordinary um so you know i am encouraged by that it gives me me hope because i can feel the energy of this uprising which is worldwide this is the thing when something dark happens in our world there is always a counter reaction and the counter reaction right now is, is people standing up in their thousands saying no not in my name not in my name now, the danger we have right now, of course, is that um, we have a leader who is cornered. And by that, I'm talking about Putin, because I feel 
as though he felt it was going to be very easy. Um, you know, whatever his reasons were, his justification were, his um, perspective in terms of what is still belonging to Russia and should still be with Russia, war is never the answer. But he went in, and he, I think he thought it was going to be very easy. I did say in the video I did about a month ago that this was an unwinnable war for him. Um, I do remember there was a six of um, wands card with the red flag, which normally would be the card of victory. And I think he just went in with that energy of like, I'm hearing victory at all costs, which is the concern at the moment, because he's cornered. Um, but it hasn't been easy. It's not going to be easy. And even if the red flag was put up in the middle of the capital of Ukraine tomorrow and the leader seized, the, you're, never, you're never going to stop the people in Ukraine that want to be separate from wanting to be separate, but wanting to be able to coexist peacefully beside each other. I'm very aware this is a really complicated situation. There's many different um, sides to all of this. But let's just see what we can um, get from the cards today. Um, anything else I want to say before I go on? Um, yeah, I want to just say that we have the Ides of March coming up, which is the 15th of March. Now, interestingly, Julius Caesar, who was another emperor, and uh, Putin came up as the emperor in my last reading. He was taken out on the 15th of March. Um, and usually you, you, you talk about beware the Ides of March. When I actually looked at the history, again, of the Ides of March, um, it seems to be very dualistic because actually there's another interpretation of the Ides of March, which is actually it's signifying the first new moon of this new year. It would have actually been the start of a new year in an old calendar system. So that would be, um, well, the new moon tomorrow is on the 2nd. Let me just see what's happening astrologically on the 15th um, or when the next full moon is. There's a full moon in Virgo on the 18th. I think between now and the 18th of March, we probably have our answer in terms of how this is going to be wrapped up. Um, for Putin and probably for the war, but equally it might straggle on for a few more weeks further. But the actual critical phase feels as though it's within the next 18 days or so between this new moon and the full moon that we've got. Um, I did actually off camera pull some cards from a deck. I'm going to show you what they are. I have to be honest, I was looking at all my decks, I was thinking, what do I use for today? And the mermaid tarot wanted to come out. And I, I must admit, I thought, the mermaid tarot? You know, we're looking at war. What do I need mermaids for? Apologies, I'm not meaning to offend people. You know what I'm like. I get a bit like this at times. It's like it can be a bit too fluffy for me, even though it's a great deck. But the mermaid tarot, anyway, I thought, no, go with it. That's what you've been told to get. So I shuffled off camera and I got these three cards. And I thought, oh, okay, I realised why I had to choose this deck, because the imagery is very, very powerful. The first card that came out was the card of temperance, okay, which is the card of patience. It's also the card of healing. We have to be patient. Healing will come. Interestingly, it came with the moon, but I want to put both moons, okay, the new moon and the full moon. The moon is also what we cannot see. But then we have this card, which is the card of the devil, 
But can you see the devil is captured? The devil is captured, or at least the devil is incapacitated. The devil can't move. The devil is caged. The devil is cornered and caged and cannot do anything. Um, so the message seems to be have patience. The darkness that currently is wanting to sweep into your planet is going to be taken care of. Um, it, I'm also very much looking at the coins here on this devil card. Can you see that? And it reminds me of the 30 pieces of silver that Judas Iscariot got when he had to betray Christ. Um, but as we know, I think most of us know the follow me, Judas Iscariot, of course, was actually the one that loved Christ enough to be able to, for Christ to be able to go on and fulfill his mission, which was about bringing in the energy of rebirth and resurrection. There has to be a baddie for there to be a goodie. This is, this is duality basics. Okay. So whatever this devil energy is and whoever you think the devil energy is, um, is there having got its 30 pieces of silver to try to teach us something, okay, um, for something good to come out of this ultimately, all right? Now, I want to put those cards back into the deck, give them a reshuffle, and I'm going to look at both leaders here. Um, I also just will say something more about this card, the bear, because, yeah, that card I thought was Putin. It's not. It's the Russian people. It's like the Russian people don't have not got the appetite for the fight. That beautiful photograph I put up yesterday on Facebook and Instagram of the captured Russian shot, Russian soldier. Um, his face was just... You didn't even have to write it. If you just looked at the photograph, you could see it all. Basically, he said something along the lines of, I didn't realise I had... I didn't realise I was coming into your country to kill anybody. It's been sold to them as a peacekeeping mission in places. And it was just this look of complete and utter dejection. And I didn't want to kill anybody. I cannot stomach killing my brother. My brother. There's this inherent energy, which is like, when I'm face to face with you, I realise that you are my brother or my sister. You and I are one. Can you see that this dropping of arms is the most um, potent evidence that we've had for years that light is winning. That in the face of war, people are like, I don't want to do this. I want to leave the country rather than have to fight my brother just in, on that strip of land that's been divided by man. Because actually, of course, Mother Earth doesn't really have any borders. But anyway, that's for another day. So this is the Russian people. I, I, I'm in two minds about this. I want to turn back. Do we really have to do this? Because ultimately we want peace beyond survival. These are the cards I've shown you before in other videos. Um, right. Let's have a look. Let's see. Let's firstly have a look at um, Zelensky. Now, let me give him his full name to be respectful. This is the leader of Ukraine. Um and I'm just going in to see what I can see. Um, again, I've seen posts on social media which are painting him completely and utterly almost like with a halo over his head. Um, that's unlikely to be true either. Okay. <laughs> can you see what we do? We flip-flop the whole time. It's like, where's the middle ground? Where is the middle ground? Um, 
He's actually 44, it says. Angelic number, that, 44. He's born on the 25th of January, 1978. 25 is an energy of somebody who actually has got quite a strong analytical mind. Um, for some reason, I want to look at his numerology. Hold on a minute. 25th to the 1st, 1978. 7, 8, 9, 18, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33. He's a 33 master number. Isn't that interesting? I had no idea. I will just redo my maths. But can you see the way spirit works? Like, no, work out his numerology. Okay, hold on. 7, 8, 9, 18, 19, 20, 25. Yeah, I'm right, 33, he's a 33. Okay, well, remember, I'm still sticking by what I said. He still will be a dualistic figure because he can't not be because every single human being on this planet is, including you and me. Um, but he does have the energy of 33. 33 is the, is a, has got a Christ, there's a Christ energy there, okay? Um, let's not do Putin now, let's just do Zelensky. What, what, does, what do you want to say... What, what is the message, Spirit? What's, what message wants to come through with regard to um, this man? Did I say what his name was? Vladimir Zelensky. Okay, so he's quite young, isn't he? He's got a young family, I know that. He's a former actor and comedian. Didn't know that. Right. What do I need to know? What is the message for people? Vladimir Zelensky. <laughs> I was just feeling really hot. It's like, oh, it's hot in here. King of Wands. And the chariot is on the bottom of the deck. He'll go out fighting, is the first thing I'm hearing. Very passionate. Very driven, completely and utterly will protect and defend his country. Um, he's a king. He means business. Um, he's got an orb there. He's carrying an orb of light. His horse. He's got a horse. Yeah, Putin's probably picked the wrong battle with this guy. Um, let me just have a look. Anything, what else to say about this King of Wands? Vladimir Zelensky. Look at that. Yeah, this is personal between him and Putin. Um, it's a shame that they're involving thousands of other people in a personal fight. When I say it's personal, this is past life. There's a past life connection with these two. They have fought duels in previous lives. This is not their first rodeo. I never say things like that. God knows where that just came from. Um... The moon, again, the moon. Um, they have fought till the death before in previous lifetimes. Um, Zelensky is not afraid of Putin, and Putin knows that. Um, it's interesting as well, because I don't want to say who's light and who's dark, because I believe they both have aspects within them. But they have changed, they've changed roles in previous lives okay um if you've watched my violet pill videos you understand what i'm saying um each of these two men putin and Zelensky, 
have had different roles in different lifetimes where they've stood up for what is right and true, and the other one has been battling against that. Um, in this lifetime, it feels as though Zelensky is the one that's standing up for what is right and true. Um, and yeah, look at that. It's just, it's a battle till death. Vladimir Zelensky. What else is there to say? That's Trump. The Queen of Cups. There's a feminine energy around him. I know he's married, but it's more than that. He has a, a divine feminine energy within him, which is more pronounced than Putin. Not that takes much beating, but anyway. Uh, the magician, he's powerful. He's also the emperor. We've got the emperor on the bottom of the deck as well. It's two emperors. It's two emperors. Um, and interestingly here, the emperor in this deck, of course, is Neptune. We've got a Pisces new, new moon tomorrow. Um which is Neptune, you know, Pisces linking into Neptune. Neptune is the god of the sea, Pisces, water, all of that. Um, will, I just want to say, will Zelensky be victorious? Will Zelensky be victorious? The fool... We've got the hanged man on the bottom of the deck. Um, I'm not surprised that they're not giving me a straight answer to that because there's still a lot to play out. Um, things could change literally within the next hour because, you see, you could read that, that he's captured and then starts a new life somewhere else. That new life somewhere else could be off planet. I hope that is not the case. Cancel, clear, delete. I'm just saying that that is one, you know, we're in a war situation. He's got a bounty on his head. He has a bounty on his head. So we have the card of capture, um, but we've also got the card of a, of a new start. Whatever happens to him, whatever happens to him, at a soul level, he is very strong and lives on, is what I want to say. He lives on in terms of the spirit within his people as well. But I'm not saying that has to happen. You know, the hanged man is also the card of... Um, being forced to look at life in a different way. Let me just have one clarification card, please, for the hanged man. Zelensky, will he be victorious? Will he be victorious? It, it, it may also be, and I know this is really hard to say when your country's being invaded, but it could be that the hanged man is there representing the fact that if he could start to see things a little bit from where Putin's coming from in terms of the fact that Putin thinks that this is his land, okay? Whether you agree with that or not, that's what Putin thinks. The page of wands, yeah. Um, the offer, the offer to try to appease him. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to get much more from that deck. Let's just see anything else. Let's have a card for him. Let's have an animal card. These animal cards are quite good, I think. So, Vladimir Zelensky, show me his energy, please, in terms of an animal or an animal totem that is around him or that has something to say to us. Vladimir Zelensky. The stag, yeah. 
you know, the stag, it's like a king of the jungle. It's like, I've got my antlers, <laughs> you know, I will, it's, it's this energy of, I will lock horns. Have you seen two stags when they lock horns and they get this, get all the horns, it's all, the antlers are all, you know, tied together. I, I will, I will lock horns with you. Um, where's the description of the stag? Because again, stag is a very, um, it's obviously a very masculine energy, isn't it? Stag. Hold on. Uh, just see if I can find the page, guys. Here we go. Interestingly, it's right beside the card of the bear in this deck. Um, brings grace, majesty, and integrity. Um, help, helps you to gain and maintain independence. <laughs> wow. Stag related to Baith, the birch tree and the number one, which is linked to the blessing of beginnings. It's auspicious to draw this card when considering new projects. The stag's connection of fertility and sexuality signifies that you will bring dignity, grace, power and integrity into your sexual life. Um, I think the main message for that is linked into independence. So he's, yeah, he's going to stand up for Ukrainian independence. Um, and this, this thing about purification as well. Um, I will just say something about this bear card, which I haven't realized the first time I read on it. This would be uh, linking into the Russian energy. It says, this is a clear warning that you must take care not to be overwhelmed by the ferocious mother or the berserk warrior, by forces of anger and primal ferocity that untempered with the human qualities of compassion and reason can damage not only your own life, but those of others around you. Yeah, they're powerful cards. Right, let's pull an animal card now for Putin. Let's see how he's doing at this moment. Um, let me just try and tune into his energy. It's very fragmented. It's very scattered. Um, it's almost as though when you try and tune into his energy, there's a piece over here, there's a piece there, there's a piece there. It's like trying to pull it all together is quite difficult. Um, yeah, very, very scattered, very fragmented energy. Um, I almost would go as far as to say something like soul fracture has taken place. Um, a few of you asked me about what I'd said about him having galactic heritage and, you know, reporting up to Ashtar, even though I said that I felt that he'd ripped off his badge and wasn't in direct communication with Ashtar at the moment. And people say, well, well, how can he be that? How can he have that type of guide if he's doing this type of stuff? What we have to remember is that we all are linked to God. We all have access to God. We all have guides. All of us have guides. All of us actually have a galactic heritage. All of us have an angelic heritage. And we can choose to either walk away from it and ignore it and switch off the radio signal. That's basically what you're doing. That's what he's done. He's switched off the radio signal. He doesn't want to hear the messages that are coming in. Um so I'm not saying that anybody is better than anybody else if I'm highlighting somebody's galactic heritage. Okay, it's like we, we all do have it. Right. Um, 
Show me the current energy of this man, Vladimir Putin, please. The otter. It's interesting because it's like I, I want, it's almost like I want to put that back in the pack, but I can't because I've, I've, it's come out. Because what I was actually feeling was something up in the air, and on the bottom of the deck we've got the air dragon, and that feels more appropriate. But I'm going to have to read both. Yeah, I'm feeling that that's him, the air dragon. But actually, there's two sides to him, is what I'm hearing, which is why I need two cards. There's two sides. There's the air dragon, um, and that does. If, those of you that watched the Merlin series with me recently, there's that scene in, I don't know what series it was, where the dragon, Merlin's dragon, who ultimately had been, you know, he's, he's a good dragon. He's trying to help, you know, Camelot to have the best king it's ever had and all the rest of it. And you, you see him as this very spiritual energy. But there's one particular episode where he totally goes nuts and he starts basically firing off and killing people left, right and centre. And he's literally in the sky like that. And he's just swooping down. He's sending jets of fire. He's destroying everything in his path. And it literally is. You watch the episode, you think, what the hell is going on? I thought that dragon was good. That's what I'm getting here. That's the energy of Putin at the moment. He's like the dragon in the sky. And there is something about the elements with this guy as well. That's how he wants to play it. I'm feeling as though when it's not working on ground level with ground troops, He's going to take it to a different level in terms of air defences or sea. I've always seen it's about the water and it's about the air. So we have to counter that with, um, with the energy of peace because that's not good. That's not good. OK, we've also got this energy of otter. And, um, you know, I'll read what otter is about in a moment. But I'm just intuitively picking up. Can you feel the difference in these two cards? This is literally the... The one that's gone nuts, that's out of control. He's lost his mind. He's like, what the hell is he doing? You know, he doesn't actually know what he's doing anymore. He started something. He doesn't have to finish it anymore because how he thought he was going to finish it isn't how it's looking. It's going to work. Um, but then we've got the otter, which is just this much more content animal, which is him on his horseback, you know, of days of old. He's a country boy at heart as well. He's a very complicated character, Putin. He loves his country. He loves Mother Russia. He loves the countryside. He loves, I, do, I think he believe he does love animals. I'm sure I've read that before. Um, the otter. What can the otter tell us about this man? Because I think the air dragon is pretty self-explanatory. The otter. Sorry, not in alphabetical order. One of my pet peeves with decks, as you know. Don't mind, Amanda. Otter. Right. Uh, yeah, Otter invites us to play and to go with the flow, to become a child again. It's interesting because I do feel this childlike energy with him, even though he's behaving as he is at the moment. Yesterday on Facebook, on Instagram, I put this, uh, one of you, had written into me a week ago, and one of your shamanic friends, I don't know who this shamanic friend is, and I can't remember who you are either, but thank you for telling me. You had been talking about the situation with Putin, and the shamanic friend had basically reminded you of a technique, a shamanic technique, where when a child is lashing out or having a tantrum, you know, and this is a big tantrum played out on the world stage and a very dangerous one, you throw a wet blanket over the child. I mean, obviously, so they can breathe, but, you know, it's to do with calming them down. It's a bit like the timeout step. It's like you calm them down, wet blanket, everything starts, because actually his 
his central nervous system is just completely firing off on all directions. He's on, he's not on fight or flight anymore. He's taken it up to a whole other level. This is pure adrenaline now that's just coursing through his veins. He doesn't know what he's doing. The rational mind is like totally fragmented. It's not completely there. He hasn't got his alignment to spirit because he switched off the radio signal. It's like a big wet blanket needs to be thrown over this guy. Energetically and symbolically, you can do that to calm him down because this is the child. This is the child within. Um, but actually, deep down, he doesn't know it. But that's this is this is the state that he wants to return to. He doesn't really want to be this. I mean, one part of him does, but this is the other side to him. Right. Let's pull some tarot cards. Let's see what's going on. Anything else we can pick up? Um, let's go with let's go with a different deck. Do I want this deck? No, I don't want that deck. Putin, which deck can I use? Um, no, I don't want that deck either. Let's go with the vision quest. Might be quite interesting as well to see what guys these guys have got around them. Let's do that. I know a lot of people are talking about Archangel Michael being the patron saint of Ukraine or something like that. I mean, remember, please, that all of the archangels and all of the ascended masters, they belong to every single country. <laughs> it's important to remember that. Right, let's use this Let's use this uh, vision quest deck for Putin. Okay. Put my feet on the ground, interestingly to do that now. It's like he hasn't got his feet on the ground. And actually, literally, he hasn't got his feet on the ground because if, is, is that what Metatron is saying? It's this energy of people who send people off to war who don't have to be the boots on the ground. They're in a remote room being fed information that they probably want to hear, surrounded by yes men. They're not actually there on the ground with their troops. I feel as though Zelensky will, well he is, isn't he? He's walking around Ukraine. Yeah. It's like he's somebody who will be there on the ground with his men and his women and his people. And I believe he hasn't abandoned the capital city and he won't. He won't abandon it. You know, he won't, he won't. He'll, he'll stay to the bitter end. Um, although let's hope that there is a peaceful resolution before that. But, um, Putin is like an ivory tower. I'm just seeing him in an ivory tower hasn't got his boots on the ground. He doesn't know what's actually going on at the ground. He's being maybe even fed misinformation. I'm also feeling there are people circling him who are looking for his job. Um, he literally doesn't know who to trust and he would be right to not know how to trust. I'm hearing paranoia is setting in as well. Paranoia and delusion. You know, a sad way to um, end up. Right, Putin, what do these cards want to say? What is the message for people watching? Putin. It's interesting, that noise, I don't know if you can hear it, that's a car reversing down the neighbour's drive or something going on. Let me just see what the symbolism is, because there's always symbolism. It's actually dino rod. Two houses up, somebody's having their drains cleared. Um, think about the symbolism of that. <clears throat> I'm being shown the base chakra completely stuck and blocked, you know, clearing out the base chakra. His is blocked, totally blocked. 
it can't move on is what I'm being shown. This thing about sharing coexistence, living peacefully with your neighbour. If your neighbour decides it wants to live in a different way, can't do that, can't move on. Honestly, guys, if you watch this video, Johnny Harris, the real reason Putin is invading Ukraine, I'm not saying it's the whole answer, but I'm channeling some of this energy right now because he gives the analogy of um, of a love relationship. You know, when you move on from somebody and you, d you don't, you know, you don't want to be with them anymore. You know, Ukraine broke off. It's like, I don't want to be with you any anymore. I know some people still want to be part of Mother Russia, but enough didn't want to. So they broke off. And it's like, I can't accept that it's over. I can't let go. I can't let go. It's, it's like in relationships. I can't let go. Um, right. Show me what I need to tell people, please. Medicine woman. Loss. Security. Medicine woman in this deck, number two. Um, I just need to check what it is. Can you hear that noise? If you can, that is Dino Rod. As I'm literally reading on Putin, they're clearing someone's drain out. Um, uh, oh, it's the High Priestess. That's all I needed to know. I wasn't sure. It's the High Priestess. Okay. Um, but we've got the energy of loss. And we've got the energy of security. So, just need to pull some other cards. God, can you hear the noise? I'm going to carry on, guys. I could close my window if it gets too bad. Medicine woman. Why have we got the high priestess here for Putin? Why have we got the high priestess for Putin? Oh, 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 I don't need another card. Okay, I'm realising what this is. He has lost his connection to spirit. He's lost his connection to spirit. I'm going to have to close the windows, guys. Hold on. sitting there saying, oh yes, you see, it's because he's clearing out the swamp. I'm not getting that is what he's doing. I'm guessing that what he's, what this dino rod is about is the fact that he's completely and utterly blocked. It's like constipation at the most extreme level you've ever had in your life. It's constipated ideas. It's constipated energy. It's my way. It's this. This is on the bottom of the pack. It's my way. My way will be done, not thy way. It's like, leave God out of it. Leave spirit out of it. They're long gone. Okay, there's a loss. There's a loss of the connection to spirit, which used to give security, which used to give grounding. Okay. Um, it's all about my will be done. My will be done. It's ego. It's complete and utter ego. And it comes in with the fist. <sighs> Anything else to say, Putin? Two more cards I'm feeling. Show me the way it's going for Putin, how it goes for Putin. The daughter of air, he's underestimated the young, the youngsters, the youth. 
Um, the Three of Air is on the bottom of the deck, which would be the Three of Swords, which is the Endings card. Um, starting to have doubts. Starting to have doubts. We'll never show that, though. We'll never, ever show that he's starting to have doubts about the road that he is travelling. Can you see that? The road that he is travelling. Starting to have doubts. Daughter of Air is the sons and daughters of Russia. Okay, that are saying no. I've seen lots of beautiful photographs of young girls being dragged. Well, it's not beautiful photographs, but I mean the spirit of the young girls. <clears throat> you know, I mean, my God, what strength. You know, that they're getting dragged off the streets because they are protesting for peace. They're saying, not in my name. Not in my name. He had underestimated that. He, he didn't, he hadn't foreseen that because he's out of touch with the people on the street. Okay. One more card for Putin. Big medicine wheel, XXI. Um, pretty sure that's the Wheel of Fortune. Let me just double check. If it is, it makes sense. If not, I just need to... Let me just double check. Card, big medicine. Oh, no, it relates to the world. Okay, it's okay. Important I checked then. Relates to the world. Well, that would be a cycle clearing out. His time coming to a close. His tenure coming to a close. Okay. That's enough on these two personalities. Now let's just have a look at the nature of the war. And um, if you've watched my friend Steve Judd's video this week, we have some uh, worrying astrological traits this week. So we need to be... Um, calming this situation down um, as much as we can. But let's just have a look at what I can pick up about the war. I would like to say something about nuclear threat as well at this point. Um, Holy Amethyst and the Miriam, Sacred Vision. Okay, I'm just going to bring those energies in in a moment, but let me just say something on the nuclear energy. Uh, I said in my last video, and I believe this to be true, that the um, the galactics in particular will always step in to avert worldwide nuclear war. It would never be allowed to happen. And the reason for that is because this planet is meant to survive. This planet is part of a wider solar system upon which other energies depend. So Mother Earth will always survive. Um, having said that, uh, and, and indeed, the galactic energy have often stepped in to avert um, disasters um, that we we don't even realise. Certainly the one in the 1980s, Slanislav, um, kind of what the guy was called, the chap who basically saw the incoming nuclear missile, supposedly, I think it was from America, that the system was malfunctioning in Russia and decided it was a false alarm and so didn't press the button back that would have sent the nuclear missile back to America. Um, that is an example of the galactic energy um, working through somebody. I think they made a film about it called The Man Who Saved the World or something like that. Slanislav or something or other. Anyway, um, but there have been other incidents as well where, for example, warheads can be neutralised, that type of thing. But, and it is a but, because we have to also be, um, have our eyes wide open. And there are, we've also had the disaster of Fukushima, and we've had um, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and we've had Chernobyl, certainly in, you know, more recent lifetime. Um, 
Hiroshima and Nagasaki needs to be remembered. It was the Americans that fired those bombs, but they were bombs that didn't start a war. They ended a war. Um, and again, I was watching a video today on, on this, or it came up on my feed. And I, I, forgive me if I'm wrong here, because I'm only repeating something I've watched on a video. Okay. So I'm very, I'm trying to tell you to do your research. If I'm wrong, I stand corrected. But they were saying that on one of the islands, it was something like there was a 70% survival rate. I didn't realize that. I assumed that everyone just got obliterated, but no 70% survival rate. Um, and yeah, of course, what happened with Fukushima, the water's being contaminated there and the waters are still being contaminated. Dr. Masaru Emoto did amazing work and encourages us to keep doing amazing work to heal the waters of our world. Um, and Chernobyl, you know, we all know what happened there. So um, we should not be blasé or naive that nuclear incidents cannot occur because they can. Um, but equally, we have to hold out for the highest timeline at all times. And he has been threatening that. I mean, let's make no bones about it. That is what he's been threatening because his mind is fractured. It's like the soul is fractured. He's not actually in his right mind. That's what I'm wanting to say. So we have to surround this whole situation with spirit and uh, with holy light and protection to the land. Um, I don't understand why Chernobyl was not better protected, to be perfectly honest, because one of the first things that they captured was the Chernobyl site. Um, seems very, very uh, short-sighted that that was allowed to happen. But anyway, it's happened now. So, um, you know, and this affects the whole world. So should we just pull a couple of cards on it? Um, we have got Holy Amethyst that came through, which is to do with um, the, the, the violet flame energy. Violet flame should not be underestimated at this time um, to be able to... Um, distinguish but not distinguish extinguish um energy that is harmful um to place the violet flame around ourselves around our home um and you know what i'm about to say does not mean i need to put a, a um just like a little um, disclaimer here i'm not saying that i believe nuclear war is about to break out but i am just going to say this but I was thinking, this was just myself thinking the other day, I was thinking, you know, okay, if it did, say it did, and it's like that um, Ultravox or mid-year track, um, dancing with tears in my eyes, you know, and it's like you, you, you just suddenly had, you knew you only had five minutes left or something. Do you know what I would be doing? I would actually get down on my knees and be thanking God for the life that I've had. That's what I truly feel. It's like in that moment of complete and utter gratitude for all that has been. And remember, energy can never be extinguished. It only gets transformed into something else. Life is eternal. You can't ever extinguish a soul. You can't ever extinguish life, really. It just changes form. So we need to also move away from the fear of death um, and the fear of destruction and the fear of annihilation because... God can never be annihilated, and you and I are God. We are part of God. We are part of creation. We would just then start to co-create in a different dimension and a different reality, and we would begin again. But as I say, I'm not dreaming that in. I'm hoping that we don't get the five-minute warning tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Um, got a fridge full of food for one thing, but no, I'm just being serious. It's like that is how I truly feel about it. In that moment, it would be a moment of thanks not the last minute on earth being one of complete panic and fear. 
get down on your knees and just be with your God, is what I would say. Anyway, um, let's just pull some cards on uh, this nuclear threat. And let's just pull some cards, I think, from this deck, which is the uh, Lemurian Star Child Oracle. I've gone over an hour. I said I was going to make this a short video. Oh, sorry, guys, you know me. Thank you to all of those that support me through thick and thin. Through the good times and the hard times. Somebody left a comment on Instagram yesterday and I really get it. They said, well, can't we just have some fun again? You know, I used to love having a laugh with you and you're really funny. And it's like, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm not saying I am funny, but it's just like, yeah, I know. We all want to do that. But ultimately, these are heavy days in our world and we're just going to have to grin and get through it. And then, yeah, we can get back to some more lighthearted stuff. But I'm afraid I'm one of these people. I can't do all the happy clappy stuff when we've got this going on in our world. I never have been able to. It's like that's why we've come to be able to face this, look at it, deal with it, rise to the challenge, stay in our hearts, align to our God and be there for other people, be there for our children, be there for each other. Okay, what do you want to say on this nature of the threat of nuclear war? Did I say this is the Lemurian Star Child Oracle? Okay, so we've got focus on the light. Um, it's talking about the pineal gland activation, which is your third eye. It's to do with unity, the vision of unity. Keep holding a vision of unity. If we keep holding a vision of unity, then worst case scenario cannot happen. Um, can I also say something at this outset about, I want to go back to what I was explaining at the start of this video about some of the justification out there in our spiritual community for the fact that Putin's gone storming in, which is like, oh, but he's going in to rid the um, Ukraine of, you know, the last vestiges of the cabal, the Illuminati, whatever you want to call them, the wrongdoing, the money laundering, the child trafficking. I have no idea whether that's right or wrong. I, I can tell you one thing I do know, though, that when the evil on our planet um, is removed... It won't be via jackboots on the ground going in and weapons in the sky and guns and warfare and killing innocent people. That is not how New Earth gets birthed. No, 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 no. New Earth gets birthed and the unveiling of everything and the healing of everything by the rising energy of love and unity. These two cards, the essence of who we are and the energy and the focus on unity consciousness naturally brings everything up to the surface to be revealed, to be dealt with, to be healed, to be purged. OK, and it will never, ever be vanquished by force, by force, by darkness. What's that expression? It's like war begets more war. You know, it's not the way that we win this battle. It's just not the way that we win this battle. So people are feeding that narrative of, oh, the good guys are going in to clear out the bad guys and then it's all going to be okay, you know. No, we are, we are the good guys. The only weapon that's going to win this is the energy of our heart. 
That's not to say there aren't strong people that are willing to stand up and speak up the truth and expose things. But I just keep hearing jackboots on the ground is not never the answer. And actually all it will do is it will drive it deeper underground, deeper underground. We don't want that. We don't want it going deeper underground. We want it to rise. And it rises naturally by the energy and the essence that we carry. Okay. Um, because this card says we are the frequency holders. And I was actually going to call this video, I might still call it, that we are the nuclear deterrent. That's what I heard from Metatron the other day. We are the nuclear deterrent. Not the other person on the other end of the world who's got his finger on another button. We have the button. The button is here. It's in our heart. Okay. When this gets switched on by enough people, the darkness has to dissolve because the planet will be ascending. And when the planet really truly starts to ascend and hold a brighter and higher frequency, anything that is lower just naturally falls away. That's how it's going to work. Not by storming in. We're not in some action adventure film, okay? And it's hard for us to grasp that because what I'm being told is that many of our previous lives, including my previous lives, have been when we have been the gung-ho warrior, okay, charging in on the battlefield, okay, with our fists, with our swords, with our whatever. I'm being told, leave the sword work to the higher realms, Archangel Michael. Okay, so again, what's that card that we have for Putin linked into the dragon? Okay, that is dealt with by the higher realms who have their swords because they know how to handle. They know how to handle them. It is like Excalibur. It's like Excalibur. It's like the sword that brings to an end the evil upon our planet can only be wielded by a few. A few. Um, and I actually feel as though I'm just trying to see who they are. And it feels like when I say they're shadowy figures, I'm talking shadow. That was interesting. My camera just blacked out. Um, I've just been told, Metatron just said you're getting too close to the truth. Yeah. You're not allowed to give that stuff away. So I'm not going to say anymore. Um, all I will say is that this is fought at a higher level in the spiritual planes and um, I'm not allowed to give away identities um, and I don't believe they would be identities that we would necessarily know anyway in our world. He's saying just concentrate at ground level in terms of the work that you have to do, we have to do, linking into the uh, energy of staying in our heart, being there for our brothers and sisters um, staying um, aligned to spirit um, and helping to bring in the energy of unity. Um, this is happening on a different dimensional plane. Some of you are helping in astral, um, but this is humble service. He's wanting me to come back to the energy of humbleness, which I did want to bring in. Um, humbleness is going to help all of us in the days to come in terms of being humble, in terms of what we do not know, humble in terms of um, how this is going to pan out, trust, going into trust, faith, um, and feeding the good wolf within ourselves rather than the bad wolf that wants the drama, 
that wants the gossip, that wants the hearsay, um, that wants the easy answers, that wants to stay in the duality of good guys, bad guys, start working. I want to end with this card, the Miriam, Sacred Vision. It says, choose to forgive in order to heal, see the light in all, remember that love has no boundaries, and it's got the Vesica Pisces. Mm. Do some work on bringing together your light and your dark um, and the sacred interconnection there. Um, I'm going to leave it there for this video because I know the next piece of work that I need to do, assuming nothing else kicks off around the world, um, is some work on helping us all to integrate our light and shadow. And I'm being shown the Vesica Pisces will be a great tool to use for that, as will I'm going to be using two of my own sprays, um, the Midnight Indigo, uh, which is called Light in the Dark and the Sunrise New Dawn. Um, so if you've got them, get them handy for the next video. If you haven't got them, maybe you can order them in time. I won't be probably even doing it this week. Maybe, what day is it today? Tuesday? Possibly I might do it on Saturday. We'll see how things go. But that is a big body of work that I need to bring through. Because I think that's the next step that we need to do. Um, anything else to say? Sorry, I'm just looking for... Um, uh, this book to read about this card, the Miriam. Let's see what it says. Okay, it says the Miriam, which means the beloved, are twin flame angels who come together as one. They are mirror images of each other. They are the angels who appeared to Mary Magdalene in the tomb of Jesus after his passing. These angels spoke directly to Mary and helped her move beyond her grief so that she was able to commune with Jesus once more. They can help us move beyond the cloud of grief. They heal grievances of all kinds, including ones that have been created by religion or the idea that God does not love or accept us because of a mistake we once made. Um, the Miriam help us remember that we don't need to ask God for forgiveness because he never condemned us in the first place. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. That is like an entry point into the next video that I'll do. Plus also probably some channeling with Christ as well. But that's enough for today, guys. And I'm now going horse. So um, take good care of yourselves. Stay in your heart. And uh, remember, as a spiritual community, let's come together. Let's not feed the drama. Let's feed the love. Take care. Bye for now. Please like and support my work as well. Um, sprays that might help you in this time. Uh, Archangel Michael, obvious reasons. The Archangel of, um, I can't even speak, um, safety and protection. Archangel Shamuel, the energy of peace. We also have a peace spray, which is called Sapphire. And maybe also the spiritual protection. But anyway, they're all there on my website. Lots of love. Take care. See you next time. Bye-bye for now. Look after each other. Bye. Mm. Oh, my goodness, everybody. Good good words. Good words for the moment. And I can say that with all great respect and reverence to 
Lord Michael and Excalibur. I have been in the presence of Excalibur and Lord Michael and she ain't whistling Dixie when these beings that I talk about kind of in an offhanded way, the angels upon angels, fleets upon fleets of craft in our sky. And I'm talking about the seraphim and the sephiroth and these ones to sit before the throne of Mother, Father, God. And I lovingly call them the time lords that take care of the solar system. And like I keep being told, no nukes, uh, place of violet fire. <clears throat> so, do you want to begin the uh, meditation, Rama? It'll just be a beginning, yeah. and then I'll finish the meditation. It's meditation is an hour and a half. And tell us what this is, Rama. What is this? It? Is called samadhi, the pathless path, and. It's from Gaia TV. It's the third one in a series of, um, I'm getting there. Just a second. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, there was a leak at that uh, nuclear plant and it's leaking radiation poisoning and all of Europe is in danger of getting this leak. Of radiation poisoning in its in its path. So, and I know a lot of us have dear ones in in Europe. Uh, we haven't heard from Abba for so long. Abba, if you're hearing me, call. <laughs> um, yeah, what? This is the path is you, and every obstacle on the path is you. The path to, to samadhi is not the sort of path where you get where you put one foot in front of another to get to some destination. The path is a stripping away of illusion, a waking up to exactly. Who, where, and what one is. Samadhi is freedom from identification with the limited self. Freedom from our conditioning. Freedom from suffering. Samadhi or spiritual practice that leads to samadhi has two fundamental aspects. The first aspect is purifying the self. 
structures through practice which shift the energy out of conditioned patterns and pathological thinking. When the energy is free, it facilitates greater interconnection, love, and expansion into higher levels of self or soul. What you think of as others becomes integrated into you. The self-structure becomes like a node in increasingly higher levels of mind. The paradox is that any practices we use to become free of the unconscious conditioning are themselves conditioned. At a point, all techniques, all concepts, all doing, all attempts to realize samadhi have to be let go of. The second aspect of practice could be called formless self-inquiry, which is about becoming aware of awareness itself, waking up to the realization that all levels of self or soul are ultimately empty, like the wings of a bird. These two aspects of sadhana, mindfulness and mind emptiness, carry one towards samadhi, the collapse of all duality. Here we go. Okay, everybody.
I just want to say if somebody's online still, I can still hear some noise in the background. So everybody that was could possibly be, I'm not sure if it's Penny, but um, if it is, just make sure you mute your phone out, Penny. I hear some noise in the background. Thank you. Everybody, whoever it might be, still hear it. Humanity has descended deep into the material realms, putting its roots into the mental and physical layers of our being. As Carl Jung said, to touch heaven, one's roots must reach into hell. Out of the furnace of Babylon comes transformation, transfiguration, and new human potential. Eastern traditions say that the lotus of awakening grows out of the mud of samsara, out of suffering. Christianity describes the fall in the Garden of Eden. In esoteric terms, this is the creation of a sense of individual self or personal will that is separate from God's will. Along with this separate self is the coming into being of an external world of thought, the world of form that seems separate from this limited self. The character or the ego is made of patterns of pursuing or wanting things in that external thought-projected world. The external things that we crave are the fruits of the tree of knowledge of good and evil or the tree of duality. You could say that original sin is the desires of egoic or dualistic consciousness. This is Maya the situation that humanity now finds itself in. Going after the external fruit means to miss the mark, to miss the now. Historically, there have been occasional rare awakenings, rare flowerings of human consciousness. The saints, the yogis, sages, and wisdom keepers. But humanity now has a unique opportunity to make this journey as a collective, en masse, to envision and co-create shared new realities as we rediscover the higher worlds and wake up from the collective dream of the limited self.
identified with the gross physical and mental layers of their being, not even aware that the higher levels exist. Most people do not know or suspect that there are spiritual capacities latent within the self-structure, waiting to be activated. By realizing these capacities, we connect to subtler and subtler levels of existence, while at the same time making the self-structure permeable to our true nature, disidentifying from all levels of mind or maya. If we examine the spiritual traditions that have existed throughout history, we find that the great sages, mystics, and seers describe a continuum of existence. The ancient Vedic teachings described five koshas, or sheaths of the soul, extending from the gross physical and mental realm, which is the conditioned world in which most people live today, to the subtle realms, which include the energetic, astral, and higher mind realms, the archetypal templates of existence. And finally, to the causal realm, where there's no thought or sensation, the realization of primordial awareness, the awakening of God consciousness within the soul, dispels the illusion of all of these realms, all layers of maya, Ancient traditions contain numerous conceptual and language frameworks that point to this continuum from gross to subtle to causal. Whether it is the chakra system or kosha system of the Vedic traditions or the dantians of Taoism, all levels within the field of change are maya, the spiral that obscures our true nature yet is the very expression of life itself. It is through the spiral of life that we experience human life. When all levels of maya are realized to be empty of self, what is possible is an unfathomable non-duality or mystical union beyond all language, which includes yet transcends all of the other levels. said that most people lead lives of quiet desperation. They go to their graves with their song still inside of them. Their desperation comes from an endless searching outside of themselves. The pursuit of things, money, power, relationships, approval from others. suffering lies in one's mental attachment to things, not in the things themselves. 
It doesn't matter what you have. What matters is your attachment to what you have. We form attachments at the sensory level through neuroplasticity. Wherever attention is placed, neurons fire and wire together, creating a program in the mind. A tendency towards pattern, which is what the mind itself is. When we have any unconscious tendency or life pattern, we are not actually addicted to the things themselves. We are not addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, food, or media, but to the sensations that they produce within us. We become free by observing the somatic field directly, the field of changing phenomena at the root level of awareness. We remain equanimous without reacting or judging any sensation as good or bad. To become free, we learn how these attachments are formed by bringing consciousness to the subtle inner world. We start to observe mental and sensory phenomena as a field of change, rather than getting attached to the thoughts and sensations which bring about identification and the very creation of the world of form. This field of change is also called prana or inner energy the feeling of inner aliveness. The shift to a new earth is a shift out of materialism. What we are witnessing is a release of the old paradigms and the pathological egoic agenda to endlessly acquire more. What you are seeing around you right now may seem like darkness. It may seem like madness. Actually, this is what awakening looks like on planet Earth. You are witnessing the dismantling of the old patterns. Many people are disillusioned with the current political, social, economic, and religious systems. They no longer trust the egoic agendas of the media industries, and so-called spiritual systems. They don't trust the medical establishment or the government. People are disillusioned. This dispelling of illusion is a necessary part of seeing the truth, a coming face-to-face with the spiritual sickness that is inherent in this time we are living in. And for coming out of egoic consciousness... By egoic consciousness, I mean the patterns of craving and aversion that operate unconsciously. The collective samskaras, or conditioned patterns, which create the conditions of maya, the identification with our characters, or with social groups, or anything we define ourselves by. With the various personas and archetypes we are playing out in this lifetime. The self-structure is an interface with the world. We don't want to get rid of that interface or destroy it. The path is about disidentifying from it so that our sense of I or the sense of existence is not tied to a limited form so that we don't suffer when the world of form changes. 
human path is a journey from pre-egoic existence, which is the merged oneness that we experienced when we were a baby with our mother, to the creation of a person. We grow, we create a character. This is a necessary part of our evolution in order to bring about self-consciousness, to bring about a sense of self or I. We are actually in an adolescent stage of our development. We're in an ego-identified stage. But the next step beyond self-consciousness is to realize transpersonal levels of self, to realize shared levels of consciousness, various levels of logos or higher mind. You could say levels of soul if you prefer that language. Our sphere of compassion expands. This is an expansion through love. From the perspective of the old pattern, the egoic consciousness, this dismantling is something fearful. There's going to be confusion and pain if you're clinging to the old patterns. Those awakening will actually be perceived as a threat. Awakening will be seen as a crisis because it is the dismantling of what is known. Right now we are like caterpillars in the cocoon as it undergoes metamorphosis. There's a point in the transformation where the caterpillar is neither a caterpillar nor a butterfly. At this point, to the one undergoing the metamorphosis, the old self, it may seem that all is lost, but it's merely part of the process. Faith is a surrender to the evolutionary impulse, a deep knowing that we are moving towards source. The collective delusion What the ancient spiritual teachers called Maya is tied to our collective attachment to old patterns. It's tied to human hubris, the belief that we know where we're going, what we're doing, and who we are. French painter Paul Gauguin is famous for a painting which he entitled, Where do we come from? What are we? And where are we going? These three questions require a humility. To find out what we are, to find out the truth, we first have to acknowledge that we don't have the truth. We don't have the answer if we want to find the answer. must be a genuine willingness to explore and to look at ourselves. Like Dante's pilgrim in the Divine Comedy, one begins the journey to know oneself in a darkened wood, astray. Recognizing that we are lost.
dimensions of being and becoming were represented by Shiva and Shakti. The archetypal feminine, the downward current or current of manifestation, is represented by Shakti, by the downward pointing triangle, which points toward involution of spirit into the world of form. Shiva represents the upward current, the current of liberation, the upward pointing triangle pointing toward pure awareness without any qualities, evolution beyond the world of form with the transcendent. So long as we are operating within the dualistic world, identified with the limited mind, these two currents comprise the pathless path. We are working within the current of manifestation and the current of liberation, doing and non-doing, inhabiting both the time-bound and the timeless. When these two dimensions are married in divine union, realized as one, it is samadhi. When in union, they represent the balance and coexistence of these two dimensions, like the Star of David or the Anahata symbol, which is the ancient symbol representing the spiritual heart, the unstruck sound, the transcendent source of the primordial Om that is dancing the universe into being. It is said that in Samadhi you will hear the celestial music of existence, Musica Universalis, or the flute of Krishna, or what Pythagoras called the music of the spheres. Of course, these are all metaphors for something that awakens within the depths of your being, something beyond the limited mind and senses. There are spiritual systems that focus on the subtle body using practices such as observing the breath, sensations, working with chi or prana, working with techniques, practices, and processes that can be learned with the conditioned mind. Everything that directly employs and engages the limited mind in order to realize samadhi is part of the via positiva. This is what we call the shakti path. And there are spiritual systems which are about transcending the manifested world which we call the Shiva path, or the via negativa. We come to realize that which we are beyond name and form by letting go of all that we are not. The way to Samadhi has been given many names, such as meditation, self-inquiry, or prayer. Most people who practice these things today are practicing some technique, but the ancient form of meditation that leads to samadhi is actually not an activity. It is not something that you do or practice, but it is actually the cessation of the meditator, the seeker or the doer. True meditation is union with what is, 
And it only begins to happen when the ego fails in its attempt to meditate and realizes its own limitations. The ego, the you that you think you are, must necessarily fail in all attempts to meditate for true meditation to come about. The closer we come to the truth, the closer we come to samadhi, the less doing there is, the less technique there is. The techniques are all part of the past. We drop the doing and the doer. We drop the seeking and the seeker to come to the unconditioned present. Some teachers overemphasize techniques, while some undervalue them. It's important to understand that the technique is a stepping stone. We don't want to abandon the technique, but we don't cling to it. Samadhi is through long periods of spiritual practice. Whether you call that practice meditation, self-inquiry, or prayer, there is a truth that one has to awaken to. The yogi and sage Patanjali, who compiled the Yoga Sutras 2,500 years ago, taught that the entire endeavor of yoga is aimed at the cessation of the whirlpool of the mind. You could say it is the cessation of karma, the cessation of deep unconscious patterns that govern one's life. These conditioned patterns were called the vrittis in Sanskrit. Likewise, the Zen master Dogen said, that meditation is the dropping off of mind and body. In Buddhism, it is nirvana or niroda. It's the cessation of the fluctuations of the limited egoic mind, which bring about the identification with a limited sense of self. In Christianity, we find the same perennial teaching, but expressed through a very different metaphor using the language that was common at that time in history. To realize samadhi in Christian terms is to attain the kingdom of God through the forgiveness of sins by realizing Christ. The word sin in Hebrew means literally to miss the mark. It means to miss the present moment to pursue happiness in the objects of the external world rather than realizing the source of true fulfillment. To come into the now, to the present moment, is to learn to surrender the preferences of the conditioned mind, to burn up opposing states by remaining non-reactive to anything that is appearing within the field of change. To meditate is to burn up the conditioned self, or you could say to free energy from the conditioned self. This truth is found in the Gospel of Thomas, 
which says, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. straight towards the summit or sometimes it may be better to take a spiral route but at the summit the view is always the same no matter which path you take humans have created thousands of meditation techniques throughout the millennia not to mention countless yoga postures asanas specialized breathing or pranayama and every conceivable variety of ritual or practice if meditation is simply a cessation or a stopping if it's simply coming to stillness then why do we need so many techniques to achieve it why can't we just sit and wait for our mind to settle as they teach in Zen. The truth is, we can just stop. We can surrender the activities of our character. However, as Einstein said, although reality is merely an illusion, it is a persistent one. It is this persistence of the illusion that makes it necessary for most people to penetrate into the unconscious mind. To stay awake, we have to purify the avatar of its samskaras, of its karma or its programming, so that the unconscious aspects of self are no longer driving the show. When I say purify, I don't mean that the avatar is somehow bad or negative. I simply mean that it is possible to disidentify a sense of self from it, and the disidentification process is what we call purification or cleaning. I'm cleaning myself of myself. Our sadhana is to unite all aspects of ourself so that we are not divided. We penetrate into the unconscious by creating conditions of no escape for the ego. Whether this is through long periods of meditation or self-inquiry, through intensive yoga, qigong, prayer, or breath work, or fasting, or chanting, or by taking entheogens which open us to the unconscious depths of the mind, we will naturally be drawn to different practices, techniques, and tools at different times on our path. All right. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. 
So we will continue that. Write the number down where it's at, honey. Okay. And um, we will see you in a little while. Um, I'm going to take a little time here to uh, bring you another section of our of our work every week. We'll have our this this is with uh, the stars here with uh, Richard and Kay Pacha and Tanya Gabrielle as we come back and we'll have some music. We'll see you in a little while, Satnam, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Pass the talking stick to you, Richard. Okay, then. So, I'll take a look at this astrology mess here. Ah, it's the 5th of March. And we finally have gotten to the position where our concentrated energies are going to stay in this arc from Pluto to Uranus. And it's 104 degrees of arc. And it covers 28 Capricorn to 12 Uranus. Now the moon's in uh, 29 Aries. Tonight, the new moon was on the 2nd, and Jupiter is conjunct the sun, and Neptune is close by, that's 16, Jupiter, and 16, the sun, and 23, Neptune, and that's probably the most powerful uh, configuration. So I would say for tonight, Pisces rules with Sun conjunct Jupiter and Neptune. Now Mercury is is past its conjunction with Saturn is, is up to twenty three Aquarius. Saturn is uh, still at twenty, and uh, Mercury's at twenty four. Uh, Venus and Mars still conjunct at 30 degrees Capricorn. So they're still conjunct Pluto, but they're ahead of Pluto. And they will be going into uh, Aquarius this week. Venus is moving faster. Let's see, I looked this up a minute ago. This is interesting. Uh, uh, let's see here. Yeah. Venus is moving 52 minutes of arc per day. And Mars is moving 45 minutes of arc today. So Venus is moving a little bit faster. Mercury is moving one and a half degrees per day. And uh, it's racing towards the sun. Of course, the moon moon is uh, moving slow this week. It's uh, moving at 12 degrees and 44 minutes of arc. And that's, that's about it. 
Saturn and Uranus still going on. Uh, the moon is squaring Pluto and Venus and Mars. Chiron still at 11 air. Pretty much covers it. So let's go see what Kaipacha was thinking about on that noon back on, uh, was it Tuesday? Five, four, three, two. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Um, Okay. Yeah, I, was, I, I got something else when uh, when we get to the break between our two commentators. I got something else for you. Okay. So this is Kepacha. He's twenty five minutes. Here we go. <laughs> Kaipacha here with the weekly Pele report uh, for March 2nd, Wednesday, March 2nd of uh, the great year 2022. I'm down here at uh, Punta Ula on the Caribbean outside Puerto Viejo, which I thought was going to be kind of a uh, secluded beach, but turns out that there's all kinds of people around here. <laughs> It is such a big week. Whoa, today is powerful with the new moon, 12 degrees, 7 minutes of Pisces. At the same time that Mercury is bumping into Saturn over there in Aquarius. And then tomorrow we've got Venus and Mars and Pluto all at the same degree of Capricorn. It's been the descent. It's been the descent. The moon moves on by Thursday, goes into the sign of Aries, conjoins with Chiron on Friday, and then by Saturday, the sun has moved up to an exact conjunction with Jupiter. So really, this new moon is a sun-moon-Jupiter conjunction. I mean, they are within a couple of degrees. So it's really not that big of a thing, right? Uh, by Sunday, the moon moves into Taurus, squaring, okay, Venus and Mars, because what? Well, on Saturday, Venus and Mars have joined together at zero degrees of Aquarius. At long last, we're moving from Earth to outer space. <laughs> so, it's going to really be something. Things are going to be picking up even crazier and wilder than they are now. So, uh, beyond that, what? You know, the moon keeps moving through Taurus. Sextiles, Jupiter, Sun, then uh, Neptune on Monday. By Tuesday, she comes along into uh, in Gemini and trines Venus, Mars, and Pluto. So, let me just look at the camera here and uh, talk to you about what all that signifies. As above, so below. The reflection of the cosmos on planet Earth in all of our lives. All right, yes, I am going to do it. 
<laughs> a Pele report with Mercury conjunct Saturn. What was I thinking? <laughs> Blocks in communication, stops in communication. We got funky internet. I can't get this right, that right. Ay, ay, ay. I am sure that we're all kind of going through this a little bit of, and that's part, part of the song uh, is Mind Games. Mind Games. Mercury conjunct Saturn in the sign of Aquarius. I, I mean, it's it's been building and now, but it's still going to be, you know, trailing off a little bit. Then, you know, we've we've just we've really been through a lot, and uh, it's really something to hear have the new moon conjunct Jupiter in Pisces. You won't believe the Sabian symbol. Wow. Very powerful, and it's uh, it lines right up with uh, the lunar planner here. I just wrote the lunar planner yesterday. You might want to click on the link below in the notes to uh, read further more uh, on this uh, in the lunar planner. Um, my writing is different than my speaking. And I realize I'm a little serious here with Mercury conjunct Saturn. I will try to lighten it up, but <laughs> that's the thing that's uh, going on now. The new moon in Pisces. Pisces is chaos, confusion, multidimensional uh, realities, okay, disillusionment, sometimes leading to despair. And sorrow, letting go, surrendering uh, to the paradox, which is unfathomable, irrational, illogical. It's the sign in the 12th house, and Neptune is the sign, house, and planet of spirit. Spirit, not ego, not third dimension, time and space, figure it out, control <laughs> it. Master it, get a hold of it. Absolutely not. It's cosmic. And it's the cosmic world of the mystical, magical coming in and influencing, impacting through dreams, through seances, you know, through imaginations, through, you know, things dissolving. Neptune rules the ocean. And these waves just keep coming, and they keep washing it all away. The best laid plans of mice and men <laughs> and women just get washed away. You know, it's like, boom, one solar flare, and everything's going to get knocked out, right? You know, one tidal wave, and everything here is going to be gone. You know, there's a lot of forces Visible and invisible that make up our, to the, our total reality. And Pisces is the invisible spiritual forces that make up so much of our psychic reality, of our dream reality, of our inner soul reality. And it's like how you wake up in the morning. I just noticed it this morning. 
this morning I woke up with energy and I just whipped out this mantra. But yesterday morning I woke up, uh, you know, it's like we cannot control the way, the mood, the energy level, the frequency level that we wake up with in the morning. And, and the, the outside world can be very much the same. You know, there's still wars going on and demonstrations and this, that, and there's all kinds of things that are going on, but still we wake up in a different state of being. It's very subtle. It's very intangible. And so this new moon sets the tone for the whole next month. And the sun is going to come along and hit Jupiter. And after Jupiter, the sun and Jupiter are going to be marching towards Neptune. And like I say, Neptune is closing a 165-year cycle moving through Pisces until 2025. Jupiter's closing a 12-year cycle. What did you start doing in 2010? Well, now that's kind of closing. I started doing the Pele report <laughs> in 2010, and who knows, right? But, you know, things you know things pass away. Things pass away, and I talked about this, I know, in last week's Pele report, because we had all this balsamic, balsamic, balsamic. And now, of course, and, and Pluto also has to do with endings. Let's face it, through January, we had Mercury messing around with Pluto, you know. January, February, you know, Venus messing around with Pluto. You know, now she goes back, and now Mars is messing around with Pluto. I mean, <laughs> this has been... Lost, betrayal, abandonment, you know, overpowering uh, uh, conflict with external authorities and internal, uh, you know, embedded authorities. And so now Venus and Mars are rising again, resurrecting, beginning a new cycle, moving away from Pluto. And Mars, like I said, you know, uh, t took the lead over Venus for like two weeks. But now Venus is picking up speed and she's going to take the lead and go past Mars. <laughs> so that's, that's you know, what's happening with this third conjunction, really, of uh, Venus and Mars coming, you know, moving together. They enter Aquarius together. So this is, this is starting new. Now Mercury is setting off a new from Saturn. And then the sun is going to pass Jupiter and start off, you know, anew from Jupiter. So it's very interesting to have in a very big way, huge, the end of patriarchy, the end of the world as we know it. And within this whole big ending, there is these new beginnings and the new phase Let's look at the new phase of Venus to Mars, of Venus and Mars to Pluto. It is about trusting our instinct. It's kind of an Aries first house energy where you just want to try, try, try this, try that, try that, experiment with that. Don't be thinking about it too much. Just go for it and learn from, you know, what comes back at you from other people or from the world or from nature or from your physical body. But but the idea with the new phase is initiate. And 
And this is what I said in the Lunar Planner. It's like, so, uh, oh yeah, that was the other song that I could use for today. You know, should I stay or should I go? Is this, is this you know, passing away or is this beginning? Uh, do I let go of this or do I cultivate this? This is where Pisces leads leads us into a lot of confusion because we can't really use our left brain linear logical third dimensional ego mind to be figuring things out these days. And, you know, in the lunar planner, I get just, you know, into materialism and use overusing the ego mind overusing uh, this linear, logical, third-dimensional material worldview or material world perspective in order to really try to get a sense of meaning, purpose, destiny. You know, all, all these things are really beyond the grasp here of the ego. And Pisces, therefore, also has to do with Ashrams, monasteries, convents, uh, meditation, mysticism, uh, tarot, seances, art, music, dance. This is its time to penetrate the spiritual world and to really surrender to the spiritual world, to great acts of service, to great acts of devotion, and not have so much self-interest, competition, greed, desire to get ahead, or, you know, build my Bitcoin or get my, you know, uh, food for the great fall, <laughs> you know, my, my fuel, stack up on my fuel, and then there's this going to be supply shortages, so I'm going to, like, you know, fill my basement full of, you know... I, this is, you know, contrary to that. This is really a time, you know, to do our meditations, to see ourselves as infinite spiritual beings having an earthly experience and to not take this earthly experience as all there is. Reincarnation. We've been here before, we're going to be here again. And like, what is behind the veil? What is behind and through, really seeing through? I may have to see through some rain. <laughs> Get my ass in gear here, man. I'm going to read you the Sabian symbol because I love it. I love it. It has to do with spiritual, to me, discipline. You know, to wake up every morning... You know, and do your yoga or do a spiritual practice, even do a ritual or just meditate in front of your altar. Hopefully you have an altar. This is a good time to create an altar if you don't have an altar. It's a good time to create morning rituals, evening rituals, rituals around food. Okay, whether it's prayer, meditation, contemplation, ritual, however you do it, you know, however you connect. This is a time where we can really hear messages, voices, and receive. It's the, like the veil is very thin through Pisces, Neptune, and the 12th house, yeah? 
An ancient sword used in many battles is displayed in a museum. I was thinking of Gandalf. <laughs> Through the effectual use of his will, a consecrated man can become a symbol of courage for all those who follow in his footsteps. Willpower is the ultimate spiritual weapon, and its undeviating use is the certification of individual worth. Wherever found, this symbol emphasizes the imperative need to make use of the will in meeting the basic challenges of the inner life, as well as outer adversaries. With this symbol, we see singled out and strongly emphasized the one power in humanity, which is an assurance of victory in the contests generated by social or occult processes in which he has become an active part. The individual must use that willpower Yet it is not really his own once he operates at a spiritual level. It is God's will acting and operating through his mind, which focuses its thrusts. It is, occultly speaking, the power of the brotherhood, the energy of the whole, operating through the one-pointed individual who has made this whole aware of the need for its use in a particular situation. We are the rays of the sun. We are the swords. Yes, you know, you know. You know, clearing the path, the machetes, clearing the path through the wilderness, chopping open those coconuts. <laughs> <laughs> it is through, I don't want to even say surrendering, more, it's, it's more devoting, it's more consciously giving ourselves over to a higher power of love, the ultimate highest power is love, giving ourselves over to love. This works miracles, this works magic, this blows people's minds like it doesn't make sense how you can be smiling, how you can be dancing, how you can be in a state of bliss, just like above, levitating, Above this third dimensional experience. So, you know, we don't need to be sucked in. We don't need to be brought down. We, we do not need to suffer because the collective is suffering. We can, you know, the lighthouse is bright in the midst of a stormy sea. And it doesn't help the sailors, okay, if the light 
dims itself because there's a storm and everybody's having a hard time and, and I'm, I'm not going to shine bright because, you know, it's not fair <laughs> or something. I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> we can come up with all kinds of things, you know. It's like you don't have to be poor in order to be spiritual, <laughs> okay? You know, I mean, we're leaving this old martyrdom behind. We're learning how to do Pisces in a new way. And, and, and a part of this new way, like I, this is so powerful, a sword, you know, Pisces is not about battle or fighting or if anything, it's losing, <laughs> you know. So, you know, to have this image of this powerful sword at the, for the Sabian symbol, for the 13th degree, you know, the... The new moon's at 12 degrees, 7 minutes. That's the 13th degree of Pisces. Very interesting to have that be a sword. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I think, the, you know, this message for this week is to forge ahead, charge ahead, thrust into the future. Venus and Mars moving into Aquarius is the future. It's liberation from the known, from the conventional from what has been accomplished to leaping off, okay, you know, into air castles in the sky, taking magic carpet rides, taking off in the helicopter, the UFO. It's time for us to ascend. And, and from that ascension process, new innovative ways, new opportunities, new perspectives, new solutions. We will understand everything more fully, wholly, and completely by non-attachment of Aquarius. So we're going to have Venus, Mars, Mercury, and Saturn, okay, moving through Aquarius now. Let us liberate ourselves it is the sign of enlightenment. It is, the, it is the sign of total objectivity. So, yeah, baby. That brings me to the mantra for today. I am a spark that will light the flame so the torch of freedom can rise again, lighting the way to the spirit land where we all dance hand in hand the torch the sword okay this is this powerful powerful energy of Mars emerging Venus emerging resurrecting up out of the root chakra out of the underworld of Pluto re-energized We've got the kundalini. We've got the chi energy. We've got that red force. We are the spark. You are the spark. And if you don't spark, the torch doesn't light. We don't reach the spirit land. We don't dance hand in hand. <laughs> Oh, man. So besides mind games, and what was the other get-up, stand-up, I was also thinking of Yellow Submarine. I mean, that's just like so Pisces. <laughs> you know? 
maybe the yellow submarine is the promised land. Who knows? Ah, baby. Oh, one last time I'll let you go. Here we go. Yeah, it is I am the spark that will light the flame so the torch of freedom can rise again, lighting the way to spirit land where we all dance hand in hand. It may be a long path or a long road to spirit land, but even the longest journey begins with the first step. Let this new moon, let this week, let this month be, if not your first step, an additional step, a big step towards spirit land. <laughs> Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Everything that's been going on in Europe over the last nine days or so, I was sitting here contemplating, and I said, Saturn cycle. So, the European Union, you looked this up earlier, was formed on 7 February 1992. And at that time, Saturn was at 11 degrees Aquarius for the European Union. All right. And today, Saturn is at 11, uh, let's see here, 20 Aquarius. So a little bit ago, the European Union had its first Saturn return. It's a young organization. Now look at look at Russia. Russia's formation after the, the collapse was and the, its reformation was twelve twelve nineteen ninety three. Saturn was at twenty six Aquarius. So, Jupiter, so Russia's having its Saturn return, first Saturn return this year. Europe had its first Saturn return just a few years ago. But these, both these political organizations were 
reconfigured 31, 30, 31 years ago. And so here's another interesting tidbit here. Russia's Pluto was at 27 Scorpio. Pluto is now at 28 Capricorn. That's a sextile. All right, so Pluto is a big player in in the uh, chart of Russia there. That's a, a sextile of Pluto in uh, 30 years' time. And Pluto for the European Union was at 23 Scorpio. So you got that going on. I don't know... European Union, Uranus was ahead of Neptune. Uranus was at 16 Capricorn, and Neptune was at 17 Capricorn. All right. Close enough to call it conjunct, but Uranus was behind Capricorn. With Russia, Uranus was ahead of Cap after Capricorn. With Russia, Neptune's at twenty, and Uranus is at twenty-one. So, with that's a conjunction in both cases. So you've got Uranus-Neptune conjunctions shows political re reformations both in the European Union and in Russia itself. So that's really pretty interesting. Uh, compared to the United States, which has had eight Saturn returns 240-plus years. So uh, we've we got an opportunity for, for more stability than, than either of those two organizations there. So, uh, Russia's chart had been Scorpio at seven degrees along with that Pluto in Scorpio in 1993. In the European Union, mm. Pluto was in Scorpio. But Jupiter was back, back in Virgo. So these two charts, very interesting now that they're at war with each other. Oh, my. Well, that's what I got for tonight. Let's go listen to Tanya. Maybe she'll have something lighter and personal. <laughs> yeah, at this point, at this point, it's about the personal journey, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It sure is. I mean, just just think about it. So the, while all these planets are in social signs, like Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces, the most social of the social signs, uh, soldiers can choose to lay down their arms. Mm -hmm. Like we encourage the U.S. soldiers to do in the late 60s and early 70s. 
Yeah. Yeah, because if you go back and go back 30 years to 1991, and then go back another 30 years to 1961, and in 1961, the French were in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And shortly after that, the United States got involved with Vietnam. That's and we right. had all that 12 years of, of mess there. So history is repeating itself. The territory is different. And the players are a little bit different. But the scenario is the same because humanity hasn't learned a lesson yet. Uh. Ah. <laughs> okay. Please. Oh, it's play. Over to you, Rama. Okay. <laughs> Here is Tanya. <laughs> Tanya Gabriel, Wealth Astrometrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the podcast where we look at an upcoming events in the stars and numbers, the astrology and numerology to get insights and inspiration. And in this case, we're going to focus on the Pisces new moon, which comes around once every year, happening on March 2nd. Now, Pisces is such a wonderful sign of unity, of love, of compassion, dreams, spirituality. So it's always a lovely time of the year when this new moon comes around. Now, this new moon creates a gorgeous conjunction with Jupiter, which is so exciting because Jupiter is the original ruler of Pisces. And Jupiter is very close to Neptune as well. All four are in Pisces, Sun, Moon, Jupiter, Neptune. So this creates a stellium. And stelliums are very intense, focused energy. In this case, it's very positive, <laughs> focused, intense energy. There's also a sextile to Uranus from the new moon, which brings fortunate, surprising, spiritual breakthroughs and blessings and healing. So there's just so much here about freedom, inspiration, and a powerful spiritual awakening. Now, the new moon is exact on March 2nd, 2022 at 5.35 p.m., and that's universal time in London. So that will be 12.35 p.m. Eastern time, New York, and 9.35 a.m. L.A. time, Pacific. So it's important to note that this is the final of six consecutive new moons at 12 degrees. And 12 reduces to three. March is the third month, so 1 plus 2 for 12 equals 3. March is the third month, and 3 times 3 equals 9. And March in 2022 is a 9 universal month. So why are these numbers important? Because 3 and 9 are in the 369 triad of love, of self-expression, of joy, of expression in any sense of the word. So creativity, this is the creation triad. And the power of three is very important because it represents the past, present, and future. It represents father, mother, child. It represents mind, body, spirit. So anything that comes in threes is always very potent energy. 
And because this number three ties into the number 12, 12 reduces to three, and this new moon happens at 12 degrees, the sixth one in the row, and remember six is part of this 369 triad, this is a really fortunate moment here because we're breaking away from what the shadow side of 12 represents. For the last six months, we've really been awakened more than ever to break away from being a victim, from letting others dictate to us how to feel, what to do, what to focus on. And instead, we are freeing ourselves up to find that independent, uh, sovereign approach to life that resonates purely with our heart, as opposed to being a hand-me-down or a top-down belief or expectation that is placed on you. So this has been the big theme for the last six months, and then it really culminates with this Pisces new moon in a very fortunate way because of that conjunction with Jupiter and with Neptune, the two rulers of Pisces, Jupiter being the original ruler, and Jupiter, of course, represents joy and wisdom and expansion. So there's a lot here that is just making this experience uh, one of incredible letting go, Pisces being the final sign, so it really does govern the end of something. And then at the same time, the new moon is creating this juxtaposition of new beginnings in the letting go and release sign. So this is leading up to one of the most important astrological events this year, and that is when Jupiter and Neptune actually form an exact conjunction, and that will be on April 12th. So again, that number has appeared, and if you think about it, the Piscean age that we have left, we've moved into the Aquarian age, we're at the very beginning of that 2,000-year age now, the Piscean age, the, the shadow side of Pisces is also to give your power away, to be a victim. So we're really coming to terms with new beginnings of freedom, and that's why the the 60-degree sextile to Uranus is so important. It's a very harmonious aspect. Uranus is about freedom and independence of thought and moving into the future without any constraints. And so there's this real understanding of we've completed a whole big, long chapter in human history of being basically told what to do or told what to think or told what to believe and are starting a brand new 2000 year chapter of total freedom where the two waves of Aquarius are actually separate. So that means that we have an identity of our own and then we join the consciousness, the collective with our free understanding that we are not beholden to the collective. We are just part of the collective. We are all one, and yet we are all individuated. So it's a very different approach. It is not one where you feel obligated to follow a certain line of thought or belief, but one where you actually think for yourself and explore. If, if anything, freedom is about exploration. So the magic of this new moon is that you're being asked to create a space so that you let go in order to allow new frequencies, new opportunities, new wisdom through Jupiter to be born within you. Something that aligns better with you, that matches your frequency 
in a more harmonious way. Neptune and Pisces are all about beauty and harmony. And so they also govern dreams. So you will come out of your dream state, be fully conscious about what needs to end so that you can begin fresh with every moment, every thought, every conversation. So this this energy of this positive new moon is really creating a situation that feels beyond your wildest dreams because you've been released from the shackles of expectation. And that is truly symbolic of freedom. So pay attention to any symbols that come your way, any messages that come up in your dreams, because you're really ready to let go and allow your dreams to come to fruition. Now they may be very vivid. They may be prophetic, you know, Jupiter, Pisces, Neptune, incredibly intuitive combination here. So anything is possible. This is really why you're here is to understand that you are an infinite being of light, that you come from God consciousness, that you are part of a collective that is totally eternal and infinite. And that means anything is possible. That's what infinity means. So, so that's what you're here to embody. That is what you trust in is your own ability to tap into that, those infinite opportunities, that infinite sense of who you are. So this Jupiter Neptune meeting with the sun and moon and Pisces is really activating your destiny, your destiny being what lights you up with a sense of purpose. And the growth is enormous. The flip side of 12, the positive expression of that 12 degree is self-growth, is learning, is being the eternal student. And Jupiter also governs growth, expansion, good fortune. So the personal growth factor is big. The collective growth factor is big. And when you add Uranus to the equation, Uranus being the ruler of the new age that we have entered, being exactly sextile the new moon while Uranus is in Taurus, which is a very stable sign of abundance and pleasure and values. This brings a lot of exciting opportunities to Jupiter's growth and Jupiter's wisdom and Neptune's ability to enhance spiritual growth. And so you feel very generous. You feel open-hearted. You feel abundant, prosperous. You are ready to expand your horizons and you can improve on so many levels, wealth expansion, health, happiness, spiritual service, new relationships, intimacy that reaches beyond what it's ever done before. Meaning this trust in yourself allows you to be very vulnerable and open. So nothing is hidden. Nothing is cloaked in illusion. And then we also have Mercury conjunct Saturn. And this conjunction is exact literally an hour before the new moon is exact. So it's very much part of this new moon. It's really amazing for concentration and for being able to think very clearly. So the ability to, to think with clarity, critical thinking, productive, Thoughts that are not distracting you from doing what you're here to do, but literally are giving you the sustained concentration power, 
the patience, the sound judgment to move beyond old habits. And that includes how you think, how you speak, how you convey your message. And then you get into a positive approach instead. So you want to be very conscious about how your thoughts are impacting what you're saying and obviously conveying and communicating and how you connect those to your personal life, but also your professional life. So Saturn governs your professional life. So this is very potent energy in that it helps you to really get down to the nuts and bolts of how your thoughts impact your reality. And then we have another stellium. I mean, almost every planet is in a stellium except, or, or a conjunction, except for Uranus. Uh, Neptune, Jupiter, Sun and Moon, Mercury and Saturn are in a conjunction. And then the final stellium is Pluto, Mars and Venus. So it's pretty much every planet except Uranus. This is ex extraordinary. Uranus is also the ruler of the New Age. So, hey, Uranus is showing the way here towards freedom. So the final stellium, Mars and Venus, which I've been traveling together as a unit since February 16th and continue to travel together and showing us our internal divine feminine and sacred masculine are bringing us to a place of balance how important that is? Well, there's a stellium with Pluto, Mars, and Venus, and that exact triple conjunction happens just hours after the new moon and on March 3rd. So we got three, three. So again, that, that triad of creation, the mother, father, child creation is showing up in this stellium, which involves three planets. I should say three. So, Mars and Venus and Pluto together create intense, powerful energy. And when you use it for an actual purpose, because Pluto is empowering, Pluto purges, and through the purging process, through the letting go and making space for what actually matters now in every moment, you empower yourself. So when you use this energy of the stellium, which is so such a potent creation in the heavens when three or more planets get together when you use it with high intentions it's going to work for you in miraculous ways so whatever you're passionate about whatever lights you up with joy you want to follow that thread you want to be purposeful you want to activate the energy constructively instead of letting it get out of control and that means if you are able to harness this amazing opportunity and focus and, and drive that, because Mars is involved here too, right? A major transformation is possible. And transformation happens within. And so this Mars-Venus conjunction, yes, it's also about love, but it is truly about your internal ability to be in balance with the uh, light and dark, the masculine and feminine, the ability to not take sides, but be in total balance. And by the way, we have a very challenging representation right now of what happens when there is conflict and there is a lack of balance. And that conflict that's evolving right now, we're talking about the Ukraine-Russia situation, it is a symbol of what it is we're moving away from, that we don't want to repeat a sense of fighting the other side 
in order to get some kind of goal accomplished because there is no, there's nothing that gets accomplished through the uh, frequency of conflict. And so this Venus-Mars conjunction is reminding us to not get into a war per se, an internal war within you where you're feeling that internal division because the division itself removes you from your ability to intuit and to stay above the lack of compassion for another. So really it's an invitation to love even the most unlovable. And that's really where you know that you are connected to God consciousness, to source, is when you are able to share love even with those or situations that you find are unlovable. So the Pluto conjunction with Mars and Venus is very important to deepen those feelings of love. You know, Venus rules Taurus. That is where Uranus is, the ruler of the Aquarian age. And Venus is, is truly about affection and reaching out and the, the importance of of, of seeing the beauty and of not moving away from your values. If your values are filled with love, then that is where you're going to be heading. If you value something that is not loving, that is also where you'll be heading because Pluto is going to expand it. So is Jupiter. Remember that Jupiter and Neptune are conjunct this new moon and Neptune is borderless and Jupiter is about enhancement and expansion so whatever you focus on now if it is separation you will feel it much more so it is very important to be empowered through love passion beauty peace and to focus on creation to focus on inner wisdom and your ability to get yourself out of any situation through trust through listening you know, this is a magical new moon. It is very, very positive. It also gives you a lot of power to create. And you can use that power however you wish, but it will move rapidly. It will expand whatever you focus on in a way that uh, will really take off. So you'll get feedback right away. And if you can just remember that Pisces energy is about connecting with what is beyond, so beyond the veil, connecting with the divine, with God, with source, with the universe, with love, with light. If you can just focus on that, that the veil is being parted and we're seeing this stunning new world and we are using our intuition in ways that are seeking answers through wisdom, through compassion. This is a new moon of spiritual rebirth. This is a new moon that allows you to surrender. And if Pisces is anything, it is surrendering to love. So when you surrender your constant thoughts of, you know, whatever it is that's separating you from your heart, your thoughts that are getting distracted by, for example, 
listening to the news, watching TV, whatever it is, right? That's a good way to lose your connection to source. So it is very important to watch yourself, observe yourself, and surrender to love. That's the key to inner peace is is actually surrender. And if you try to fight what is appearing in front of you, you will feel that sense of separation and you will have a life of suffering. There won't be an ease because you've decided to move away from allowing the flow of the universe of life itself to show you the way as opposed to listening to whichever source you are giving your power to for advice on how to think about a situation. That is not that is, it's not for us to take feedback from other people's point of view of what's happening. It is for us to turn to source for inspiration on how to move forward in the most loving way. And that's how, that's how you tune to goodness. That's how life will feel, feel supportive and good to you no matter what is going on around you. You're here to uncover what it is that is blocking peace and love and happiness. And we're seeing obvious signs of that right now. But those signs have been there all along. And they're just coming into our conscious awareness much more now because of the times we're in, in 2022. So what you need to give up to no longer suffer is nothing tangible. It's just being willing to let go of thoughts that are separating you from source, from the light, from the light of wisdom. So it's really actually very simple. And when you tune into this, this, this sense of beauty in your life, the present moment, which is filled with potential and is such a incredible way to tune into your divine source it changes everything so the pisces full moon which is conjunct jupiter is all about finding that happiness it's all about embodying peace it's all about living here now fully in a rich complete happy life to feel enriched from within you're here to discover that joy and peace are actually within you. They're not external, right? These solutions are not external. The solution is within you. And you're here to express that solution to the world. You're not here to do anything except access that inner knowing. That is it, to relax and surrender to that immense, quiet space within you that gives you everything. And that's where eternal love resides. And that's what Pisces represents, is that unconditional love. And that is the spiritual awakening for this Pisces new moon. It's an extraordinary moment, one that also activates the number two happening on March 2nd in 2022. And this number two is truly about the joining of the feminine and masculine energies within each one of us. To not feel division, but to have a bridge to bridge the right and left, the light and dark, the feminine and masculine, without judgment, only discernment, 
and discernment comes from acute listening within. So have an amazing Pisces new moon. Remember that your own star code reveals so much about you and can help guide you to that place of inner peace through your birthday, your birth certificate name, and your astrology chart. And to find out more about your star code, go to starcodeclass.com for a free masterclass I created for you. It includes a free handout as well. It's really fun, and you get to also discover your neighbors, your family, your friends, and how they have a specific purpose and destiny just like you. So everybody's designed in a very unique way, and that can be discovered at starcodeclass.com. So enjoy that free masterclass. And I will see you next week for our next Star Codes episode. Lots of love. Richard, are you still there? Well, I think what she said in a nutshell is, got to look inside, everybody. Yeah, look inside. Mm -hmm. And so, we will share from our hearts here. Ram is going to give us the phone number here. Uh, 720-716-73. Zero one, and the pin code three five three eight six three pound. Om Shivaya. See you on the conference, everybody, and then we'll be right back here at the top of the next hour at BBS Radio, best radio in the universe. It's there's anything. I said that doesn't ring true. Sat Nam. See you on the conference for now. Namaste, everybody. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a quite a, quite a juxtapositioning there, Commander, from. I'm trying to lighten the mood. Uh... <laughs> well, we're going to do the Samadhi meditation now, the pathless path. We're going to finish that, right? Yeah. Here we go. Okay, everybody. Get yourself. In a good space here. This is just so powerful. Uh, no more war. No nukes. World peace now. Nasara now. Here we go. Whatever the practice or technique is, the purification will happen as long as we are cultivating presence and equanimity. Being here in the now, as well as surrendered to what is. Then we continue to unbind the karmic knots that create identification with our avatar. We let go of judging any sensation or thought as good or bad, always going deeper into the sensory field, always perceiving subtler and subtler phenomena, becoming so conscious of what is arising that there is a merging with the meditation object. We become the breath. 
we become the yoga posture. field in what is called Savakalpa Samadhi or Samprajnata Samadhi which is Samadhi with a seed a seed of pattern a seed of form a seed of conditioned mind activity of karmic activity so long as there is a seed of attachment of unconscious mind activity of separation between the inner and outer worlds, then the final goal will not be reached. Savakalpa Samadhi is a preliminary Samadhi, also called Jhana or Dhyana. It is a burning up of karma within the self-structure, an energetic preparation of the vessel for the awakening of one's true nature, which is realized through non-doing through a cessation of mind activity. Your mind is like a pond, and your thoughts are like waves or ripples upon that pond. To make a pond become still, What can you do? Anything you do will stir up more waves. You can't smooth it out or make it be still. The pond only comes to stillness when you have let go of all effort, all striving all movement. Realizing the natural state is not something that you do. It is a recognition of what you are beyond the movement of the mind and senses. Who is moving the mind? Recognize who is choosing. It is only the mind itself that chooses. It is only the mind itself that moves. It is only the mind itself that wants to try to still the mind. words, the limited mind will likely be disoriented, wondering, what do I do? Just allow that disorientation. Become aware of the true self. Become aware of awareness, conscious of consciousness. Stay with it until it alone becomes your reality. 
At the beginning, when you try to observe awareness, you will see only the false self, only the movements of the mind. When I say be aware of the true self, it is not a turning, it is not a movement. It is not like pointing a camera at a new object, but rather it is a giving up or a cessation of the interest or attachment to the movements of the mind. identification with the false self. The body wants comfort and the mind wants to know. The body is attached to sensations of pleasure and avoidance of pain. All sadhana or spiritual practice that leads to samadhi fundamentally involves two things. First, letting go of the duality of comfort and discomfort. And second, entering into a don't-know mind. Deep inner surrender, energetic surrender, and being thoughtlessly present, choicelessly aware. was considered the wisest person of his time. He's famous for the maxim, I only know that I don't know. This is the Socratic paradox. Adopting a don't-know mind, a not-knowing mind, is the gateway to samadhi. still without hope, without thought, because hope would be based on some idea and would be keeping energy flowing into the conditioned mind. T.S. Eliot wrote, I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without thought, for you are not ready for thought. The moment you have a hope, a motive, or a thought is the moment that you are again caught in the conditioned mind. In the Divine Comedy, Dante wrote of an inscription at the entrance to hell. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. It is actually a very practical instruction. It would make a great reminder if it were posted on the doorway of every meditation center, ashram, church or temple. Mm-hmm. 
whatever your hope is, it is based on past conditioning. Hope is a kind of knowing that keeps the ego structure searching, seeking, and doing. When we engage in our sadhana, our spiritual practice that leads to samadhi, then we must abandon all hope, all projections into the future, accepting that we don't even know what to hope for. This is a humbling for the ego. When we abandon hope, we also abandon fear. Hope and fear are the mind's projection into the future, the inner wiring that binds us to identification. Hope is craving. Fear is aversion. If we remain in the now, experiencing this moment as it is, then where is hope or fear? Our spiritual work is to excavate and unbind the knots that tie us to identification with our character. We move beyond comfort and discomfort, entering into the cloud of unknowing. We can do this both through formal practices and in day-to-day -day life. To meditate, to know yourself, is to burn in the now. burn up your patterns, your preferences. And it is not something separate from your life. To be able to drop your pattern, your reactions and your judgments while you're in the midst of them, to drop the fight is the deepest practice. This is the only fight that you win by giving up, by surrendering by dying on the battlefield, willingly climbing onto the cross. for the highest teachings on meditation and self-inquiry, the simple and clear truth. They will hear the Dharma and will understand immediately. These people are like wood that has been well-seasoned, and they are ready to burn themselves up. They just need the spark. Other people seem to require more preparation. They're like wet wood, and they need some time to dry out before they ignite. They need techniques, practices to loosen the bonds of the self-structure, to become free of samskaras. Or at least they believe that this is the case, and the belief makes it so. Practices and techniques are like stepping stones, like using a thorn to remove a thorn, or a pattern to remove a pattern. Spiritual practices such as reciting words, 
practicing a discipline or anything learned is simply imitation. It's something repetitive and conditioned. Because all techniques are conditioned patterns within the mind, the practice itself will never lead beyond the mind to samadhi. You will remain in the pattern, in a robotic, repetitive state. One must hold on to the technique loosely, allowing inner energy to flow freely. When you become absorbed in inner energy, then the conditioned doing is dropped. The conditioned doing, the unconscious programming, was formed due to incomplete experiences. Whenever we have an incomplete experience, it creates an impression in the mind. It creates a little program in the unconscious. This programming or conditioning can come from traumas or simply experiences that we have turned away from because they were too painful. Our self-structure is made up of a legion of little programs which come into being because of incomplete experiences. These memory imprints are not only stored in the brain, but within the energetic systems of the body. Throughout the nervous system, the fascia, and many networks of nadis or meridians. These programs take energy to run. If energy is trapped in the unconscious, then it's like leaving apps open on your phone, draining your battery. Our sadhana is like learning to close the apps on our phone. To become free, we bring consciousness to the subtle sensations, to the field of changing phenomena or energy within us, without reacting to any thought or feeling that arises. By dropping the preferences of the ego structure, moving beyond comfort and discomfort. Everything in the external world is pointing us in the wrong direction. Society tells us to numb our pain, to seek comfort. The way in is the way out. The way out is the way in. We need to turn toward our pain. We become free of samskaras by having a complete experience, by feeling it without reacting, by burning in it. We have a complete experience of the feeling without the emotion. Emotions are reactions. They are feelings that are intertwined with thoughts. We drop the thinking component and stay with the raw feeling, the raw sensation. It has been said that the path to liberation is not about feeling better, but about getting better at feeling. The ultimate examples of this are Jesus on the cross or the Buddha's meditation that led to his enlightenment. It is facing one's greatest pain, one's greatest fears, dropping the concepts, the knowing, and the judgments of good or bad. Awakening is merely the beginning step in an accelerated process of inner development, of growing the inner lotus, of becoming a living bridge, of purifying the human vessel 
to house divine consciousness. Energy is like the Rosetta Stone for spiritual practices. If you understand how energy works, you understand the usefulness of the practice. Every technique or practice is interrupting the pattern of you. You are using a conditioned pattern to interrupt conditioned patterns. You must be willing to let go of the technique once it has served its purpose. Otherwise, you will just create an identity around it and a new spiritualized self-structure. Everything we think we know about meditation. The ancient terms for meditation, jhana, dhyana, zen, or chan, refer to a sort of inner dissolving, a kind of meditative absorption, a transformation or inner purification of egoic conditioning. The ancient meaning of the word jhana is related to the Pali word japeti. Which means to burn up. It is a burning up of defilements, of sin or samskaras. It's a burning up of identification with the false self, a burning up of delusion, a burning up of all preferences out of which the ego construct is made, and a release and coming forth of inner energy. One becomes equanimous with what is, surrendered to what is. Attentive to what is. Awakening to our true nature can happen gradually through these stages of jhana, as the identification with various processes of conditioned mind is dropped, or awakening can happen instantly. This is called satori in Zen. Teaching is transmitted in silence, but with the world such as it is today, very few will understand or be drawn into the source of that silence. There's a famous teaching by Gotama Buddha called the Flower Sermon. The sermon is the origin of Buddhist meditation. You could say it's the origin of Zen. Zen is about direct transmission of the truth. In the flower sermon, the Buddha simply held up a white flower. He was in unmediated presence with the flower, abiding in his true nature. That was the whole teaching. Rather than giving a long satsang or teaching with words. He just let the students sit with the flower for the entire time. Only one student received the transmission. Only one student got it. 
To receive such a subtle transmission requires a subtle mind. The greatest truth is transmitted in silence. How can we receive this transmission of Buddha mind? How can we receive what we already have, what we already are? Primordial awareness is everywhere when we have eyes to see, and nowhere in particular. Upon awakening, the truth is so simple to see that you don't need the mind. The mind is searching and seeking. When that movement is given up, when that movement is burned up, the truth remains. You already are that which you're looking for, but you're identified with the false self. Notice the flower, and notice who or what is observing the flower. What is separating the observer and the observed? Meditation or jhana is to be present here and now. Without the mediation of images in the mind, ideas and concepts, if awareness is absolutely present, so that there is no more knowing, even in the unconscious, then there is no more observer and observed. There is no more relationship between you and anything. There is no more flower and separate observer. It is only the limited mind that sees things. The activity of the limited mind is the creation of things, the creation of the experience of time and space, the creation of duality, of experience and experiencer. It is possible to wake up here and now. To a profound dimension of stillness beyond the mind, not pushing away the mind, but letting it be exactly as it is, yet not getting caught in the mind. Don't try to analyze these words; these are not concepts. If presence has realized itself upon hearing these pointers. Don't let the mind get involved. As soon as you receive the transmission, turn off this video and abide in awareness as awareness. Silence is the greatest teaching, the purest teaching. The next best teaching is pointing directly at the unfathomable. This next teaching has had many names throughout history. It is pointing toward the transcendent self or pure consciousness. In Buddhism, it is called Prajna Paramita, which means the ultimate knowledge or perfect wisdom. Which is distinguished from ordinary knowledge or conditioned knowledge. It is what is realized through the eighth limb of yoga described by Patanjali. 
In Shaivism, this awakening could be described as oneness with Ishvara or Shiva, which are names for absolute consciousness. In Western mystical traditions, the terms henosis or apophaticism have been used to refer to union with the one. Plotinus said that the one transcends all beings but is imminent within them. In Tibetan Dzogchen, it is described as the natural, primordial state of being. They use the word Rigpa to refer to the ground of existence. In Sufism, it is the secret of secrets realized through Fana, which is annihilation or learning to die before you die. In Mahamudra, it is the great seal or the great imprint, the realization of the natural state, primordial awareness, emptiness, absolute, clear and transparent without root. Do not listen to these words with the mind, but recognize within the depths of consciousness that to which they point. cannot be reached by means of movement. If you want to realize the still point beyond thinking, let go of all interest in thoughts and sensations, all preferences, all phenomena generated by the mind and senses, and rest in naked awareness. Sensations are a field of constantly changing phenomena. What is unchanging is the awareness of that field of change. We are usually so caught up in the field of change, fixated on its objects, that we ignore awareness. To realize samadhi, we stop chasing anything in the field of change, any thought, and we rest as awareness. Stop reacting to thoughts and sensations. All suffering is due to our believing our thoughts. Notice the mind's habit of judging or labeling any thought or sensation as good or bad. 
we allow every thought and sensation to be as it is. We don't push away anything, and yet we don't get ensnared in thoughts or hooked by their content. In this way, we approach the absolute by the negative path, the via negativa. Whatever is arising, we realize not this, not that, not this, not that. Through the via negativa, one realizes everything that is arising is not you. You realize that you are nothing, the wisdom of no self. Through the via positiva, one realizes everything that is arising is you. This is love, an energetic connection or merging. Both truths exist simultaneously. exactly emptiness. Emptiness is exactly form. There's a saying in Zen, at the beginning of the path, mountains are mountains and rivers are rivers. After some realization, mountains are no longer mountains and rivers are no longer rivers. But when the final truth is revealed, mountains and rivers are. What has changed on this journey? The mountain and the river remain as they always have been. What has dropped away is your idea of the mountain and the river. What has dropped away is the whirlpool of the mind that mediates that creates the illusion of separation between you and the world. To realize samadhi is not to achieve some extraordinary state, nor is it about staying in the ordinary state of mind. Only the limited mind or egoic mind discriminates ordinary and extraordinary. Turiya, the stateless state, sometimes called the fourth state, is non-dual reality. It is transcendent and imminent within. It is the ground of existence, the fountain of all truth. Your effort to achieve some state is a movement of the mind. To realize the ground of existence is not to transcend the physical and abide in the subtle realm or the causal realm. All of these dimensions of yourself exist simultaneously. Gross, subtle, and causal exist here and now. It is only the limited mind itself that creates the division. To 
realize samadhi is not to try to achieve something. It is a giving up of all interest in thoughts while remaining fully alert, fully conscious, fully awake, without reacting, without doing, without moving the mind, without suppressing the mind. To be aware, to be fully attentive to what is happening, without the mediation of egoic conditioning, without concepts, without controlling, manipulating, or distortion, without the filtering of the limited mind, it is to be present without choosing. Present without choosing, and therefore without a chooser. You could call this a mirror mind. A beginner's mind without memory or past. An open or transparent mind. You make every moment new. unconsciously, even the tiniest movement, it is due to the filtering through the conditioning of the limited self-structure. Whenever the mind moves unconsciously, it is due to some unsatisfactoriness, which is called dukkha in the ancient traditions. How do I let go of dukkha? How do I let go of all unsatisfactoriness? Listen closely. To the limited mind, there's a paradox. The limited egoic mind hears the question and wants to know how. How do I do it? But that limited mind can't do it. The limited mind will always fail in any attempt to realize samadhi. It must fail. The limited mind does not awaken. Primordial awareness wakes up from its identification with the limited mind. The limited mind will always fail in any attempt to realize stillness. Because the mind is movement. The mind itself is movement. And this movement creates the experience of time and space. Creates separation. It is an endless process of doing. On the passless path we awaken from identifying with the character that is doing to recognizing the dimension of being.
separation between doing and being drops away. The separation is simply another mind process. When there's no thinking within the conditioned egoic structure, then there's no problem. The you that you think you are is a process, a constant movement of egoic thought, a collection of patterns and preferences. That you has to die. The pathological pattern of you has to end for samadhi to be realized. Let that sink in. to tell you how to be aware then you'll be paying attention to my words or doing something that I told you rather than being aware of what's actually happening in the now you have to become so conscious of what is so intimate with existence that there's no preference no self or I in it you inhabit or merge consciousness into what's happening. When egoic activity is dropped, you become that which is arising. Actually, that's not true. More correctly, it's the illusion of separation that falls away. The truth is, we were never actually separate. 
spiritual teachers have given the instruction to reach samadhi, be still and know. Be still and know the true self, primordial awareness beyond name and form. Be still and know that you are God, the true self, Buddha nature. What exactly do they mean? What is it that becomes still? Obviously, no one's physical body can become absolutely still, existing within time and space, because time-space itself is movement. Time-space is mind. The universe is big mind, or logos. The first hermetic principle is that the all is mind. The universe is mental. If the universe is mind and mind is movement, how can I be still and know? How can you be still on a globe spinning a thousand miles per hour around its axis, spinning 67,000 miles per hour around the sun, moving 500,000 miles per hour around the galaxy and millions more through the universe? Your heart is beating. Cells are moving inside, food digesting, the brain producing brain waves. Your blood is pumping, energy is moving. How can we be still? When the spiritual masters say, be still and know, they must be talking about something else, something beyond time and space, something beyond the physical and mental. What is meant by stillness is something that we have no word for in our modern language system. The Sanskrit language, the language of the yogis, has more precise terms which point to the non-dual. The term shunyata is often translated as voidness, stillness, or emptiness. Stillness is maybe the closest English word, but it is inadequate to describe something that is not of this dualistic world. What is actually realized is the primordial consciousness, which is beyond stillness and movement, beyond time. It is eternal, the ground of your being, the essential nature of reality that does not change. Actually, it is beyond change and the changeless. When our true nature is realized, it becomes obvious that silence and noise are a duality created by the mind. Stillness and movement are a duality created by the mind. within that primordial stillness. The movement of the world is identical to stillness. Be still and know. Be in motion and know. It is all emptiness dancing. This is not something philosophical, but an entirely different way of interfacing with the world.
Actually, it's about dropping the interface, dropping the reducing valve, which is the self-structure, and experiencing your true nature unmediated by the limited mind. The so-called outer world is transcended by realizing stillness, which, when realized, includes that which it transcends. watching this film, then you've missed what's being said. It would be like mistaking the menu for the meal. To taste the truth takes a true willingness to see the patterns of the self-structure that you refer to as you. It requires a deep excavation, deep surgery on the mind and freeing of samskaras, a deep dismantling, a deep humbling of the self-structure. To realize samadhi, one surrenders to the soul's longing for union. You must want to realize the one source more than anything in the matrix of the mind, more than anything in the external world. External pursuits will seem hollow and meaningless. True meditation, true self-inquiry is coming into the now where everything is experienced, everything is revealed. Everything arises and passes away within a field of equanimity and love. Until the eternal is realized, one must work patiently and persistently, wholeheartedly, with humility, burning up your patterns, your preferences, your conditioning. One can't make awakening happen using the conditioned mind. It happens seemingly by accident, but by practicing presence, it makes us accident-prone. before he was executed were a warning to the world. He said, we owe a great debt to Asclepius. Pay it and don't forget. Asclepius was the god of healing. And you may be familiar with the Asclepius staff, which is a rod entwined with a serpent. It represents healing energy inner energy that is alive, free from conditioning, free to move of its own intelligence, as opposed to the energy of the dualistic mind. In the early centuries BCE, the Asclepius symbol was emblazoned on some of the first money coins mass-produced in ancient Greece and Rome, and it has morphed into what we call the dollar sign today. It is an ancient reminder hidden in plain view, a reminder that an exchange of money is an exchange of energy. 
Christ consciousness or Buddha nature is supported by the feminine principle, by great mother, by the Nagas, the serpent wisdom. This wisdom teaches us to purify the inner temple, to purify ourselves of ego. The feminine principle has had countless names throughout history. Gaia, Shakti, Sophia, Logos, Mahalakshmi, Parvati, Durga, Isis, Mary, the spiral of life. This living energy of the higher mind is the innate intelligence of the universe. This nature wisdom has been systematically suppressed, demonized, exploited and controlled throughout the last millennia. In order to free energy from the unconscious definitions that we hold, we must unbind the knots that create identification with the ego structure. Letting go of grasping at comfort, letting go of knowing. Right now, at this time in history, at this time within yourself, the debt that Socrates is speaking of is coming due, both individually and collectively. There is only one currency with which you can pay this debt. You must pay with yourself. energy, our inner aliveness, from its prison in pathological thought structures, it becomes free to connect us with higher levels of mind. Energy is what connects us all. Another name for this energy is love. All true spiritual masters say that love is the true religion. Love is the religion of the future. It cannot be institutionalized, systematized, or conditioned. Love is inseparable from the realization of the one primordial consciousness. To love is to be one with.
Oh my. We're not going back to sleep, are we? <laughs> oh, that was lovely, Rama. How did you find that? Yoga. <laughs> oh. Remember to ask for what we want, everyone. Okay, so Rama, we're going to uh, Holy Relics and the Afterlife. Is that the choice? Yeah. I find here. Even though we're keeping in mind that we don't not required to die right yeah okay so this is beyond belief with george nori it's the age-old question what happens as we die new york times best-selling author paul perry has been researching the afterlife and near-death experiences for decades producing books films documentaries Perry has teamed with dedicated researchers including Dr. Raymond Moody Dr. Melvin Morse and Danian Brinkley yeah oh my goodness sharing insight from years Working in the field with experts, Perry discusses holy relics from the Vatican, his knighthood from the Portuguese royal family, following the trial of Jesus in Egypt, near-death experiences, and reincarnations. That's quite a mouthful. Mm. Daniel Brinkley, wow. Okay, so are we ready, Commander? Mm. Yes? Just a moment. Okay. There was another piece that just said when I heard the word Vatican that the um, Russian Orthodox Church actually called the Vatican out and the Vatican had to pay the Russian Orthodox Church. Do you remember what that was about? Again, I forgot. No. No, there we go. But the church never owes anything to anybody what this time they did. Okay, mm. here we go. Oh, my. Time for love, everybody. <laughs> He said, I've got this writer who can't pull the trigger on a book. His name is Raymond Moody. Have you ever heard of him? All these people came up and they said, I can't wait till I die. Whoa, you came close to dying yourself. Ventricular tachycardia. Oh yeah. my God. The Widowmakers, they call him. Have you looked at the death of Jesus? I have not, but I've looked at the life of Jesus. 
there's whole medical papers published about did Jesus yeah. have a near-death experience? Exactly. How do we know it wasn't an extraterrestrial craft? We don't know. What are holy relics? They are body parts of saints. Body parts of saints? Yeah. <laughs> Once a year, he would come out and he would show them to the public. And they'd cheer. Some people would die. Well, thanks for joining us on Beyond Belief. Paul Perry is with us, a documentary filmmaker and co-author of several incredible New York Times best-selling books, including Evidence of the Afterlife and Saved by the Light. Paul, welcome to Beyond Belief. Thank you. I've wanted to be on this show for a long time. Your works are simply stupendous. Thank you very much. How did you get involved in this? Well, I was editing a magazine in New York called American Health Magazine. It was the most successful magazine of the 80s. And uh, one day I got a call from my book agent who wanted me to meet him and have a hamburger. And uh, so we're having this hamburger and he says, you know, I've got this I've got this writer who can't quite pull the trigger on a book. His name is Raymond Moody. Have you ever heard of him? And I said, no, I've never heard of Raymond Moody. And he says, well. He works in the field of near-death experiences yeah. and near-death studies. Have you ever heard of a near-death experience? I said, yeah, you know, people, nah. they, they drown, they see a tunnel, you know, but I'm not really that interested. And he said, look, for the editor of a major magazine, a major health magazine, you're not very smart. <laughs> you need to do a book with Dan, with uh, uh, Raymond Moody Ooh. and uh, understand what, light, what near-death experiences are right. about. So I did that, and I flew to Georgia where, where Raymond lived, and we did, uh, uh, the first book we did together was called The Light Beyond, and that was supposed to look at all the research that had been done since uh, Life After Life had been written 10 years earlier. So you learned quickly. I learned quickly, and I learned from the master. You know, you Raymond did. is a wonderful, wonderful Super teacher. Guy. Think the world of him. And we got to this point where... We finished the book, but we had just a little tiny bit in it about children and near-death experiences. And I said, well, isn't anyone doing research on children and near-death experiences? And Raymond says, only one person that I know, and that's a pediatrician in Seattle named Melvin Morse. Aha. Uh-huh. And okay. uh, he said, why don't you go see him if you're interested in doing a book? So I called Melvin. I went and stayed with him and convinced him to do a book on children and near-death experiences. And that came out, it was closer to the light. We couldn't sell that book to anybody. It it was uh, uh, rejected by 18 publishers. Wow. And one publisher, HarperCollins, Diane Reverend at HarperCollins, bought it. And the day she called to tell me she bought it, I had also received all the rejection letters from the other publishers. And they stayed your publisher, I think, haven't they? Mostly, yeah, yeah. and most books. And I was reading these uh, these rejection letters, and, and they're all saying things like, people don't care this much about their children. This is a magazine article, not, not a book. Uh, there was a typo on page two of the proposal, and I won't take it because of that. And, uh, and meanwhile, here's Diane Reverend on the phone saying, you know, if you do this right, it's going to be huge. And it was. It came out. Oprah grabbed it. And uh, it took off like a rocket ship. Like a rocket ship. Yeah. Saved by the Light, your co-author with Daniel Brinkley. How did that right. relationship occur? Well, uh, I was, I've written two books now on near-death experiences. One was The Light Beyond with Raymond, 
the other was closer to the light. So at that point, you're beginning to become the expert. Trying to be. Yeah. Uh, and I was in, I went to a conference in Seattle and, uh, uh, the conference with, with Melvin. And after we spoke, all these people came up and they said, I can't wait till I die. Whoa. And yeah, and we both put the brakes on. And then this happened again in the next conference we were at and again. And, and I said, that really isn't what these books are about. Uh, I need to do a book about one case study, the best one I can find, that shows the good and the bad of a near-death experience. Sure. And so I went out searching for the best case study. And I found a number of people, but they just didn't seem right. I didn't feel like I could work with them. And I went to Raymond's house. Raymond lived in Alabama. And, uh, and I was talking to Raymond about this. And Raymond says, have you ever met Daniel Brinkley? And I said, no, I hadn't. And at this point, I'd known Raymond for two years, and they were really tight at that point, but I'd never met Daniel. And he said, well, next time he's around, uh, you should come and, and visit him. You should, you should meet him. Ten minutes later, Daniel comes blasting in the door. White T-shirt covered with oil. Big guy. Big guy. Noisy. Uh, he's out, so he, he drove his car up to get a wrench or something from Raymond. He's got that little accent. Yeah. <laughs> Total hillbilly. And, uh, and that was the first time I met him. And he did what he does so well is he just read me psychically. Read me. And, uh, uh, we had all kinds of great conversations about near death experiences and people he had met, things that had happened to him. As soon as I got home, I called Diane Reverend and called Nat, my agent, and we all flew back to Alabama and uh, met with Daniel. And by the end of the day, he had done the same thing, same magic to them that he had done sure. to me. And uh, he wowed them. And we had a book contract. And his stories hit by lightning several times. It's right. just amazing, indeed. You produced a documentary called Afterlife. Correct. Which yeah. Tells a incredible story about the afterlife. There are a million ways to die. Perhaps two million. Perhaps even more. In fact, we don't even know how many ways there are to die. But one thing we do know is that a high percentage of those who die have what is commonly known as a near-death experience. Many people report going up a tunnel and seeing heavenly bodies bathed in bright light. And a good number see their life flash before them in a life review and even enter a heavenly realm. We have many representations of near-death experiences all around us. Artists down through history and in every culture have been there to record these heavenly encounters. It's as though mankind takes a common path to heaven and always has. I know all about near-death experiences because I have written about them nine books in all, with a number of the field's top researchers. I have looked at death in many ways and in many cultures. Yet, funny thing, in all the years I have studied and written about death, I have rarely thought that it would ever happen to me. Most of the time I thought that I would always be here, a permanent inhabitant of the living world. What was it Sigmund Freud said? When we attempt to imagine death, we perceive ourselves as spectators. Like most everyone else, I too imagine myself as a spectator. I hid behind my writing, safe from mortality. 
I had a box seat in the stadium of mankind, an eternal observer in the game of life. Then reality paid me a visit. It was a beautiful day with spectacular light and clean air. It was, as they say, a good day to die. I was out taking a walk in the desert when, out of nowhere, my heart began to race fast and hard like a runaway engine. Before long, I was down and out. In a lucid moment, I realized that I could easily become the subject of my own work. I imagined what that would be like by remembering stories used in the books I had written. No longer did I believe that the only thing wrong with immortality was that it goes on forever, or that it was a fate worse than death. I wanted real answers to the age-old question: What happens when we die? You came close to dying yourself. Ventricular tachycardia. Oh yeah. my God! Left ventricle. <clears throat> the widowmakers, they call them. Um, did anybody find you out there? I actually finally got up, and my wife came over. My wife was there and uh, helped me to the car, and we went to the Mayo Clinic and got. Uh, Got fixed. You know, how long ago was that? Ooh, 15, 20 years ago. Good for you. Yeah. Well, that gives you, I think, the credibility to write about near-death experience. It does. You know, when you stand close to the edge, you have a different view of the world, that's for sure. What do you think the other side is all about? What is it, Paul? Well, well, I have this conversation a lot with, with Raymond and, uh, uh, what we know is that people who have near-death experiences, many of them go into a heavenly realm. Uh, they describe it as like looking like looking at a city at night and seeing the bright lights. Right. That's that's one way to describe it. Others is that it's a very pastoral uh, uh, scene. But the problem with near-death experiences is that they're that they're gateway experiences. What do you mean by that? Well, they'll they'll take you to the gate of eternity, if you will. But if you cross the boundary, and there's almost always a boundary involved in a near-death experience, people can't cross a certain boundary. And they're told if you cross this boundary, you're not coming you're back. You're not coming back. And if they cross that boundary, we don't know what happens. We don't know what the heavenly realm is like. So all we have is is a gateway experience where we go to the gates. Uh, we go to the city limits. But we don't go right into the city itself. Are you convinced that the dying experience and the other side is real? I am. Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely convinced. Were you always convinced? No, of course not. No, I'm a very skeptical person. What changed you? Meeting other Studying, people or meeting, your own situation? Well, no, not my own situation. It was it was meeting other people and studying it and, uh, and realizing that here's the one of the most important things about near-death experiences is that they're consistent experiences throughout all cultures. So uh, a Muslim in Egypt is going to have the same, uh, same uh, yeah, the same symptoms, if you will, of a, of a near-death experience as someone here, someone in Omaha, for instance. What are shared death experiences? Well, a shared this. Let me walk into that a little bit. Uh, one of the problems with the near-death experience is that it's subjective. So in other words, if you have a near-death experience, you can only tell me about it. I can't experience it. Right. 
And uh, that's what makes it a subjective experience. And that's what makes it the source of a lot of criticism uh, by, by skeptics. The skeptics think it's a figment of the imagination or it's the dying process that creates this illusion. It's that. They, they think it's a dream or they think it's a, a mechanistic aspect of our brain that triggers these elements. And, and people who have near-death experiences generally don't have all the elements of a near-death experience. But they'll leave their body, they'll go up a tunnel, they'll see a dead relative, they'll see a being of light. Uh, so there's subjective experiences because you can't really take me there. You can only tell me about it. What tends to send people back? It's generally uh, a, a being of light that that uh, that speaks to you, you know, that speaks to these people and says you can't leave, you can't go. So a lot of people want to go beyond the boundary, and and they're told by a being of light or just a voice that that sorry you can't go, you have things to do. Well, do you think these shared death experiences are the real deal? Yes, I think shared death experiences are completely different from a near death experience. Our friend Raymond Moody, whom we've mentioned several times uh, already, uh, had an opportunity to talk with you about the death experiences. Oh, that's great. For a long time, we've known that people who almost die in return have these extraordinary experiences. But it's now becoming quite obvious that this experience is also very common um, among those who are standing at the bedside of a dying loved one. That is, it's quite common that when a loved one dies, the people standing around will say that they seem to leave their bodies. They seem to accompany the dying person part way into another realm. And these are people who are not near death. They're perfectly well. Absolutely. They're just standing there accompanying at the bedside someone who is dying. And all of the effects that we hear from near-death experiences are also present in the shared death experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, people say that they become aware of a beautiful light a very common feature is that they tell us that uh, that they see the relatives of the deceased person coming to meet them and to take them away. Right. Um, another very common feature is, of this is that people will tell us that they actually see the spirit of the person who is dying uh, stand up or, or rise up from the body that's just deceased. Very often this takes the form of a misty uh, a globe, sometimes a globe of golden light. Sometimes it's described more as a uh, grayish cloud and that this just rises up and typically passes through the ceiling. In quite a number of cases, however, this is described as having more of a form. People will say that uh, as though they a, were a transparent replica of the person who is dying, just sort of mm-hmm. sits up or stands up out of the body and goes away. He is one of a kind, isn't he, Paul? <laughs> He's wonderful. He makes the dying process seem so real. He does. He almost makes it seem fun. 
I'm in no rush. Either are you. No, I'm not. But when we get there, it's nice to be able to know because do you think when that time comes, we'll think back at moments like this and go, oh, yeah, we talked about that. Oh, I think we will. I mean, when the time comes, I think we'll have a very uh, extensive life review. That's one thing that uh, almost all near-death experiencers have where they go back and they review their entire life in minute detail. And they generally do it with kind of a babysitter, if you will, someone who's who's speaking to them and saying, oh, you should have done this, you shouldn't have done that. or you know, But they aren't there to shame you. They're just there to help you understand how, to, how, to, how you could have operated better in life. Have you looked at the death of Jesus? I have not, but I've looked at the life of Jesus. Because I think he had a shared death experience. I, you know... We had that discussion a lot. Did Jesus have it? I mean, there, there's a, there's whole medical papers published about that. Did Jesus have a near-death experience? Exactly. And uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. I mean, something happened 2,000 years ago. Absolutely. Very yeah. mystical, very supernatural. Yeah, sure. And uh, God, I would love to have been a witness to that. But then it carried it carried on beyond a shared death experience. I mean, it, it would you could easily classify it as a shared death experience. I think so. But then there's other things that that, that happened where he he later appeared later to different people in and, different places. In too. Different places, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different places actually, and and so that takes it into a different realm from shared death experiences. That Tell takes it into an actual resurrection. Tell me about Jesus in Egypt. Well, I got intrigued by Jesus in Egypt when I went to Egypt in, I think it was in 1995. My dad was born in Cairo, by the way. I thought My so. Father. Yeah. I thought so. And uh, I, I went to Egypt to do a documentary film on the stone temples of the Nile. Uh-huh. And so we just we flew to Egypt, and, you know, it's a very exhausting flight. And we flew to Egypt, immediately got on another plane, flew way out to Abu Simbel, and we had our production boat out there, and we got on the production boat, and everyone's exhausted. And I'm sitting on, at the, on the bow of the boat, because we're there to work on a documentary on the stone temples of the Nile. Right. And I'm sitting on the bow of the boat, and all of a sudden across the desert, there's, uh, there's three guys on camels, all dressed in white. And I, and I thought, you know, too I, biblical. It was too biblical. And, and I thought, you know, Jesus was here. It's in Matthew. It says that he came to Egypt to get away from King Herod. They, the he whole escaped. family, he escaped. Yeah. The whole fled, family fled. And what's left of him here? You know, do people know what he did? He was here according, if you look at the, if you do the math on the verses in the Bible, there's only a few verses about him being in Egypt. There's only a, a verse that says they fled from from Israel. He was a boy when they came in. He was very young, yeah. probably about two years old. And, uh, and then five and a half, five verses later, they leave Egypt. And it doesn't really tell what he did while he was there. So I started asking people in, in every town we'd get to in the boat, uh, G- Jesus was here. What do you know about him? Everybody. I was asking all kinds of people. And they knew who he was, right? Well, they're Muslims, so, you know, Jesus has a, a really big place in the Koran. He does. And, right. uh, and so does the Holy Family. So, 
they all started telling me stories. They said, well, you know, he was here in Materia, and uh, and there's a tree there that they say is, has continued to grow for 2,000 years that shows he was there. Or he was, you know, in, in Gable Terre right. and and uh, in parts of Cairo. Cairo didn't exist then, but he, but the area did. And uh, and so I started getting these stories from Egyptians and putting them on a map. And I hit pins and I would put the map, you know, map his course through Egypt. And then he was all over the place. Was he it? was, but then I was able to contact uh, Pope Shenouda who's the Coptic Pope for Coptic Christians. And and he says, well, I have a map. We've just uh, finished a map uh, of where Jesus was, where the Holy Family was. And we have put together a synod of bishops to decide if this map is authentic or not. And they had Muslims and they had uh, Coptic bishops as well. And he gave me a copy of the map. So at that point, that was became the focus of my life. I had to go to Egypt, and I had to go visit all the sites that Jesus had visited. And you produced a documentary. I produced a document. Well, I first wrote a book. I wrote Jesus, a, Jesus in Egypt. Jesus right? in Egypt. So Beautiful. It's, it's out there. Well, now. let's take a little look at the. Oh yeah, yeah. Of this documentary. to know how you can tell where this Holy Family Trail is, looking back 2,000 years. Yes, uh, in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, the angel appears or uh, there are a vision to Joseph to take the uh, baby and uh, his mother to go to Egypt. Both the Pope and the Bishop thought that I should start my journey in the same place that the Holy Family crossed into Egypt. About 2,000 years ago, what did they see at this temple complex of Telbasta? Christian tradition says that Jesus and the Holy Family arrived here at Telbasta and the locals rejected them. And so Jesus, more or less out of anger, destroyed all the temples. It must be amazing to walk on the same ground that Jesus walked on. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, the archaeologists say that if when you go to the pyramids now... It looked exactly the same way that it looked when Jesus came through. And and then you're going to places that tourists don't go to when you follow the trail of Jesus. And and uh, uh, you, know, you see a lot of things that have never really been seen before. In fact, we showed this. We had the premiere for this with uh, the Mubarak family. Mm-hmm. And uh, he used to be president of Egypt, Egypt until he got overthrown. They sit him out in the uh, Arab Spring. Right. And we showed it in the opera in the opera house at Cairo, and he brought sixteen hundred of his best friends. Sixteen hundred. Yeah. And uh, we sat up in a hardened opera box, my wife and I, with with uh, Mrs. Mubarak and Mr. Mubarak, oh, cool. and Boutros Ghali and a number of other people, luminaries. And Mrs. Mubarak kept turning around to us and saying, "This is an Egypt I've never seen before." Really? Yeah. 
And she said that a number of times. It's it's really very true. It's way, way off the beaten path. Tell me the significance, Paul, of Jesus in Egypt, in your opinion. Well, you know, he was with us 33 years, and the Bible covers only three and a half years. Well, it covers that actually covers about not a lot, not a lot. It covers a bit less than 10 years. And so the significance to me is that there's a lot of information out there that wasn't used in, in the Bible. And a lot of those are, are oral tradition, which Middle Eastern Christians believe is, is grade A gospel. And so I used a lot of those. The Quran has a lot of stories in it about Jesus and about Mary and Joseph that the Bible doesn't have at all. So I wanted to combine all of these stories to tell the as complete a story as I could about what I always call the secret childhood of Jesus. Uh, because I think it's important to know what kind of a child he was. It's important to know that he, he did divine things. I was going to say, did he do mystical things then? He did do mystical things, yeah. He did a lot of healings, according to the oral tradition. At a young age. age. A very young age, about three or four. He was He was born as if a man. Did he know who he was at that time, in your opinion? I think it's clear that he did. He knew he was very special. And, his, of course, his family knew he was very special. And he showed this specialness by going through uh, Egypt and, you know, doing miracle after miracle until people were literally following him. How old was he when he left Egypt? Oh, he was about uh, five and a half years old. And they came back to where? The Middle East? Yeah, according to... The Bible, and according to the information I found, they left a suit, which is the center of Egypt, and they and they took a boat back to Israel. And then... When they were out of danger from Herod, right? Yes, yeah, they were contacted by an angel in, in a suit. And a suit now, interestingly enough, is it has a church dedicated to that, and a, an area called Gebel Ater, which is Mountain of Fire. And that's where they say that the Holy Family lived for nine months until they got the message from from uh, an angel that they could return to Israel. But now, in that area, there's repeat uh, uh, visions that occur from the sky. Still. Still. Oh, yeah. And and I photographed one. There's, there's uh, I photographed one. And what did it look like? It looked like a shower of light. And that was orange. And it came down on top of this church, but the church was white, and you could tell that it that it wow it wasn't something it wasn't an anomaly that happened. How do we know it wasn't an extraterrestrial craft? We don't know. You know, possible, possible. I took it to the uh, uh, Apple Lab at American University and had them uh, examine it, and they all they examined it and they said this was not uh, something that happened. You know, it wasn't a flare on the lens, that it was truly something that came down from the sky. That is dramatic. So he leaves Egypt, goes back to goes back Palestine, to I yeah. guess, right? right. Mm-hmm. And then he disappears. Just disappears until he pops up again when he's close to, what, 30? Well, he pops up again at the age of 12 for one day. And, uh, and then after that, from the age of 12 until the age of 30, He's uh, off the he's off the the off the chart charts. charts. He's off the Bible charts, but 
there's a number of stories and books in the Bible that, that, that did not make that and books that did not make it into the Bible. And those are the stories that, that I relied on to do Jesus in Egypt. And my intention is to go ahead and do the rest of the trip that covers the next, uh, you know, 17 or 18 years where, where he left Paul. and went to Israel. He was one of a kind. Obviously. He was definitely one of a kind. Most, uh, most important person in history. Changed the world. Most formidable, easily, yeah. Do you think he was the real deal? He has to be the real deal. I mean, he exhibited so much power. And power through, through kindness. What are holy relics? You've done some work there. Holy relics, uh, they are body parts of saints. Body parts of saints? Yeah, body parts of saints. Like- Ears and fingers, fingers, and arms. ears, noses. Uh, uh, you know, where, then, where were they obtained? Well, supposedly they were obtained uh, after. You know, it, they were obtained from from saints after the saints died, and and then they were spirited away by by Christians. And so Christians a saint would die, this. and they chop them up, or if if they weren't chopped up before by people who didn't like them. My God. You know, so if you have Matthew, for instance, Matthew, uh, when, when Christ, uh, was crucified, Matthew went to Alexandria and he started preaching the word in Alexandria and he had his head cut off. And his head is now a relic. Where is it? Well, it was in, uh, it was in Egypt. The Coptic, uh, Christian church had it. The Catholics took it and the Catholics put it in the, in the Vatican. His skull. His skull for several years until recently, until the last uh, three or four years. They had it, actually? Had they, it. they actually had it, and they gave it back to uh, Coptic Christians. That's amazing. Well, there's a lot of trade that goes on in body parts, if you will. Is there any feeling of special supernatural things when you're close to it? There's always a feeling when we're, when I'm close to all of this stuff, when, when, uh, when I'm close to holy relics, for instance. Uh, holy relics are amazing. And I never had thought about them in my whole life until I became a knight in Portugal. And, uh, uh, I'm a knight with the Portuguese royal house. Oh, good. And I met a fellow there named, uh, Carlos Evaristo, who's the Vatican relic expert in Portugal. And he introduced me to their private collection, which is 25,000 certified relics. That they have at the castle in, in Aram, Aram Castle. Yes. Now, what's the significance of the body parts? What do they do? They're they're objects of veneration. Simple. People think they heal, and you get a bone people, of a finger and rub it over you, or what? Hey, just being in the same room, being really? praying to it. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard of this. Oh yeah, no, really. They're they're in beautiful reliquaries. They're called. They're in gold, little golden. Church hat that looks like churches. They're in these little golden houses. They're in. Uh, uh, there's some where there's a bone of a, of a of a saint, and it's in a reliquary that looks like the whole hand and the bone, and you can see a window oh, and you can see the bone. It is fascinating. Well, you produced a documentary called Relic Kingdoms. Relic King. Yes, and what I was doing was going all over Europe filming relics. All right, let's uh, take a look. Yeah. Oh, Indiana Jones, you chose poorly. You spent years reading ancient manuscripts and scouring antique maps to find the Holy Grail, the cup of the Last Supper of 
of Jesus Christ, the most sought-after relic of all times. Yet none found it, even you, Indy. You went to the deserts of Jordan and found, well, a fiction, imitation grails guarded by a bewildered and immortal knight. All false, Mr. Jones. The real grail wasn't there. That's because it's here, in Valencia, Spain, where it has been for hundreds of years, at first hidden, but now in plain sight. This is the story of the real cup of the Last Supper, the first relic of Christendom, the one and only Holy Grail. That's a fascinating documentary, Paul. It's uh, it's kind of amazing. What are the implications for all of us with these holy relics? Well, there's none unless you're uh, a member of the faith. I, I will say that almost every religion uh, that's non-Protestant has relics. Uh yeah, in, in Egypt, every church, every has church has the bones of, of uh, St. Michael, you know, St. George. It goes on and on. But they're just little powdered bones. I mean, everyone says, well, they couldn't possibly have all the bones of, of uh, St. George because they would have 5,000 pounds worth of bones. Right. But that's not the case. They just have a little bit of powder from from. And those. Jesus, of course, resurrected. There are no bones. Right. Right. You know, wouldn't that be amazing, though, to have that? That'd be wonderful. But it's our, it's our connection to the divine. I mean, that's how people who, who believe in relics and worship relics look at them. They look at them as a connection to the divine. So in France, for instance, you had Louis XI, who ruled that country because he was called the Relic King, and he had the Crown of Thorns. And uh, we had an opportunity to work with the Crown of Thorns. But he had the crown of thorns. Once a year, he would come out and he would show them to the public, hold them up, and that would be it. And they'd cheer. Some people would die. Tell me the significance of all of this with afterlife, which is what we talked about in the beginning. Well, it all links somewhere. I, I think it all links in, in the spiritual realm, where you go from uh, near-death experiences to shared death experiences. There's a clear link there. Uh and then it's not a big step to be deal, wanting to deal with Egypt and to deal with Jesus. Egypt is the first resurrection uh, religion in history. And that's where uh, almost all resurrection teachings came from until, until the time of Jesus. So it's, it's not a really big step to make, to make that jump to Egypt. Yet the ancients believed in life after death, way beyond before Jesus. They did, but, uh, oh yeah, they definitely did. Yeah, you can see that, and I'm sure it was before Egypt even, but you can see evidence of it on the walls of Egypt, which are thousands of years old, and you can see near-death experiences written in the walls. Well, they had books, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, where it was basically a guide on what's going to happen when you die. That's it. And it's, uh, uh, you can see it on the walls, you can read it in those books. It's, it's my theory that resurrection religion, even to the day, even till now, came largely from the Egyptians. They kind of codified it. Everything seemed to come from the Egyptians. Or the Greeks. Or the Greeks. <laughs> that was, that was true, yeah. Do you think they go back much farther than we think? Uh, the Egyptians? Societies? Yeah, they do. Absolutely do. And I think there's, there's, 
great archaeological evidence of that. You don't see much archaeological evidence of the of the Egyptians until things went stone, you know, where they started dealing with stone and building pyramids. That was in 2600. By if they built them. Well, anyway. Uh, and the, the, the architect was thought to be a guy named Inhotep. What's next for you, Paul? Um, I want to get this series done, the Relic series done. And I'm also working on a book on shared death experiences. Um, beyond that, that's about it. Yeah, the shared death experiences, which we've talked about, are really fascinating. Right? They are fascinating. And you can look at, you can look at, uh, old documents and see them in, in history. Plato wrote about them in Plato's Republic. There's a, there's a shared death experience that happens in, in Plato's Republic. Uh, you see them in the Bible. What creates the sharing experience? Oh, that's a, a million dollar question. It sure is. And, and uh, I don't think anyone knows. However, the, the, uh, inst- the National Institutes of Health are now investigating something called terminal lucidity, which is, as it sounds, it's people who become lucid after they are certified like a lucid terminal. dream, but. Yeah, but they're, 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 they're essentially they have no, uh, brain waves. A lot of these people who have terminal lucidity have no brain waves. But then they come back? They come back and, and they're in bed. I've seen it. I actually saw it one time. Uh, they, they wake up out of a coma and the coma, you know, that they, they have no brain waves. So they're essentially not there. Right. And they wake up out of a coma. They carry on very lucid, lengthy conversations. Their family members think, oh my God, we can bring them home now. And they generally die within a few hours or a oh couple days later. All of them? Almost all of them. There's a few that have lasted. Are you aware of Evan Alexander? Yeah, yeah, I know Evan, yeah. Great story. Yeah, he's a good story. Afterlife yeah. and you pass on and. Yeah. Everybody seems to talk about the same thing, Paul. Well, that's because it happens the same way to everybody. I mean, you can look at the research of, of Jeff Long, who Jeff has collected, uh, Jeffrey Long. Jeffrey yeah. Long has collected, I don't know, four or five thousand case studies from all over the world. They all read the same. They're all the same. Are you afraid of dying? I think everyone's afraid of dying. I don't care what they say. And, uh, yes, I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of taking a journey that I don't know where I'm going. Uh, I know what will happen up to a certain point, but like I said before, it's a gateway experience. I don't know what's beyond. Do you believe in reincarnation? Raymond and I did a book on reincarnation. You and did. and we, right. we did that because we were asking the same question. You know, we're running into reincarnation stories constantly by studying near-death experiences. Paul, thanks for being yeah. on Beyond Belief. It's the age-old question. What happens when you die? One day we'll all find out, but not yet. Not yet. I'm George Nori, and thanks for watching Beyond Belief. We had lunch with George Nury one day, Rama and I. Yes. Yes, we did. I forgot the name of the lady that he was with at the time. It was at the Prophets Conference, 1999. Mm. Oh, my. Okay. Rama wants to do this one next. It's called Redirecting Timelines. What are time units? 
and how do they connect ETs with humanity? According to Tactical Advisor Tim, quote, time units are groups of grays sent through time by the First Order to heal and correct damages to timelines caused by Draco reptilians. The Greys told Tim that there is a particular Draco species responsible for using fear and angst to dominate worlds. These dragon-like reptilians violated laws of the First Order by going against universal laws of free will. Mm-hmm. Here we go. This one is 25 minutes. Here we go. Today on Cosmic Disclosure, we're at an undisclosed location with Tim. Tim is a tactical advisor in the covert governance in Germany who analyzes and suggests various strategies in relation to extraterrestrial groups in contact with Earth. Tim, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. We've talked a lot about the Greys. What other ET races are influencing our planet? Today we're heading towards the really, really dark abyss of the universe because we're talking about one reptilian species that is mentioned as an enemy of the greys and also became an allegedly enemy to the earth people and we already heard a lot of stories from people in the military that fought them and I got to admit that I don't feel too comfortable speaking about this topic, but it's still really important to understand what is happening right now. So I'm going to do that. From my point, as a political um, diplomatic being, um, I try to be as neutral as possible. I also have to mention that I did not really met the species at all. I mean, I had one incident which turned out badly. And so everything that we are now talking about is something that comes directly from from the grace or from the earthly military. So we're talking about that and about the species. Um, But I'm still trying to be as neutral as possible and maybe offer some exit strategies to that because the military clearly has a different opinion on that. The species we're talking about, I know as being called by the Greys as Zorgon. Did the Greys come up with the name Zorgon? Yes, the Greys came up with the name Zorgon. This is the way they named that species. I know that a lot of people will now get to Google, but they will find information on a fictitious species from, I don't know, some book or anything else, um, and some details on that, which 
purely nonsense. I have two explanations to that. Because the military, at least the episodes that I've seen and the information that I've read and pop culture, they have a different name for the species. And I think it's the same species. But the Greys came up with the name Zorgon, and I have two explanations. One is, either this is a thing about the subconsciousness, because they were applying to earthly languages, and they some words were just off in the communication, and they might have seen that there is somebody who wrote a fictitious book about a reptilian race. This is option one. So that kind of moved this name into the language of the grace communicating with us. The second option, which could also be possible, and keep in mind that this is a time-traveling species that overlook a lot of things, they might have put that name so the audience can go to Google or something and put it in and see the images because there are no officially released images of non-terrestrial beings yet. And what they see, that's pretty much depicts the species. Do the Zorgons resemble any other race in the ET world that we know of? Yes. I think from what I've read in pop culture and what I've heard about other people coming forward with their stories and encounters with this species. We are talking about the species that is called the Draco. Is that how these beings refer to themselves? I don't know. I've never met them. There was one incident um, where, I mean, I was naive and young and I was thinking I can, I was able to communicate peacefully and constructively with the grace. And they're not easy to handle. Um, you need to be careful about them. So I thought, yeah, let me check on them. Um, but it went wrong. I don't remember things. I had a terrible PTSD for about two months where I thought uh, a dragon would uh, attack me somewhere. So that was terrible. So I'm very A, cautious, and B, as I do not have any direct information, I'm only giving you secondhand information. Um, yeah, and I need to say that before we continue with the episode. Do we have any idea where the Zorgons originate from? I don't know that. I have not looked into the cases. I um, have no memorized direct experience with them. I don't know. I have been told that they had in some point of history some basis on Earth and they might have evolved from some kind of dinosaur reptilian species way back. But I don't know that. I do know and we all know that there are stories about dragons in the history of man and there are a lot of dragons everywhere, depicted everywhere. Um, it might be because they resemble that in a way from their appearance that this is the same species, but I don't know that. What are the characteristics of the Zorgons? 
what I want to say is that maybe this is all a hoax. I don't know if this species exists. So that's, that's what I'm, what I'm wanting to, what I think I want to say to you. Why could the Zorgons be disinformation? I have no direct contact with them. The one that I had, I don't clearly remember because something went terribly wrong. Maybe there's reason to find somebody, you know, put it into a strategy for planet Earth. I'm just theorizing. I don't know. You're cautious because the Greys may have planted disinformation to promote reptilian propaganda? Possible. I don't know that. And it's not only the Greys. Every kind of military on this planet will benefit from a common enemy. I'm just saying that I have no direct information or direct contact with them that I can remember. I had this one incident. Um, I do not remember things. I was, I had some traumatic experience often, actually. So, but I know people are talking about that. There are people from the military that are, that actually are claiming that they have interacted and being in a war with them. And also, as far as I know, the um, conventional military on Earth right now, not the secret space force, but the conventional military on Earth, is also preparing for conflict with them. And also claiming they had conflict on Earth with them. Where did you hear that they had conflict with Earth? From a conventional military source that was claiming that they had direct encounter in the United States with this species. If there was an encounter with the Zorgons, how would that play out on Earth? So allegedly, this is a warrior-type species um, that A, can move through time just as the Greys do. They have not come to the level 6 being yet because one of their main ingredients or um, evolutionary strategies is fear. This is something when they evolve from a reptilian um, previous version of what they are now, they, they realize that fear is something that can be useful as a defensive but also as an offensive strategy. We can see that this is a strategy in um, the animal kingdom, that there are some animals that use fear in order to protect themselves, um, but usually they don't use it as an offensive strategy. It's more that, a, for example, a small lizard or a snake, they tend to use this uh, action in order to scare um, an opponent, but normally they do not use it um, for aggression, but for defense. And this species seemed to have developed some tactics around fear and angst, what we call it in German, um, in order to, yeah, attack planets and systems. So they do it systematically. Are other ETs involved, or are they watching us from a distance? So as I'm not a military guy, I cannot answer that in detail, but um, as far as I've been told, these beings, Dracos, have been in conflict with many planets and with many star systems. And there is some kind of alliance 
to encounter them and to, to fight them back, um, which is basically the whole first order, if we want to use this alliance uh, or the name of the, uh, the alliance. So there are two charges against the Zorgons or Draco by the grace, which I'm quoting. The first charge is that they violated the law of the first order by means that they enjoy torture, which means that enjoyment can all only be achieved by breaking the free will of the victim, including the first charges that they also seem to be engaged in sex slavery. And this is also something that happens on this planet um, in different ways and is deeply interwoven in the system of planet Earth. So that's, that's the first charge that the greys claim against them. The second charge is they are breaking the free will and the free evolution of Subjects, and I think as they 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 gave them an ultimatum to remove certain behaviors on Earth, and that runs out. So this is why the conflict is now being hotter than ever. If you're looking for an exit strategy, and this is something that I'm trained on, and it's not too easy for me to articulate that because those are very, very strong charges. Um, that at least this sexual slavery thing could be something that could be reframed in a positive way, though it's still ugly and heavy. How can sex slavery be reframed in a positive manner? This is not too easy to describe because it's totally different to what cultures are on Earth like. And normally, so we know that this, or at least the claim is that the species tries to hinder and block the spiritual evolution of the Earth people. And sexuality is something that is pretty divine and divine sexual energy can be used to elevate the spirits and to um, to create the creative force. That is, for example, why the snake is something as a symbol for DNA and for sexual, sexual evolution, which is used all over the place in South America and different sites on all, all, everywhere. But the universe could also use sex as a kind of pleasurable, pleasurable play. And within that, prostitution, for example, would be something that could be allowed. Sex slavery, if it's consensual, could be something as an exit strategy that could be allowed. The bad thing about torture, we talked about... Um, about self-harm, um, when it's when it's the way it is in in this case that the species needs the break of the free will in order to enjoy the experience, then we have a problem because it breaks the free will of the victim, and it's very hard to get around that. 
So those are the two charges against the species. They're charged with that crime. Has it been decided what's going to happen? To my knowledge, to my understanding, the conventional forces and also um, some other forces, uh, military forces, are preparing to fight against them. And um, many people have claimed that it, this all already been done and in progress. They also pose some kind of threat for this planet, which is one of the many, about, I don't know, 20 reasons why we have this disclosure so fast and so globally. Um, because the worst thing that could happen is a invading species and nobody is prepared for that. So what the Greys are saying is that they actually want to make them vanish from this experience and bring them somewhere else so that all the remainings that we have about fear on Earth, which, I mean, angst, actually, and all the installations that are on Earth are currently being removed. And that would help. And also the genetic manipulation that we have inside of the human DNA. So these are things that seem to have happened. From my standpoint, I know the things are real. Everyone can experience them. I cannot tell if the claim and the species that is charged with is the actual species that did all this. So this is why I'm pretty careful. I'm not accusing anyone. I'm just saying there are things on Earth that make it really hard to, and a really ugly place in some ways. And uh, this is being removed and somebody is accused and for that. Tim, are humans capable of defending ourselves against these reptilians or is there an ET intervention helping us? Since humans have been hand in hand with other warrior type species, they have found alliances um, with these warrior type species. So they actually are capable of defending themselves. And the greys would always prefer the involved species to defend themselves before they would do something because they see themselves as a super revision instance, which means they come in um, as the last option. Humans can defend themselves, you say. But if that reptilian race has the advantage of time travel, can't they come back and change the outcome over and over again? To my knowledge, there has been time wars and manipulation of time strings. So, so at least the greys, I don't know if there are any other helpful species, species but the greys did a lot of re-manipulation of the timelines. And to my knowledge, the Zorgons or Dracos or whatever, they went through time in order to manipulate um, the outcoming of the species of the Earth. 
So the grace gave technology to the humans who were already working on time travel since the 1930s or something. And that technology was given. They set up a time unit that observes timelines. And those time units are also reaching out to the present time right now. Are the Greys the only ETs fighting with us, or are others involved? A federation of ET civilizations, possibly? So to my knowledge, um, I only know about the Earth military defending the planet. Um, those time units are also working in the present time and also in future timelines or in the future of this timeline, so to speak. It's a time string. Um, so many, many timelines, and they're working in, diver- in the diversity of timelines. But it also seems that there are different members of this first order that are also involved because they had their conflicts with the Draco Zorgons, but I'm not privy to that. Where are we now with this battle, and how do you think it will end? I'm not a military expert, so I'm just, um, I'm more political, diplomatic um, being that is sitting here and giving out some information. So you might want to ask somebody else on how the military is doing right now. But I think that the installation uh, that is placed upon Earth is being removed right now. There have been lots and lots of military operations in this year and in the last year. I think that the conventional military is more and more prepared for the battle, to battle them, and it has been done. The U.S. and the U.K. and also Russia, they all have set up their space forces. Time units are heavily working uh, on correcting and healing timelines. Um, and also the grace are involved, which is the last of all steps that's been taken. I think that at some point or another, some government will reach out to the public and prepare them for something. Um, but I think mm. that if I'm able to bring up this information that we're at least in a more stable position right now than we have been some time ago. And I also am hoping that everything will turn out peacefully. So where does this take us ultimately? Does humanity thrive and join our galactic family or stay in this suppressed state of being? So one thing that makes it pretty secure is that we have those time units which are reaching out from future, you know, events to the present time and correct things. Um, I think that we're going to have some kind of knighthood um, system on Earth, which means that it will still be a warrior-type species. The military will gain power over the next years. We will have a more centralized governmental administrative system of the planet so that most of the chaos we have on this planet will vanish. Um, I also think, think that removing the genetics that block a lot of 
you know, um, potential powers and divinity from the species will help the species to grow. Other species will come in the system and they will, you know, give strategies and help in some kind of way or another. And I'm pretty sure that everything has been done that even though it's a military and warrior type species, that in the end, humanity will play a light warrior role, a good role in the system. And again, we have a mental-based, um, all-connected universe. And if we want to participate in that, even though we don't want to fight, then a very, very good thing to do is to reach out to higher frequencies, to reach out to higher beings. I mean, consciously-wise, it's all us. It's all us projecting things. And if we connect to that energy and we bring it down on this planet, and there are lots and lots of species and people and beings and individuals doing that, then that's a good thing. In any case, anybody body doesn't know how to participate in that, then I follow with what the community has written in the comments, say it out loud, possibly every day, all shift happily now. Tim, that was really informative. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's not super comfortable speaking about that, but thank you. I'm Emery Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. <laughs> Until next time. Next on Cosmic Disclosure. So installation has been an artificial setup system on Earth in order to subjugate and to hinder the evolution of Earth people. Chemicals have been involved that been spread all over the planet. Frequencies and technologies to alter the state of consciousness in order to bring down. Hmm. What do you think, Rama? Uh, <laughs> you'll know say. Okay. Um, well, the timing is uh, what it is, so I think we'll do this one. It's called Initial Matrix versus False Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. The other one is too long. Yeah, it's too long. I'm sorry to say. Okay, so could humanity exist in a matrix within a matrix? A dream within a dream. Swaru of Era clarifies it's possible for two correct yet contradicting explanations to exist. Plus all the combinations in between. Discussing the differences and the connections between material and etheric realities, Swaru explains perceptual agreements in our shared coding of an imposed matrix and how 
We are responsible for what we reflect into reality. Though Swaru considers the Tegetans the opposite of reptilians, she details how intentions create realities despite differences between the initial matrix and the false matrix that followed. Mm. So this is again uh, Garcia Dusak uh, is the ins- instructor host. So here we go. This one is 32 minutes. Hmm. something is real then it is your experience is real your experience there or anywhere else is reality to you you decide there are multiple realities not only one it's the consciousness behind that is having the experience the one who decides what is real and what is not. But as with a video game, the game and the action in it is not real. But your experience in the game 
is real. There is no world, no matter as such. You don't have a body. All you are is spirit, and the rest is all you're making to have an experience. There is no matter. It's all mind. I have always sensed that the reality that is spread around me is a sort of a projection, and there is a part within me screaming to be unplugged, beamed up. I have always sensed the frustration of being trapped within the imposed limits of physical perception of things. For example, a lamp. Why am I perceiving it in this way, with this shape and form? I know it doesn't only exist this way, but it's like there is something in me, some program, which is hard to escape, that forces me to interact with the lamp in the form of a lamp. I feel trapped within this denseness of having to perceive things and objects only in one way. I feel there has been a certain decoder of reality, so we can decode it in this way and not the other. Exactly. And that's part of the initial matrix too. That's because you have an agreement to see that lump of potential energy as a lamp. But it's all potential energy. If you are not in that room and there is no one else in it, the lamp is only potential energy and not a lamp. Only you can give it a meaning. And yes, in a 3D matrix, you have been imposed. You have been programmed with a set of beliefs that limit what you manifest and what you perceive. The way you interpret that potential energy, that imposition, is the matrix. Like the written code in the video game that has a law that will impose on you that you cannot walk through walls. But that perception of a lamp as a lamp is a group perception also. We all perceive it in the same way. That's why I feel it was imposed on us on a mass level. That agreement to see the lump of energy as a lamp is a certain code. We have been led to perceive it as a lamp. Yes, precisely. That's the hive mind I was talking about. Time, for example, is also an agreement to see it the same way. And the clock or a watch is the metronome that will keep all the people manifesting that reality in unison at the correct time. Time and the clock is your metronome or your conductor. Okay, so who is a code programmer? You are. I am the programmer of the matrix? I understand you are referring to the initial matrix here too, in general. I programmed it upon myself? You 
and the other fractals of yourself there. Yes, you have to have an experience, but you are not a victim. You went in there knowingly and with full purpose and with a plan. You program and change the matrix at will using your emotions and your desires. It changes as it senses you and what you want based on your focused attention that comes from your intention. But if I program the matrix for the experience of it, why then do I need to wake myself up? I designed it for myself, so what's the purpose of waking up now? So you can manifest what you want and not what others have hijacked into your mind. A lot of what you are programming into the matrix is not your real intention. It's the Archon's intention, the hive-imposed mind. Aren't they a part of the reality of myself too? In other words, maybe I manifested them also. I mean, if I, in the highest sense, am all that there is, then are they part of me too? Yes, you did. And then, that's by intention, as you went in in full knowledge of what you would experience there. And then, this ties to the Prime Directive again. We cannot interfere if you are having the experience you want. So, the negative aspects of the world, in some level, is of your own doing. But you forgot that. So you may need a little push in your game. If that is so, then it becomes complicated indeed, because it becomes hard to know which part of our experience here is really self-imposed by ourselves programming us to have this experience of limitation, and which part are the hijackers. And I am beginning to understand the hard decisions and dilemmas of Prime Directive. All the negative aspects and events in the world, wars and weather events, catastrophes, volcanoes and tsunamis, are an exteriorized matrix-spread reflection of what the real people there have manifested for themselves. What you see outside in the world is the direct reflection of the inner world in the psyche of the people. And you must be aligned with your so-called higher self to understand what is imposed and what is you there to experience. And I am glad you are understanding. As you can see, not everyone is equipped to even start to understand the complexities of why of the Prime Directive. Yes, I'm still trying to understand though. Did we impose Archons on ourselves to experience them? Or are they hijackers that went against our will? Because if the second is true, we are sleeping not due to our own will. In this case, 
It makes sense trying to wake us up. Again, both parts are correct. That's another problem we face, particularly me. That if something is false, it doesn't mean the other is correct. And there may be two contradicting correct explanations and all the combinations in between. Some people have been hijacked. Others go in to experience what it is like to be hijacked. Some feel that what they wanted in their experience has been taken from them. Others are there to experience lack and restriction because only then can they understand and appreciate abundance. Many, not all, die there only to awaken here in another body that was literally asleep, in cryosleep or hypersleep, especially starseeds. Others go back to source directly. Are you part of the matrix too? I mean, you also see lamps, shoes, for example. We are perceiving them all in the same way. As I said, you are in a matrix inside a matrix, a dream inside a dream. I see shoes and I see lamps as well. We both had an agreement to see them this way from the other side. So you're in a higher layer of the matrix. That's correct. So seeing lamps and shoes is still being in a the matrix then, right? Because I feel they don't exist in that way only. My perception of that potential energy, as you said, as lamps and shoes, has been imposed by myself or Arkans, but imposed. So, by matrix, are you referring only to what the negatives have imposed on us? Hacking the program? Or is it any perception of objects around, like lamps, shoes, etc.? Because that would be a positive or neutral matrix, but still matrix, no? Since the lamps and shoes are just lumps of energy and we decode them as lamps and shoes. I feel now that the matrix is any type of decodification mechanism of energy into objects, into matter. I don't know if I'm right about that. But then, here, matrix is also perceived as something negative, as the program of the negative ones. So, which matrix are you referring to when you say we are in the matrix? You are in both. Let's say that as you are in a matrix inside another matrix, some things belong to the false matrix and others to the real or initial matrix. This means that even if you are not aware of those things, they are still there and they may affect you. The organs, for example, they are part of the old matrix, the first one, and they are aware of both matrices. 
So they exploit that, leeching on to you like a fairy blood-sucking leeches. But yes, normally I am referring to it as negative. But then again, that would depend on you and your personal interpretation. If something is good or not, beneficial to you or not. False or not false, the experience is real. And that's what is important. Okay, so if we are both in the, let's call it, initial matrix, so that is why if I see a dog, you will see also a dog. We will both perceive that energy as a dog, with the same color and everything, right? Yes, because we have an agreement to see it that way. But apart from that, things do change with dog between you and I. You see a pet and a companion. Tigetans will see dangerous wild animal. Because in Taigeta, dogs are only wild animals. There are no dogs as you know them, only coyote, wolves, and other variants of canines that you don't have on Earth. To have a dog as a pet in Taigeta is as rare as for humans to have a pet leopard. Very interesting and strange for me. You don't have dogs as pets. Okay, but coming back to the subject. Yes, we are both programmed by ourselves to decode the dog in a certain way and see it in front of us in a certain way. So that agreement is a part of the initial matrix, yes? It is an agreement with ourselves from the higher level. Yes, both, the matrix and ourselves. But, for example, you don't decode Mogie. You don't know what it is, or do you? No. So I come and tell you what it is. Then we are making an agreement about how you both should see Mogie. The old matrix does have influence over the new false one. Very fascinating for me. I'm sensing some strange overlaying of matrices here. Being incarnated is like a game. And it includes all what you would consider the material universe. One matrix. Let me give you an example. We remember who we were before our past two or three lives, at least. Now, whenever we die, we always end up in the same afterlife place. We may go jumping stars in a ship. We may go through wormholes and travel very, very far from home. So far, we finally get lost in deep space. We die there. And, surprise, we end up again in the same afterlife, planning to reincarnate in Taigeta again. So why is this? The whole universe is a matrix made of perceptual agreements. So your universe is also a part of the matrix. 
Maybe that's why we feel such nostalgia always, me and you. We feel we are not in the real world. Yes, we are all part of that matrix. That's why we have similar bodies. But matrix on Earth is one step deeper. Matrix inside matrix. But we are all from somewhere else. So what happened? We imposed on ourselves a matrix for us all. Yes, it said that we did this in order to have an experience. Who did exactly? You again. You made the universe. You, Gosh, from your point of view. I made it from mine. Robert's cat made it from his point of view. Yes, but we all share similar objects in our universes. You, me, and Robert's cat. So we have a common thread there, common programming. Is it because we are all one anyway? Yes, because we perceive it all under the same agreement. But we haven't agreed about mobbing yet. You pick up agreements as you evolve lifetime after lifetime, from simpler organisms to more complex ones, all accumulating experience. The reason that we all agree to the how we see things, what they are, even mobbing, is because in the end, We don't exist as separate entities. We are all interconnected in consciousness. We are literally all one being. We share ideas because we are one. Exactly. Okay, so we coded ourselves to perceive things in a certain way from the higher level of the matrix. If not, one person would see a cat and the other one a frog in the same place. But the fact that we all see the same thing points to the fact that we are truly one. The consciousness programmed itself to decode things in a certain way and we go around decoding them that way. Because it is all us, all of us, same being. Am I correct? You are perfectly correct. Amazing. But if so, if we imposed the whole initial matrix on ourselves, then why fight anything that we perceive as negative? It's all a game of the highest matrix operator, ourselves. Just thinking out loud. Yes. It's ultimately all an external reflection of an inner conflict based on the idea of duality or contrast. Why do you have reptilians? Are they the reflection of some inner conflicts in your universe too? Reptilians are part of an inner conflict, yes. And they exist on Earth and anywhere else because they are also us, they are also you. 
if reptilians exist, because after all the data you've seen, you know they have to be there, must be there. And knowing that this universe is based on duality, then as a consequence of the reptilians existence, then the opposite must also exist. Bad alien, good alien. That can be also used as an argument about our existence, the Tigetans. We do consider ourselves to be the opposites of the reptilians, their nemesis. I understand. Okay, when we talked about the 3D matrix, you mentioned that some concepts like law of attraction are still present in that original matrix. Can you expand on that a bit more, please? It's the reflection of an intention from the spiritual world. It manifests first as energy, then by means of an attention focus, it becomes something with matter. It's the original matrix, so it has no technology as such controlling it. It was set up by us all, real souls, as a necessity to expand, even with an illusion of separation. The key concept here is to understand how the attention of consciousness will turn potential energy into something that reflects its intent. That's how it works, and your mind and consciousness is incredibly powerful. You literally can create a world or a universe. You are source. The difference is that here in 5D, you know it, so you can control your feelings and thoughts to change your world. However, even inside the original matrix or the 5D, you do have a sensation of limitedness because as you go ascending in the frequency realm, curve or stages, the higher you go, the faster things manifest as they are less dense. That's the how it works. The how it came to be, no one knows. It's always been here, physicality. There is no time, so it's eternal, it just is. It's a shape for something that has no shape, a reflection of your consciousness awareness. The more expanded you are inside, the more you can see of the universe. Now, you said the original matrix was set up by us all real souls. You mean us from above, some more etheric plane, decided to become more fractalized to experience material expansion, and we established a set of rules for the game. Original matrix set of rules. What would be those original matrix rules? Law of attraction, duality, what else? Yes, something like that. But not necessarily as us sitting down making plans more of manifesting what we all want as in a way. 
more of manifesting what our attention wants and or where it goes. I think duality is not part of the original matrix. Also, as the result of the split brains Hume had. Always fighting between left and right brains. Here we don't have that, and above, even less. If it seems like we have duality, it's in a much lesser degree. Law of attraction. It simply is creating what you are focusing your attention to. That is primordial, I would say. I was thinking that, but then you do have darker beings, such as reptiles. So you do have some sort of a duality still. We don't really have reptiles. Those go only as high as 4D, lower 5D. We are in higher 5D, so they cannot touch us unless we go down, we descend. The only reptiles we have here are the positive ones. We live very much in peace. We can see the reptiles in 3D, 4D, but they cannot see or touch us. So they must use tactics like using advanced clones to be able to work through them here to try to get to us. But the Taimat and Mars Wars, you said those were bloody wars. Many died. It was before 3D installment, so it happened in 5D. Yes, but frequency is not fixed. It depends on your state of mind. You go up and down in frequency, we all do. All that mess happened when we were low, higher 4D, lower 5D. It all depends on your intention. So going on to pick a fight is a lower frequency activity. So if you look for a fight, you will find a fight. The trick is to stay above in frequency to avoid being accessed or touched by negative things. As I said before, 5D is not a fixed thing. It's a gradient of frequency from lower to higher, and you determine what you see with your personal frequency. Okay, so in the original matrix, higher 5D state, There is usually no negativity and cruelty spreading around. You live in harmony, is that right? Mostly. Not in complete harmony, but compared to below, we are quite harmonious. Mostly because we do understand how this works. Did the original Matrix install the experience of physical pain? Or is it something more to do with 3D world? There is pain here as well, but it's seen differently. Pain here is not the problem. Some of it means you are away from being aligned to your needs and wants, and that includes a broken finger. But suffering needs at least a whole... Okay. 
consider the possibility that just as the 3D is an installment and we didn't know, the 5D could be also and you just don't know? No, there is a difference. Unlike within 3D, from 5D you can talk to beings about you and they will explain it all very kindly. And you also have full memory of having been above, as I do, and as I explained once before. Things that are unbelievable to you are normal here. Okay, is initial matrix a constant or is it flowing and evolving? It flows and evolves as each consciousness sees it from its individual level. As a collective, it is perceived only as a flow of events, but in general, with an expanded view, it's eternal, unmovable, and always has been. Okay, now that's an interesting point, that uh, they don't have anything except good reptiles and higher 5D consciousness. And uh, TJ, are you there? Can you get our sister Rainbird? I will share a little bit here. Um, I, or Rama will call you just a minute here. Okay, so this week's guidance from the Ascended Masters. This is our sister, Caroline and the Collective. Greetings, dear ones. We are very pleased to have this time to speak with you. This is, the again, from the Ascended Masters, the Galactics, the Earth Elements, the Fairy Elders, the Angelic Legions, Archangels, and other Divine Beings known as the Collective. Greetings, dear ones. We are very pleased to have this time to speak with you today. And so, we speak today on the issue of feeling divine, protected, divinely provided for, feeling to be at peace. And developing practices for those times as we are not entirely sure that we are being provided for or being protected. And the protection might be from dense thoughts or old energy patterns that have plagued us over time and that we would like to dissolve now or from outer situations that are difficult. We may feel that our income is not as strong as it should be and we would like to increase it or we might feel that way about our health that things are just not quite what we would like them to be so let's be quiet for a moment as we would like to just close our eyes while we are listening to these beautiful ocean waves.
Oh. Um, is a big echo. Got to kind of rearrange that there, TJ. Okay, that's that's a little better. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Um, okay, so where were we? So let's be quiet for a moment. As we would like to just close our eyes while we are listening to these beautiful ocean waves. That is fine. Or as you just want to look out at them and feel the eternal presence that they represent. The inner and the outer flow. <clears throat> you notice how there's a current under the waves that pulls the water back and then in releasing it allows the next wave to come forward. So there's nothing about the ocean that is fearful of the peak and the trough, the income and the outgo. It welcomes both. It knows that deep inside it is always provided for because by its very essence it flows perfectly with the energy that is not only that it not only represents rather also that it demonstrates it cannot be out of sync with its higher self because it doesn't sit around thinking and stewing in a mess of negative and dense and difficult thoughts what as this happens and what as that happens we've been speaking lately about coming away from the outer sources the outer information sources that could plant worry or fear or stress into our energy so that we much more easily come into this time feeling that no matter what everything is flowing perfectly in my life most people have experienced trauma whether in this or another life so it can be a bit trying in a way to establish this feeling that the universe always has our back as they say it is always there for us it is always calm it is always steady no matter how we might be feeling and that there is some aspect of us that completely understands that and never argues with it never doubts it never has a moment of unsureness that beautiful higher aspect can come in at any time yet we need to get quiet and ask our divine wisdom to flow into us. So, do that right now. Let's say you're a little bit stressed as far as health or financial income or family goes. Whether it is just breathe in whatever it is. Just breathe in deeply and slowly. Then breathe out slowly. Come fully into our bodies and fully into the present moment. And we will work 
with you on this because we are seeing blocks of destiny in all of your energies. And that comes from self-protectiveness due to trauma in this and other lives. As we are breathing deeply and slowly and calmly, all of our energies say to our higher self, please flow your beautiful divine wisdom through me now. I am on this earth to experience my divinity as well as my humanity. So what I am calling you to do, higher self and universe, I am calling you to lift me out of out of staring at apparent circumstances, staring at apparent lack, whether it's lack of finances or health or love or support, whatever it is that I feel that I lack. It might just be some stability in the outer world that you would love to see that you're not seeing right now. You're calling in your higher self and you are saying, release that out of my energies now so that I look at the bigger picture and I realize the universe is constantly there for me. Now, you can speak to the energies of health, the energies of love, whether in family or friend or romantic relationships. I think we will uh, say a few more words and then we'll, we'll, we'll share this on Cheryl's call, the rest of it. You can speak to the energies of money. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to, no, I'm going to let that all go because of the timing. Let's just go to the very end. See what our sister has mm. to say. This is very long. <laughs> so it is. Um, okay. So, um, we all know that it's here for us not only to help us feel better in the moment but to help us learn ways in which we can lift our energies overall in an ongoing way. Wonderful. So we send you much love and many blessings, dear ones. And please know that you have not been abandoned on this planet, not in your lives and not in your country or city or town and not on the planet. You are fully supported. Call in all of us now, here in the collective, including the Ashtar Command, to assist in the Tsar's enactment and to assist in the beauty of your entire planet reclaiming her sovereignty. Namaste, dear ones. Carolina Oceana Ryan and the collective. And that's the word. Nasara now, world peas now. <laughs> and I pass this talking stick to you with that emerald serpent feathered one in the prime of its time here. And uh, 
angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, hobbits, manahoonies, and here it comes. Rainbird, here's that talking stick. Rainbird. Um, TJ. Um, we're not hearing Rainbird. Here I am. I'm back. <laughs> oh, there you are. Where were you? Oh, I slipped away to the other side for a second, I guess. <laughs> oh, there's the, I get it. That's, well, you were doing some important things, I'm sure. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for everything. It was just wonderful. Lots, lots to do, lots to play, and I just really love that amazing meditation. Oh my. Oh, wow. It's beautiful. Thank you, yeah. Rama, for being in the right place at the right time, finding that one. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So it was a good day, and, um, yep, I'm celebrating my birthday this week. Oh, my God, that's right. Happy birthday. Rain. Thank you. Yeah. So, let's Internet. see. That will what? be Tuesday, right? Yeah, International Women's Day. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were pretty, pretty amazing that that day ended up the day that you chose to show up. Yeah, I always have felt it had felt appropriate all my life, so I like it. And so, yeah, thank you for your best wishes, and I pass this talking stick over to you, Robin. Here it comes. Okay. Many good blessings. Many, many good, uh, good vibrations to you, Rainbird. Thank yes. you, Carol. You're welcome. All right, Rama, what do we have here? This is Alan Watts, The Illusion of Rebirth. saying that the experience of being I goes on, even if there's an interval. In Buddhism, there has never been the idea that rebirth or reincarnation involves the transmigration of a specific soul, because all schools of Buddhism are agreed on the idea that the individual self or soul is an illusion, maya. And they liken the process of rebirth to the motion of a wave across the surface of water. So the Buddhists would say, no soul reincarnates, and yet there is the illusion of reincarnation. And what Buddhist philosophy wants to draw our attention to is that the same kind of illusion is existing in our attitude to the physical world. We are projecting. But of course, creatures of like structure will make the same projection. 
the Westerner may be anxious that his idea about reincarnation is something more than a fantasy. The Oriental, the Buddhist or the Hindu, very much hopes it is only a fantasy. In that case, it can be overcome. He can be delivered from a cycle of futility. Only you mustn't understand that too literally. What becomes interesting in this is that you will pick out the lines of continuity between lives upon what basis? Why, just in the same way as you pick out continuity between tones, by the way they interval to each other. If you work with LSD, this comes very clear. You get a vision sometimes of the world which is positively pointless. Like the paintings of Sarah. But all hallucinations have some basis in our neural structure. You see? They may not be experiences that of what we call the objective world, but in any experiment that turns your consciousness on your consciousness, your senses on your senses, you will get curious things happening. Just as you might get oscillations in electric circuitry. Because Maya means illusion in a very complex sense. Creative power, art, magic, calculation in the sense of the calculus. It is difficult for us to understand, you see, the notion that the world is Maya. Why is it difficult for us to understand that? What is our feeling about saying this is a dream, a projection. What's the objection to that idea? You see, if you say it doesn't matter, then you are saying it's purely spiritual. <laughs> when an Oriental says there's something that is not real, the first thing he means is it's not permanent. And so the quality of change of the smoke-like, and that they say the dream-like, because the dream vanishes, you see, and so they say life is like a dream. As you get older, you're more and more aware of the speed at which things change. With a child, it seems to be slow. But there it goes, you see, and so there is this quality, he means. Dream-like, the thing is in constant flux. But he also means illusion in showing the extent to which what is going on in this flux is a creation of the perceiving organism. And so when Buddhists use the word void, shunyata in Sanskrit, as designating the nature of the world, this should rather be translated relativity than nothing. It is relativity that we should think of rather than our ideas of non-being. So, from that point of view, as also from the standpoint of quantum mechanics and modern physics, the illusory nature of the world is very clear. One gets this extraordinary sense there of living in this incredibly real-seeming world 
which, the more you analyze it, consists mostly of space. And you come to feel a, shall I say, diaphanous quality about things. That a mountain is only a faster wave and longer lasting rainbow. And that, as the poet said, the hills are shadows and they flow from form to form. Nothing stands. Om Shanti, everyone. We love everyone. Oh, I'm I'm remembering what Rama said, Tom the Cat said to him this, this afternoon. He said, Ashtar is here. And Caroline, at the end, she added that, you know, the collective includes the Ashtar command. So with that in mind, beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> Nasara now, everyone. See you in your dreams and on that bridge. Aloha. Namaste. Peace.